Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode of Contractor Evolution from Breakthrough Academy. In this special episode, Benji Carlson hosts a six-part marathon detailing how to build the best hiring funnel in your market. Hello, and welcome to the Ultimate Hiring Funnel series. Today is episode one. I'm going to talk quickly about what this entire series is about, um, and then I'll get to today's episode. So look, it is no secret that hiring is hard, really hard, especially in our construction and trades industries. Labor shortages are a real thing. And yes, perhaps millennials and Gen Zers aren't as gritty as older generations may have been. And also, yes, the government has paid a bunch of people to stay at home for over a year and a half, leading to a super lethargic workforce. We get it. But look, it is what it is, and none of this stuff you can do much about. What you can do, though, is build the best hiring funnel in your market, and that is exactly what the next six episodes are going to be all about. Over the coming weeks, we're going to explain in plain English how you can think like a marketer and start to build an employee brand that attracts top talent towards your company. Uh, We'll talk a lot about how to write job postings that get the highest performers excited to apply. Uh, We'll talk about how to get actively recruiting instead of passively waiting. Um, And we'll talk about how to start practicing behavioral interviewing so that you can delve into an applicant's previous behavior, predict their future performance, and make better choices on your people. Uh, And we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff too. This is going to be a six-part series. So episode one, which is today, is going to be on ideal candidate profiling. Episode two, which will be next week, will be focused on how to write a job posting that sells your company as an amazing place to work. Episode three, we're going to dig deep into promotion and active recruitment tactics so as many people as possible see that great job posting that you wrote and apply. Uh, Episode four is going to be all about conversion calls. So that's that first phone call that you would make to an applicant after they've applied um, where you set up an interview, you get to know them, uh, or maybe actually move on. Episode five after that, this is going to be a deep dive on behavioral interviewing. So when you sit down with a candidate, um, we want to break down that interview process, what questions you should ask, how to probe, how to how to score people. Episode six, the finale, this is going to be on selection and expectation setting. So how do you make those super tough decisions late in the recruitment process and then set up that new team member for success over the long haul? Uh, as always, I will be joined by my co-host Igor and we have an onslaught of amazing new guests throughout this series. Honestly, it doesn't matter whether you are a seasoned pro or you just started your business this year. If you're in landscaping, painting, construction, roofing, drywall, electrical, HVAC, plumbing, junk removal, uh, property maintenance, or any home service company uh, and you want to build your dream team, this series is for you. 
Today is episode one, and we couldn't be more excited to launch this series with our favorite recruiter, Josiane Godet. Josiane runs Crew HR here in Vancouver. She has a master's in HR, and over her extensive 18-year career, she's been involved in the hiring of over 600 roles for her huge book of clients. We here at Breakthrough Academy, we've also worked with her a ton over the years, and we can honestly vouch for her. She is a true expert in all things recruitment, selection, onboarding conflict management, employment law, headhunting, all of it. In today's episode, she teaches us how to make an ideal candidate profile, which is the primary building block for any hiring funnel. Think about it, right? Like you can't hire the right person if you don't know exactly what you're looking for in the first place. And while that might seem kind of obvious, a lot of people mess this up. So Josiane explains in no uncertain terms how you can gain tremendous clarity about who you want and then how to leverage that clarity throughout the rest of your hiring funnel. I really hope you enjoy it. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Hey, just before we jump into things, I wanted to let you know you can get the free resources that we talk about in this episode in the show description. So hit pause right now, go download them, and they'll be waiting in your inbox by the time we finish this episode. Josiane, welcome to the show. Thanks, Benji. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you. Likewise. So I want to start with um, a simple question. Just tell us what is an ideal candidate profile? So an ideal candidate profile is really like a collection of information that's going, that will inform your recruitment decisions. So basically you can think about it like building an avatar, so in a video game, mm -hmm. so that perfect uh, character, that perfect person that's going to fill your position and answer the needs that you're looking for. Like those games at the beginning when you got to actually like decide what characteristics they have. I wanted to have like this much speed, this much strength, this much intelligence. Some games they have like magic skills and then you go and play the rest of the game with that character. That's what you're talking about when you say an avatar. Exactly, exactly. And I love the way you're referring to the skills. So it's almost like the face uh, of the character would be, you know, slightly blurry because you don't exactly know who it's going to be. Right. But you know what you're looking for in terms of, uh, of skills and abilities. Cool. So it's, it, um, it, it is like an actual document that you would write out then. Exactly. So the more precise you can be, uh, the most chances you have to, to, to reach your goal and actually find what you're looking for. Okay. Another good analogy for this, guys, is, is it is like planning, right? We plan a ton of stuff in business, right? You should be doing an annual business plan. There's a sales plan you're making. There's a production plan. It's no different. Like as you, a lot of people will just roll right into a recruiting process. This is kind of like that fundamental uh, that groundwork that you do to figure out like, who are we going to go and look for? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, from your experience, Josiane and, and Igor chime in whenever you want, like, why are these so important? Why are they so fundamental? Why is it the first step of any good recruiting process? So um, I was kind of joking earlier and uh, referring to determining your ideal candidate profile, just as it is when you're shopping for a couch. 
and you go to the store and you want to make sure that you go to the store with the layout of your living room and you know your measurements. Right. Otherwise, you're just going to be shopping for looks, maybe fabrics, but you're, you're not going to be able to make that decision in the end because it's a big purchase and you don't know if it's going to fit in your house. So you might actually make the decision, yeah. which we've probably all done. You go spend like 2,500 bucks on this really cool couch that you fell in love with when you walked in the showroom and the salesman, you know, closed you. And then you go home and you're like, this thing doesn't work with the room at all. It's too big or it's the wrong color. That's even worse. So it's, it's a, a planning document that, that helps you think through who you want on the team before you go out and look for them. And I wonder if you could speak to the flip side of this. Like, what do we risk having happen? if we don't build one of these? So if you don't build one of these, you're lacking clarity around uh, the needs uh, of the position. So what this person would actually be doing within the organization, uh, you will lack clarity in terms of, uh, of the skills and the abilities that you're looking for. And you just won't have a clear picture going into uh, the recruitment process. So as a result, uh, you might be spinning your wheels a little bit mm -hmm. when you're screening resumes, uh, when you're actually meeting people, your interview questions will not be targeted and right. won't be able to allow you to measure what you want to measure. And in the end, uh, you just may not recruit the best person. And then as we know, there's a huge cost for uh, bad recruitment. You know, that actually happens all the time. What you, the point you just made about the interviewing um, step, because what I hear a lot from our members and, and certainly Breakthrough Academy prospects when I speak with them, and we're talking about interviewing, is um, it's actually not uncommon for people to sit down for an interview with someone and kind of like freeze up when they realize this is a meeting that they're leading and they don't even know um, what questions to ask. They don't, and the reason they don't know that is because they don't know who they're looking for in the first place. And so what sort of ends up happening is um, you talk, you get to know them on a personal level, you banter a bit, you talk about your company and then you go, well, you know, they, they seemed, they seem solid. Like, well, let's give them a shot. Like that's sort of what, it, that's the, the pitfall that I think can end up happening when this, this, uh, step gets skipped. Exactly. And this person may be awesome to go for a beer with because you had a great conversation, but that doesn't mean it's exactly what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Igor, anything to add is as far as like things that might happen if, if we skip this. Yeah, totally. I think uh, there's a huge risk of not having a ton of clarity on the role itself. A, a lot of people I find uh, they don't think through like the why, why I'm doing this, right? Uh, you'll know that, okay, well, I should have a production manager or I should have a project manager. I should have an office admin, but those words are pretty general, like right. an office admin or an office manager can, can mean, mean different things, ton of different things, right? Yeah. So to think through like what, is it that I'm looking for is is super important, right? And it's and it's totally in the context of your business, uh, the way that you've built it, the current state of development, like where you're at in the growth and development of your company. It's based on your style as a leader and your strengths and your weaknesses. And really asking that question, like, why am I adding this position, right? So actually, just this morning, I was uh, I was working on some organizational structure stuff and. We, when you visually look at your org structure and you've got these, we call them uh, in the software, actually they're called nodes, right? Where you basically hit the plus button and you add a node or a position. Why are you adding that role, the position, the node, whatever you want to call it, right? But you're now, you're effectively 
complicating your org structure mm-hmm. by adding every single you one. Are. And you better have a really good justification of why am I doing that? And I think that reason needs to be better defined than, well, because we're really busy right now. Totally. And, and that's a to, lot of why And it, it needs from. to be better than, well, because like my buddy said that he hired an office manager yeah. and it really helped him. Totally. And it's got to be more... Um, personal to your own business, what it needs, all that stuff. Exactly. And also on that note, like I think a really good question to ask yourself is what is the root problem you're trying to solve Mm -hmm. by adding and injecting this role into your org structure? So that's a huge part of this uh, kind of groundwork thought that I think needs to go in that, as Josie said, will add so much clarity long-term for you. And if you don't do it, you you are at massive risk of, of, of not nailing it like in the whole recruiting process yeah. and, and ending up with the wrong person in the wrong type of role and a lot of things can go wrong. Exactly. And I think too, when you do that exercise, especially when you're adding a position to your org structure, is that you're, you're going to find out, do we have overlap in terms of, of responsibilities? And I think that's, uh, that, that's very interesting to find out before you get you know, the person in the role and then you realize that you have three other, pe- other people in, totally. in the company doing similar things or too much overlap. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. Is, so th- building an ideal candidate profile, I think it's also important I want to highlight, this is something that helps you with the longevity of the hire rather than the quickness of you finding that. So if you're in a huge rush to just get a warm body tomorrow, this would be something that, you know, I think a lot of people obviously skip. They're like, ah, it's an extra step. I don't have the time. I just need someone. I suppose that makes sense in a few very, very rare business cases. But if you're truly interested in building an organization, a team, a culture, you do need people for the long haul. And this is about figuring out who's going to fit for that longer term journey. Because if you just need a warm body, go throw up a, an ad on Craigslist and cross your fingers and you'll get one. But this is about, this is a longer term investment in your team. That's why we build one. Okay. Yeah. And sorry, Benji, can I just ask one really quick question? Sure. If we're doing this properly, how long does it take? Because I hear, totally hear what you're saying, that it is an additional step, but I don't think this is something that's going to take you like a whole, that you're going to spend a whole week doing. I would argue this is like a really focused three to four hour exercise. Exactly, exactly. And it may require, and I would strongly encourage it, conversations with different team members. Totally. Especially if you have business partners to make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah, who Uh, do we want? Exactly, exactly. So three hours, four hours max, I think that's, uh, you can do it easily. Yeah, exactly. So Benji, to your point, yes, it's an extra step. And I think a lot of listeners are, I'm super busy already. Why am I ejecting an extra thing? But I would argue this is like a super high ROI Three or four hours. And if you, right. yeah, like, you know, if you ask uh, our BTA members who have done this, who have taken those three or four hours, um, it, it pays itself back in dividends time and time and time again. Totally. So, okay, we, we did a little bit of um, thinking through like the actual nuts and bolts of what's included in, uh, included in an ideal candidate profile. I want to go through this, this framework um, with you two and just kind of add your thoughts to each of these pieces and why they need to be included in uh, one of these ideal candidate profiles. So the first thing on a lot of them uh, should be company values. Why, why, why do those belong at the top of an ideal candidate profile? 
So uh, they should be at the foundation of everything we do, especially anything that touches on human resources, company values need to be on the document. It's just about, again, having the clarity about what they are uh, in, in terms of not just stating the words, but also adding the definitions, mm -hmm. because some of these words will come back in, in the document when we're drafting what it is that we're looking for. And it really ties into personal values of the person that we'll be seeking. So that's an important point. It sh the company values on this um, profile shouldn't just be like integrity, quality, trust, one words. It's like quality over quantity and then a few phrases on the definition of what that value means to the organization. Always, always. Love it. Um, the next thing on this profile is the mission or the why. Uh, and that was, I think, to, to your point earlier, Igor, that's like thinking through like, what problem are we trying to solve? Why are we adding this person to the organization? Yeah, like you have to be able to justify it to yourself. And in a way that I like to think of this sometimes, if, if I as a leader was reporting to some sort of board of directors that was grilling me on like, why are we complicating the org structure? Why are we approving this additional payroll spend? Like, mm. how am I going to justify why I want to add this role? Right. And most of our contractors don't have a board of directors that they're reporting to, but they should almost put themselves in that situation when thinking through it. Yeah, totally. Right. And, and, and it's, I just find it always so fascinating uh, how complex a business can get over time. Right. Uh, as, as you start to, you're, you're diving into your sales org is getting more complex. Maybe you're adding a marketing component to your business, right? So uh, like yesterday, I just, after like a five month selection process, we finally selected the candidate for a role on the marketing team that, that we called a marketing operations specialist, right? And three years ago, I couldn't even tell you what that means. But over time, as, as the organizational structure got more complicated, we realized, wow, there's this person that has to manage the actual marketing campaigns and the landing pages and the email communications and, and all of these things. And we're like, holy crap, this is this is a role, mm -hmm. right? But I really put a lot of thought into like, can I justify the complication and the org structure and the extra overhead and all this stuff? But I'm like, yeah, we are doing a lot of this. Like email communications with prospects are a real thing. Landing pages for different offers are a real thing. Uh, the way that we structure these campaigns and all this kind of stuff, right? So it's just, it is interesting as, as your business grows and becomes more complex, uh, you will find new things like, holy man, we need a new person for this. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, you, you have to think through it and make sure that yes, this does make sense. A good analogy is if you had to defend it to a board of directors, yeah. could you? So that's, that's the why, um, Number three in one of these ideal candidate profiles would be the deliverables and accountability. So what are those and why do they belong here? So that's the expectations for the role. So what will this person be contributing to your company? And what do they, what will they accomplish in the first six months, the first few years? It doesn't have to be complicated. And really, this should be top of mind for any business owners is by adding this person or by adding this position, uh, these you know, five buckets will be taken care of or these five goals will be accomplished. And I think an important way to frame those when you're when you're making one of these is it should be pretty results focused. These are the results mm -hmm. that this person is going to deliver yeah. to us, the organization, in order to create an ROI. Because the, like these people cost money. Every single role you bring on is, is payroll. 
Uh, it's insurance. It's it's perhaps benefits. If you're going to do that, what are the results that they deliver to the organization to make it worth that expenditure? Yeah, hundred percent. And a good example of this is like if you're looking at a salesperson, you're looking at a production manager, right? If you are adding a role of a production manager that that needs to oversee production of let's say two million dollars in in roofing revenue and you're doing it at a 35 percent margin they're adding seven hundred thousand dollars in gross margin Mm -hmm. to the organization and the question is can you now mathematically based on your numbers justify how that you now have an roi on that person so they're not you're i'm not looking at them as a cost they are a revenue driver that has an ROI, just like any other asset, just just like an excavator. Right. But if you don't, if you don't uh, frame it that way, if you don't look at it through that lens, that concept of an ROI generating asset is totally lost on you. Totally. It's just overhead. Exactly. Um, so I think yeah. I think that's a really important piece. Um, okay. Next we um, next is preferences and abilities. So. I think that we should actually define these for listeners. What do we mean by preferences and abilities? So every person. I think comes with a natural pre-wiring for certain traits. And yes, absolutely, you're developing your people over time, you're training. But I mean, just if you think about it within yourself, and Benji, I could be talking to you, Josiana could be talking to you, or the listener, just think about yourself. You have a certain natural level of, let's just say, tenacity to go drive mm-hmm. towards results, no matter how hard it gets, how gritty you have to be. You could just, you get it done no matter what. And I'm sure you can think of people in your life where you're like, ah, this person isn't that, isn't so. Or maybe you're not that, not mm-hmm. so. I don't know, right? But you, there's a natural pre-wiring there. Some people are very, very goal-oriented, mm-hmm. just naturally. They have, they're like a pitbull that will just bite in and not let go until it, until it's done. And some people aren't like that. You can train them for years right. and, and you will never instill that. And, and leading them towards it is like the analogy, you're kind of like pushing this like wet noodle and it'll just like, it's <laughs> not going, right? So s- some people have certain, uh, there are these natural, we call them preferences uh, or they are, there's another subset that are natural abilities that some people just do or don't have. Trying to get you, my friend, to be super precise is going to be an uphill battle, right? It's gotten better. It's gotten <laughs> slowly, slowly. It's gotten better. So, but anyway, it's it's th- that's the thing, right? So you got to think through in this role. Who am I looking for? Like, it, does this person need to be highly, highly goal oriented naturally and have that deeply ingrained in them? Is that important or not? Do they be need to be super precise? Do they need to have a really strong natural ability to manage stress? Because if that's important, and you hire someone who is. Uh, very emotional naturally and, and has high oscillations of ups and downs, again, that's going to be an uphill battle to fight. So the question is, is like, what is and isn't important? If I'm hiring an office administrator, do I need them to be super goal oriented? No. But if I'm hiring a sales manager, I that's do. pretty important, right? So um, th- th- that's an important one. And Benji, I believe we have a pretty good handout for for, for that right in the downloads? Yeah, I mean, th- this episode, just because it's a part of this Ultimate Hiring Funnel series, is going to have a whole bunch of resources. One of them will be the, our preferences and accountabilities definitions. Preferences and abilities. Um, when you read through it, you'll see it's very, very intuitive, and you'll kind of see how this how this connects to the overall hiring process. Josiane, before I move on for that, I, I just want to um, see if you have any other thoughts on just preferences and abilities at this stage in the 
funnel. Yeah, absolutely, because people may be wondering, well, where is that information coming from? So uh, some companies have uh, um, psychology tests maybe that they're using or personality testing. So this information may live in there. You may have already pre-established it of what is important, what are those abilities uh, that may be across the organization, um, or it may live in a job description. So maybe these are words that come back uh, time and time again in uh, in the job description, or maybe it's something that you do from scratch for mm -hmm. each and every role, like Igor was talking about, really broke it down um, for an office manager versus a project manager or you know maybe a, a construction worker mm -hmm. yeah and so if if you're listening to this and 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 you've not thought through this stuff previously for roles what i really suggest you do is is, is you grab this download the link will be in the show notes and look at the next role that you're hiring for and read through the definition of each one of these preferences and abilities that is on this document you'll download and just you'll get it immediately through. yeah it'll make a lot of sense right like if, if if you are hiring for a role that that's going to deal with with a lot of obstacles and challenges uh like a production manager or a project manager where they're going to have to deal with customer issues and supply chain issues and and and, and staff quitting but they're going to have to keep punching forward a natural ability to stay level-headed in pursuit of a goal which we call fundamental is really important, right? But that'll make sense right away in the definition. So again, if you're, if you're thinking through this stuff or you're, you're hearing about this kind of stuff for the first time, grab a hold of that download and think through it in the context of the next role you're going to hire for. Yeah. And I just, one last point on that. You've, you've probably picked this up, um, from, from Josiane and Igor already, but the, these preferences and abilities, these are baked in traits. These are not things that you can train. They're not really things that you can change. You might be able to make a little bit improvement to them maybe over time, but by and large people are the way they are. And these 10 ways of thinking about it, um, will give you a nice a nice framework to follow. So that's the preferences and abilities section. The other thing that's on here are skill sets and then experience needed. How should we go about thinking through that when we're building one of these, Josiane? So I would encourage people to look at other job postings that are out there. Um, so it's easy to just do a quick LinkedIn or Indeed search with similar titles and just see what level of experience maybe competitors are requiring for a specific position. Or maybe you already know within uh, your company, maybe there was someone previously in the role and they had, uh, I don't know, a bachelor's degree and three years of experience in administration. So you know that's already um, filling or fulfilling the, um, the expectations for the role. So really getting that clarity of, you know, is it really important at that level of education? If yes, making sure, you know, you're specifying the field and, uh, and same with the experience. So um, the number of years, um, what type of, uh, of environment. So maybe if it's a, a fast paced environment and that's important to you, mm -hmm. make sure you add that in there as well. Cool. I think a lot of this also is dependent on how much you are willing to and are you're prepared to and realistically of the time to train as well, right? Because um, if your budgets are tighter, for yeah. instance, you can hire someone more junior, um, like, an, like an administrative clerk, let's say, yeah. but then you are now teaching them how to use QuickBooks or your CRM or whatever. Or you might be looking at, at your schedule and what's going on in your organization and say, like, this person needs to come in having managed 
a robust CRM with QuickBooks yeah. with an automated time tracking software and, and configure and, and just knows all this stuff. So you have to balance your budget along with what you're reasonably prepared to. And I think you need to be pretty honest with yourself. I know a lot of, I mean, in our industry, people are busy and you have to be honest with uh, how much training and, and yeah. development and ongoing coaching, not just in the first two weeks, but for over the whole year, the first year you're, you're going to be able to support. This, this skills and experience section, I think is, is also kind of like widely debated in, in construction and trades. Like you'll hear a lot of people say at conferences like, well, just, you know, um, hire on personality and train for skill. Like it doesn't really matter. And I, I think that's good advice in some settings, but then there's others where that maybe doesn't apply. Like a, a skilled carpenter is a skilled carpenter. Like yeah. they have, they been to school. Do they have their tickets? Do they have the experience they do or they don't? That role is not one where, you know, that overly simplified advice works, but then there's other aspects where there's other times where you'll see someone that's wanting to, um, bring on, you know, let's say like a, a new landscape maintenance, um, technician for their business. And, you know, the, the ideal candidate profile is like insisting that they need to have three years of previous experience and they, they've been to, um, you know, they've been to horticultural school and it's like, well, you know, do they really like, do they, could you actually take someone that's like maybe just a couple years out of high school and train them on this stuff? And I, you know, in my opinion, you probably could depending on the complexity of the organization. But I think this skill sets, um, and experience needed one is, is something to really think about. Don't overdo it and then really shrink your, the, uh, the pool of candidates that you can select from. That's but exactly it. Yeah. But don't underdo it and sort of like get somebody super green in a really important manager, a managerial position totally. either. Or like you're honest with yourself and you're like, man, I really don't know how office functions work. Totally. Like, like I'm, I'm so good at sales and I can drive sales teams and I can bring in three to half million dollars a year in sales. But like, the time tracking thing, the invoicing, the CRM it. management, QuickBooks, I never even logged in. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just to think you're going to hire someone and train them on all that stuff, it ain't going to happen. So that, that's an example of where you do want someone more exactly. plug and play. They yeah. might cost that's a little bit more That's on one extreme. Money. What you mentioned with the landscape maintenance might be on the other extreme. Yeah. Maybe sometimes it's in the middle, but you got to be honest with yourself where, the, where reality is for you. Okay. Last one on the profile is... Um, uh, we call it an employee profile based on past employees. What does that mean, Josiane? So that would be thinking back of employees that worked in your company or they're uh, potentially still working with you. Uh, so really thinking of, uh, you know, bringing back almost that memory. Like if you close your eyes and you see, uh, you know, their faces uh, and remembering why, why was this person so great and breaking it down in terms of, um, of their qualities or something special that they brought to the organization and why that was so important. So you could think back of um, a project manager that was super organized, very much, uh, you know, paying attention to detail, following up. And so, you know, maybe his name is Paul. So, you know, you'd write that down, uh, attention to detail, you know, um, really organized and why it's so important because this position is dealing with uh, an insane number of projects and there is follow-up needed mm -hmm. uh, this person needs to be client facing etc etc mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You, you can learn a lot about what you need in the future from what you've had already. Yeah. It, does it, would it make sense to even reflect on people that maybe weren't successful in the role in the past and think about why they weren't? Like, can you find the gaps that way too? Absolutely. I think the, the danger with that is you don't want to think of uh, things that didn't work out and then try to do the exact opposite. So I see lots of clients doing that. Uh, they said, oh yeah, this p- person didn't work out because they were like this. So I'm going to recruit the exact right. opposite. And that can really backfire on you as well. Exactly. And guys, this stuff really does work. Like Josie, you and I can think back to to situations. I mean, when you look at a couple roles that that you and I have collaborated on in designing the ideal candidate profile. um, So our latest uh, sales coordinator, who I think you know and and have uh, recruited, you know, we based that whole profile on someone that was in our organization, Caitlin, right before. And it's unbelievable how similar they are yeah. in their trade site. We're actually just, uh, she's just down the hall from me in, in the office and, and I see her daily. It's unbelievable how similar they are. It's really, really cool. Right. And this stuff really does work. Right. When you base it on somebody, you know, and one big point I want to bring up, Benji, you said you called it in here a profile based on other people in the organization. Actually, I would say they don't need to be in the organization. They can be, they can work for a competitor. They can work for some other company that's completely unrelated and not even in your your industry. Like Josie, you remember we went for coffee, right? With someone that I knew in another organization. Absolutely. And, And the person that we hired for that role was unbelievably similar to that person. Uh, this stuff really does work when you can bring, uh, when you can just, as Josie said, close your eyes and think about that person. Maybe you even go meet with them to understand kind of a bit more of what they're like. It really helps in forming that ideal, ideal candidate profile and designing the entire recruitment process towards that. Yeah. It's very real. And, and I think if you want to bring in even more diversity in, in your planning, is it's always great to think of um, uh, of employees, but like you said, people in your network and, and totally. really like expand it to think of a typical week. So the coffee shop you go to, so the, you know, the barista that you uh, interact with on a daily basis, there's maybe that person at the bank that's awesome that you see on a weekly basis when you do mm. your deposit. So unrelated, right? A- exactly. But- related yeah exactly i think you were telling me about that example of uh of the the barista right where you it's always so impressed in the way that they make people feel when they walk in now you're not maybe this is uh maybe this is uh some sort of uh like sales role or somebody that's that's picking up the phones in the office you're not literally going to go hire a barista but that that essence and that energy is what you're looking for and that's what you build into the ideal candidate profile and it's front and center for you that's the energy you're looking for exactly and the words you chose you choose are super important so you wouldn't write uh the qualities awesome because that's maybe not (laughs) precise enough like just to be clear we talked about it in terms of values and adding definition so you know maybe it's uh customer service skills and then you really break it down into what it means yeah Yeah. exactly and guys i i know i don't know if some people listening might be thinking well this sounds a little bit hokey like you're sort of envisioning somebody or you're (laughs) thinking about this barista but it there truly is something about being really clear in your mind about what you're set out to go find um, it, it, it does, uh, when you're clear on it, that will become baked in the next steps of the recruitment process, which we'll talk about in this series. Um, and it will help you so much when you're actually making that pick amongst the candidates that are in front of you. So some people say, well, you know, you speak it to the universe and it'll, <laughs> it'll bring it to you. I would argue that, that, that there, there is a practical element that's totally. also at work here, which is like 
when you're clear on it, you will naturally bake it into all the steps and, and that's how the universe. <laughs> yeah. Whether we want to explain this through like mysticism or practical steps, it doesn't <laughs> matter. I can say for sure. I've seen, I've seen a lot of, uh, our contractors do this. And then two weeks later, they're like, holy crap, I can't believe it. But like we made this profile and all of a sudden we like the perfect person applied through our, through our add on, whatever. It's like, it it does happen so many times. It does happen like that. And it's happened because you are naturally going to go build it in. So Benji, just to recap, so uh, ideal candidate profile, the sections of it, they are values in the downloads, but it's number one values. Number two, mission and why three. Um, your, your, what do we say? Deliverables and accountabilities. Yeah. Number four. Pref- preferences and, and uh, abilities. Five. Um, skill set skill and, ex- and experience. And then your profile based on past employees. Yeah. So, so six components. I, I want to be clear that this will be available as a fill in the blanks template. Yeah. That will be in a link in the description. Uh, you can go through, this is very plug and play. It's kind of built to save you a bunch of time, make it very, very, um, uh, take, a, take away a lot of the guesswork. If you've never built one of these before and you don't want to uh, stare at a blank Word document, like I hate doing, just download it. It'll save you, uh, it'll save you a ton of headaches. Yeah. So, and again, it's not like, don't look at this as some massive daunting process. This is a couple hours that you're going to add to the beginning, the planning stages of a recruitment process. That's going to, going to pay back in dividends. And just on that note, Benji, this is one thing actually we didn't get a chance to, to ask Josie yet. Um, I would love to hear Like, I'm sure you've seen examples where, uh, a business leader, an organization just hasn't done this and it's really hurt them. Like, what do you see typically happen if somebody doesn't do this? Yeah, well, things can go sideways pretty quickly. Uh, and so I'm thinking of, um, uh, of a CEO who needed a replacement for an executive assistant. So sometimes you, you think, I'm not going to ask myself any questions. I need an EA. So I'm just going to do start, a posting for an EA. Exactly. I've had one for 20 years, so you know I, I need a new one. And uh, so not doing the, the exercise, especially when it was uh, for him a position uh, that had been filled for a long time period of time so obviously was very close to the previous person and uh, ended up hiring someone who was lovely uh, but just didn't have a good grasp of what was needed in this role so we're talking about someone who was extremely disorganized um, you know mountains of papers no filing system and uh, when this uh, this poor person uh, came into the role she was uh, she was a little bit taken aback by uh, what uh, the state of the affairs was and then uh, you know, it, 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 it did not work out. Obviously, uh, she did not have the, the organizational skills to put this in place. Uh, she didn't have, you know, what it took to, to really uh, help him. And this person did not stay. They, they were enrolled for a month and then ended up moving on, which is very costly for a company. You put in so many, um, so much efforts in the recruitment process. There's the time associated to people involved. Um, and then, you know, you have to start again from scratch. Totally. I, where this, 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 this CEO didn't take the time to, and wasn't probably real with himself of like, what am I good at? What am I not? What do I need in this ideal candidate to make this role successful? Completely skipped a step. And that's the result. Hurts your employee, employee brand, costs a bunch of money, wastes a bunch of time. Don't skip the three hours it takes to write one of these and make it fun right you can uh, you can totally. go for coffee bring <laughs> a couple of team members and 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 do that and and have fun with it yeah um i want to just share with the audience something that we're gonna 
make available in the uh, in the description. There'll be a link in the description to download this. So we've talked about um, you know we've talked about these sort of five parts of an ideal candidate profile. We've spoken about some best practices to go about making one. If you'd like to see a super exemplary ideal candidate profile that's been written f- like by a contractor for a specific role, there's two of them. I got a shout out. Um, Connor Jones with Midcon Exteriors. He's a Breakthrough Academy member and he has sent me two of his. One is for a roofing supervisor and service technician. The other one is for a production coordinator. They're perfectly written. Go through these on your own time. It'll take you 10 minutes. It will really sort of fill in, add some color to the the stuff we've been talking about here for the last little bit. Um, and And it's all very, very sort of construction and trades Focus. I'm just going to go over really quickly this uh, roofing supervisor uh, and service technician role that he's built. So uh, right on the top, he's he's got the mission and the why, right? The repair technician role is a key part of fulfillment of the promises we make to our customers. The company's brand and customer experience rely on the proper execution of the responsibilities of this role. I won't read through the whole paragraph, but there's a very, very clear why there. He's, he's, um, he's not unclear on the mission of this position. He's got five deliverables. So deliverable one, manage job sites to ensure exceptional customer experience and control the quality of the install. And then he has all the accountabilities listed below that. So deliverable two, complete quality repairs. Deliverable three, complete quality punch out and warranty repairs. Deliverable four, provide construction uh, technical support to the rest of the team. And then number five, maintain an average of a 4.0 out of five quality score. This is through Google, uh, by taking overall responsibility for customer experience and ensuring they're exceptionally satisfied. So, you know, he's clear on the results he wants this person to achieve when they get hired. He's thought through his preferences and abilities. So for this roofing supervisor and service technician, you know, this person needs to be a good problem solver. So that's something he's identified. He, they need to have tenacity. So very, very high work ethic, overcoming challenges through pure hard work. Uh, they need to have a certain level of precision. So that's attention to detail. Um, and then he needs to have a certain level of instrumental. That's, that's how, how do you come off as competent? Do you come off as presentable to customers? Because this is a client facing position. He's got his skill sets and experience needed outlined. And he actually has done some interviews with past employees and figured out what made them really strong. So this is, I would say, a 10 out of 10 example. If you want to see what good looks like, uh, check out the link in the description. You can download this. You can download the fill in the blanks template to make your own. And you can download the preferences and abilities definition. So that's a pretty robust package of goodies just for listening. Um, We really want you to take what we're talking about and actually do something with it. So, and Benji, one thing I want to highlight there, right? One of the, the examples uh, that you refer to, there's the project coordinator. Um, all of these roles uh, can be interpreted in such different ways. Very so different like what ways. you're saying, just because you know that one of your buddies has a project coordinator right. or your competitor has an assistant that supports him or whatever, um, they all mean such different things. You have to take the time to understand it yourself. And we see... Uh, contractors make these mistakes so often, especially actually, I would say in, in a lot of office roles, Benji, you see this a ton in assessments, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's a huge difference between like an office admin and a bookkeeper and an office manager. You got to think like, you got to sit down, grab a coffee, think through what does my organization need at this, at this stage? 
And also like you have to have some baseline level of understanding of what actually goes on, right? A lot of contractors, office functions, again, are a great example. You just have no clue what's actually happening in there. And you're so susceptible to making a mistake in the hiring process. One, you have no idea how much work it actually takes. You probably often underestimate it. Mm-hmm. You don't understand what, what natural preferences and abilities are needed, what skill sets are needed coming in. You're kind of like ripe for walking into a minefield, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so you, you have to have a baseline understanding of what's up before you go build something the, like the this. The title is actually somewhat arbitrary. Totally. That's just the name you it's give just it. Just the name like, you have what, to give it. What totally. really matters is the work done behind it, and that is what's summarized in the ideal candidate profile. Um, I want to end on on this question, guys. Uh, if a listener, you know, takes those examples, takes the downloadable template, they build one of these. How can they expect the rest of their hiring process to improve? Can you kind of connect this to some of the other steps in the overall funnel that we'll talk about in other episodes? Like, how how does this make the rest of it better and easier? Uh, It just sets you up for success for the rest of of the steps. So it's almost like, you know, putting that your favorite song and going for a run, right? You do it effortlessly uh, because it it kind of numbs the pain for (laughs) everything else that's to come. So basically, you have that level of clarity of of what it is that you're looking for. So it's going to make your resume screening much easier. Mm -hmm. Your interview questions will be targeted in Mm -hmm. ensuring that you measure what you want to measure. uh, And then you'll be able to speak about the role in in a very informed fashion uh, because we have to remember that candidates are interviewing us just as much as we're interviewing them and uh, and then you have uh, you know your chance of making the right selection and onboarding someone who's going to stay with you for a long term so it increases longevity for someone to join your business i love it um josiane uh where can people find out a little bit more about you and what you do well, you can find me either on LinkedIn or uh, at crewhr.co, and you'll find out all of the information about uh, what I do and, and a little bit more about my profile. Amazing. Let's let's leave it at that, guys. Before we close, I just want to explain to you what we're going to do in the next episode of this Ultimate Hiring Funnel series. We've, we've talked today about ideal candidate profiles. The next step is to take this and turn it into a perfectly written job posting that actually sells the candidate into wanting to work for you, with you. Um, if you've ever posted something online and then just sat there and saw nobody apply, it's a very depressing feeling and certainly not very productive. So if you want to learn how to write super captivating job postings that people read top to bottom, they click apply and they don't move on to the next ad, that's what we're going to be talking about in the next session. And we're excited to have Josiane back for that. Yeah. Most job postings suck and we're going to teach you how to make one (laughs) that does not suck. Yeah. Cool. Welcome back to Contractor Evolution. Uh, This is episode two of our six-part Ultimate Hiring Funnel series. So last week, if you remember, we walked you through how to build the all-important ideal candidate profile. So hopefully now you've got at least a bit of an idea how to break down a role, reverse engineer that avatar, and really think through the type of person you want to hire that you think would be super successful in the role you're looking for. Um, So now the question is, how do we use that profile to write an engaging posting that top quality applicants can't help but click on and apply. So to do that, we're joined by our amazing guest, Josiane Gaudet of Crew HR, who you should remember from last week's awesome episode. And 
Today, what we're gonna do is break down a super easy to follow framework that will have you writing compelling job postings that attract the best candidates. And don't worry, you don't need to be a wordsmith to do this. Um, she also takes us through the all important do's and don'ts, and then how to evaluate your job postings on the scale from amateur to world-class. Uh, so same as last week, this episode is chock full of a ton of free downloads available through the link in the description. So if you're listening in your car or you're away from your desk. Um, you can obviously go home and download these templates, use them to implement what we talk about right away. Okay. So let's talk job postings with Josie Ann Gaudet. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Hey, just before we jump into things, I wanted to let you know you can get the free resources that we talk about in this episode in the show description. So hit pause right now, go download them, and they'll be waiting in your inbox by the time we finish this episode. Josiane, welcome back to the show. Thanks a lot for, uh, for joining us. Amazing. Thanks, Benji. Good to see you again, Josie. Thank you. Right off the hop, um, I want to get on the same page about what we mean by a job posting. So can you define it for us? Yeah, so a job posting is really a chance to get in front of uh, of candidates. It's a chance to showcase your company. And really, it is an advertisement. Mm. It's part of your marketing collaterals, and it's uh, it's something that is, uh, uh, yeah, part of the marketing strategy and showcasing your company and the positions you're recruiting for. Keyword is advertisement, though. Absolutely. Yeah, it is absolutely a marketing piece. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people get wrong with this stage of the recruiting process is they don't look at this just like you would any other piece of marketing collateral. And I think that's the keyword marketing collateral, right? Um, this is meant to attract the right kind of person and get them to click mm -hmm. just like parts of your website. Uh, it's just like things that you might send in the mail. It's just like your, your truck or van wraps. This is a classic piece of marketing collateral that's meant to attract the right person. And we see, um, so many contractors complain about how the labor pool is so tight uh, this new generation of young people or government subsidies uh, that makes it just so hard to hire. But here's the fact. We have hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of uh, construction and trades companies in the Breakthrough Academy program, and they're really good ones. They are stacked with a talent and totally. they know how to find them. So they absolutely are out there. Um, if you cannot, or you find yourself regularly complaining about these challenges, I guarantee you, you are not marketing effectively yep. in this realm. Yep. There are a lot of very popular scapegoats when it totally. comes to like why one can't build a really good team. Millennials, the tight labor market, young kids don't want to work. Um, the list goes on. But you're absolutely right because when you profile the high performers, they've figured it out. And I think the thing we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today is like, what's the difference, right? Like what have they done that's allowed them to build that team? Yeah. And, and I'll speak at this from my personal experience over the last couple of years, like we've recruited in some uh, very competitive uh, 
markets and, and very competitive types of roles and and we found good people and i think a key part of it is because our advertisements our marketing pieces are, are very very strong exactly and you and i uh, had talked about the misconception of a job description versus a job posting totally. and lots of people out there think that it's interchangeable or it's the same thing you copy the job description and you paste it right into kijiji yeah. or craigslist and off you go that's exactly. not how it works no yeah we we say this a lot um like you need to be wearing your marketer hat mm -hmm. and if you actually take a step back and you look at um i mean you look at this series that we're that we're doing right now like this ultimate hiring funnel series if you look at it from step to step you know ideal candidate profile, job posting, then you promote it, you cast a wide net, then you you know, you know set up some interviews, you do some interviews, select them. If you look at a marketing campaign, it's literally the exact same 100%. steps. It's the exact same steps. And I think that, so there's a mindset shift there. There's a mindset, a mindset shift that you need to make early for this to work. If you approach the writing of this job posting without your marketer hat on, you will be sitting there with an empty inbox after a week of waiting and it's not a very good feeling. I've been there. It sucks. So yeah, you just on this point, Benji, you and I have mentioned this before, I think in the inter introduction to this series, but we've talked about how much people will spend both in time and money. If you just look at your budget, mm -hmm. uh, how much you have in marketing and relatively speaking, how little you have in recruiting, but where's the bottleneck, but the bottleneck is often on operations, production and people, right? And isn't that ironic? So that marketer, ha let's, let's say we're going to put our marketer hats on. Um, how, how do we actually write a job posting that meets the expectations of those high performers uh, that we're looking for? That's, that's the question that we're trying to answer today. That and Benji, you in your words right there, I think hit it spot on. It's how does this ad meet the expectations of the high performers you're, you're looking to hire? I think most people haven't really wrapped their head around and internalized what Benji just said, right? It is a lot of like, I need people to show up on time. I need them to have a driver's license. It's super hard work ethic. We're in a different age, yeah. right? This isn't like the 80s here. This is, you are in a competitive market uh, this whole marketing uh, process and these advertisements are about you capturing the attention of the mm -hmm. right person and you portraying something that is going to meet their expectations. Exactly. Absolutely. And whenever you've done recruitment in, um, in tight markets, and I see it a lot in resort towns, is, you know, candidates have five job offers uh, per day if they want to. And I think this is becoming uh, more generalized. There are so many jobs out there and it's about capturing attention and really offering something that meets the expectations of the candidate where they can see themselves grow. Yeah, because that candidate, the one that you really want, after they finish the interview with you, they're going to two more. Exactly. Like you are not, you're maybe with your competitor. Yeah, yeah, you are absolutely not their only option. So this this need to compete um, is central to this whole idea. Now, um, Josiane has helped us kind of develop a bit of a, a framework here that, like we said, meets the expectations of the high performers that you want. Uh, we're going to go through it sort of point by point. But before we do, I'll just mention there will be a downloadable version of this um, that you can that you can go to the description. There'll be a link there. Just click it. You can look at this at home. Like if you're driving right now, there's a visual version of this that you can come back and get later. But we're going to go through this point by point. And I'm going to start with number one. Um, a good job posting needs a catchy and engaging title. So what do we mean by that? 
So something that reflects uh, the position, so it, it describes what the position is about, uh, but maybe with words that are uh, a little bit more modern or trendier than, than what we used to see. Uh, again, it really has to describe the position, so if, some, if it's something that's a little bit too creative uh, and doesn't really resonate mm. with candidates, it might get confusing. Like, don't be so quirky that people have no idea what you're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Cool. We, I, I, was, I was looking through... Um, our, our BT membership, I, saw, I found a few really good ones. So here are a couple of examples that came to, uh, that, that stood out to me. Um, we're looking for a rock star customer service representative. That's like a CSR role. Advance your leadership capacity as a project lead. Um, here's a good one. Be the captain of your own ship as our operations manager. Yeah. What you don't want to do is just say carpenter. Yeah. Labor wanted <laughs> 20 bucks an hour. Um, you know, this is where you need to spiff it up a little. So yeah. that catchy and engaging title is the first thing that somebody sees when they're scrolling through a whole list of other job postings out there. You want something that at least makes them say, ah, I'm not totally uninterested. Let me click on that and see what else is there. Yeah, 100%. Keep in mind, a high performer has a really good role that they're in right now. And if they're if they happen to be scrolling through ads, they're not like, hey, I'm going to click the, this one and then I'm going to click the next one. I'm going to click the next one after that. They're like, I'm going to stroll through this for 20 minutes before I go to sleep. And if something really jumps out at me, maybe I'll click on it, but I'm probably not going to even engage in this. And that's kind of where you, that that's the mindset that you want to have as you're writing these is that you need to grab their attention in that type of moment where they're basically going and be like, I'll just have a browse. I probably mm -hmm. won't click on anything unless it's really special. So, You've got the, you, you come up with a, with a catchy and engaging title. The next thing that you guys say is um, a must are four to six engaging questions that capture interest. So right away, what, right what, what could that look like? So that could be uh, questions that showcase uh, the benefits of working for your company. So maybe uh, the highlights uh, of what you offer as a, as a business, or it could be particularities about the role. So something that's, uh, that's uh, necessary in terms of the personality or the skills that you're looking for. And it's worded in ways uh, that resonates with your culture. Uh, it's engaging and it's meant to be almost like a checklist. So it, as a candidate going through uh, you love the title that you just saw above and then you read these questions and you're supposed to recognize yourself mm -hmm. in there. So, um, you know, do you uh, love organizing uh, events and meeting really cool people? And you're, you're meant to almost like check, check. Yes, yes, I see myself. Right. And the goal would be that they see themselves in, a you know, ideally 100% of these questions, but at least 80% so that they, they do want to read on and keep yeah. moving to the next section. Some of the ones I've seen that are, are really good like we we have a super strong um renovator in, in squamish bc it's like a beautiful place mountains everywhere and it says like you know work on beautiful work on beautiful job sites surrounded by mountains like do you do you want to do that that's kind of how he frames it it's like that's they may not think of that if you just um aren't really reflecting on what the position has to offer but that is a cool thing that a lot of people on his crew really love they're surrounded by ice cap mountains with beautiful properties everywhere so he does that another one i've seen is like um, do you want to work for a small and dynamic com a company that's the right size that you can grow into? So you're, you're writing something where they go, oh, you know what? There might be a home for me here. I guess I'll keep reading. 
Totally. Yeah. You're really speaking to their needs, right? Like one we hear a lot of, uh, with, with strong leaders, like employees that you're looking to hire is, uh, they work within a very large system of a huge company where they just don't feel they can have an impact. And if that's the kind of person you're talking to that, mm -hmm. that sentence that Benji put could be really powerful. Um, I'll put another point in here. I know a lot of our breakthrough Academy members have applied and won all sorts of really cool awards, whether it's in the industry, like in construction, um, for various actual types of projects, or their fastest growing, or their best employer, best in class. This this is the place also to put these kind of awards. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that 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 prospects really like they they're seeking for a workplace that has some sort of true credibility and is best in class. Cool. Exactly. And we were talking earlier about the fact that uh, we we are trying to attract uh, uh, the younger workforce to join uh, our businesses. So what's important to them? And I think we can showcase some of these things in these engaging questions being, you know, something about your culture and how someone can have um, uh, meaning and, and uh, you know, fulfill their, their purpose in the, in the organization. It can be about the flexibility uh, that you offer in mm. terms of the schedule, the career growth, and, and all the things that millennials are, are looking for in joining the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that one a lot from prospects of like, wow, I love how there's such a huge purpose behind what you guys do. And I think, um, I mean, if you don't, if you're listening to this and, and you're, you don't have that or your organization doesn't have that right now, it's something to think about, mm -hmm. but th there is just a true reality that in the millennial, uh, group, that is a very real something thing. they're looking for. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next um, thing in this framework is, is sort of a company bio, but the way that the way that you phrase it is say why your company is so awesome to work for. So it's, I guess it's not just a simple description. We're a residential painting company that does blah, blah, blah. It's, it's like why we rock. So can you just unpack that for me? Yeah, so uh, basically how you would describe the culture. So yes, you might uh, include a few of the key elements of, of what you do and what your, um, you know, what your purpose is, and it should definitely state uh, your mission. So what you're after, uh, why your company exists, and, and why it's so fun to work with you. So maybe some of the events that you're you're involved in, your involvement in the community, mm -hmm. uh, what you're trying to achieve. So part of, of your vision, I think, should live there as well. So just to showcase where you're heading as a business. I think as well, um, just a point for, for maybe smaller companies that are maybe in your first couple of years, you don't have like that huge track record of awards that you've won and all these, you know, projects that, that you've done yet. A, a simpler way to do this almost to cheat is like, talk about why the future is so bright. Talk, talk about what your vision is. Talk about you, what you as a company are growing into. If right at this stage, you don't feel like you have this huge platform to speak from yet, you can, you can kind of speak about it in the future tense. Okay, so next is, is something you guys call the this is for you if section. What is that? So this is a section where we want people to really, really self-identify. So this is a list of bullet points. So it's different than the section above where it's like about your company name. That's in like two to three short paragraphs. So this is a bullet listed section. This is for you if dot, dot, dot. And what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to outline essentially like what's in the role what are they going to be doing? But from a perspective where the right person will be like, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's mm. me. And the wrong kind of person will be like, Ooh, no way this. And what they'll say is like, they'll be like, Ooh, interesting role name. 
I like what this company's saying, but then they'll get down to this section and they'll be like, maybe this isn't quite for me, right? Um, when we look at a bunch of people, let's say Benji, that we work with and we write in here, we say, you have a genuine desire to help people shine and be their best. The kind of people that you and I work with, they're going to look at that and be like, that's totally me. Mm. But some people are going to be way more of like a solo contributor and they're going to kind of gloss over that and not care so much, right? And Is I think it's uh, it's your chance to showcase uh, some elements of the role that people should know about. So if there's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there needs to be high attention to detail because you're a project manager managing multiple projects. I think there should be a level of transparency so it lives there. Um, and, and there could be something else, um, you know, perhaps about um, how difficult the role can be uh, sometimes, uh, just, just to, be, to, to show that level of, of transparency and really uh, narrow down on those skills. And it's a good thing if some people read this and go, eh, no, exactly. no, definitely not. Like you almost want this to repel the wrong kind of person so that they don't clutter up your inbox and you don't waste time on them. It, sh it should be that specific. So I, um, did you have something to say? No, I was just going to say to Josie's point on like how it's totally okay to illustrate how tough things can be. There's a way to write that. And this is where the copywriting becomes quite important where you're writing it in such a way where that right person is going to look at that and be like, yeah, that is me. So I'll give you an example. If it's for a project manager that is going to have to deal with tough stuff and be gritty, they're going to deal with employees turning over, they're going to deal with uh, pissed off customers or like difficult weather conditions, whatever, you might phrase it in a way where like this is for you if, and you'll say uh, you love problem solving and, and, and being the point person to get it done at the end of the yeah. goal or whatever it might be, right? So um, there, there's a way to phrase stuff in such a way where uh, it sounds challenging, but the right kind of person will still be like, I love that type of challenge. I, um, I dug up a few examples that just showcase your, your point really well, right? So this is for you if you love burying your head in plans and blueprints to build accurate proposals that keep our company profitable. So that would be for like an estimator role, right? Somebody that's like doing takeoffs, crunching numbers. Like I would read that and be like, hell no, that's not me at all. Next, you would totally say which that. is good. I would totally say <laughs> that. Here's another one. You love the process of taking a drawing and turning it into something that you can reach out and touch. So that'd be like a project manager, maybe for a custom home builder. Um, you find it really rewarding to build relationships with people you want to do business with for the long haul. Account executive, business development, some kind of salesperson. Um, here's a good one. Another one I wouldn't like. A great day for you includes fussing over the details, planning and executing to perfection. So that would be like an office manager. And you know what? Here's another point I want to make too. Like I think there are some rules um, within contracting, if we're real, that maybe aren't so sexy. Like, it, you know, if it, you, sometimes you do need like heavy lifting labor. There's, there's grunt work to be done. You, you don't need to like totally fake it, but there's a way to flip that around. So you don't want to say you know, labor wanted, it's going to be really hard and really hot. And we work, we work long days. Just say you get fired up about putting your head down to get shit done. Like that, totally. that's a great line for a labor level role. If that's indeed what you're looking for. So I think the, the framing is really, really important. And that's why we, um, instead of just putting, um, you know, qualification qualifications or a role description, we call this a, this is for you if section, because the reader, the potential applicant is able to self-identify 
and select. Yeah. So the thing you want to be focused on when you're writing this section is that is you know your realization that there are many different types of humans in this world, right? And different people naturally like and enjoy different things. And what you're trying to do in this section is is to expose the these kind of needs, the likes, desires, even if they're tough and challenging, of the kind of person that you're trying to attract. So some key words as you're thinking through this sort of bullet point type section is like, this is for you if you love dot, 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 you have a natural ability, dot, 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 you get fired up by, you truly enjoy. So these are like a few of these kind of opening words that you want these bullet points to start with. Cool. Absolutely. Um, The next uh, stop on this framework, point number five, is a in this role you will be section. So this is, I guess, your chance to describe the actual position. Exactly. So I would frame it almost as a day in the life of Mm. uh, to really paint a picture of what it looks like to be in this role. So it does refer to the responsibilities. And again, um, yeah, it's just about giving them an insight, like almost a snapshot as to what a day in the life of would look like. Cool. And I want to clarify one thing here. It does vary a lot from the job description because I think a lot of listeners would take maybe what Josiane just said and say, well, I'll just copy and paste the job description in. But what you're doing here is, is you're taking what the role is, but you're coming back to Benji's point, you're putting on your marketing hat and you're saying, how do I deliver this in a way that sounds super appealing mm-hmm. for the person that I'm going after based on what I know about them from the previous episode, which is who is this ideal totally. candidate? So Benji, what are some examples well, before I get to these the examples, I would just say if you've done the work of creating the ideal candidate profile like we talked about in the last episode, this is very little work. You're just sort of shifting the language to be a little bit more salesy because totally. all of this stuff is being thought through very, very carefully. What you're doing now is just, you know, like you said, turning it into an advertisement. So um, some good like in this role you will be um, would be, okay, prioritizing meetings and activities based on business goals and objectives. So that, so that would be for like um, a sales coordinator, an office admin, um, you know, it sounds really smart, makes it sound like you're doing cool shit all the time. That's why you'd phrase it that way. Uh, another one would be in this role, you will be fostering relationships and providing solutions to really nice customers. If you had like a, um, you know, your roofing company, a construction company, a landscaping company, and you have like an estimator that's doing in-home estimates and they're needing to sell, um, you know, to to homeowners, that would be a in this role you will be type example for that role. Um, in this role, you will be leading and empowering a team of up and comers. This, this we found from a crew lead for a landscaping businesses <laughs> from a landscaping business. So, you know, again, what you don't want to say is you will be leading, you will be managing, um, you know, some young people who from time to time are hung over and show up late and complain. Don't say that. <laughs> say you will be leading and empowering a team of up and comers. So again, all about the framing. Um, and I think in general, with these bullet points, you really want to highlight how this person will interact with customers, how they will interact with other employees, Mm -hmm. and how they will contribute to the big picture of the Mm -hmm. organization and the goals. So just keep that in mind so it's not just a list of dry tasks, but how this all plays in the big picture. 100%. Um, Next, we get to the benefits. And there's a whole 
bunch of different ways that you could describe the benefits. What what are some obvious ones? So obvious, uh, you know, our minds it immediately go to compensation. Mm -hmm. So there could be financial um, things that you want to put in there. There could be, um, you know, just the benefits in terms of medical benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, but we want to go beyond that. So we want to uh, to talk about the culture. Uh, we want to talk about uh, flexibility and lifestyle uh, and just why, um, you know, why it's so amazing to work for your company. So mm -hmm. uh, talk a bit about the experience that people will get. I think I think one um, that a lot of contractors could do a little bit better is talking about the intercompany fun or the vibe or the culture like. Hey, if you guys play on a softball team in the summer months, mention that. If you guys do uh, a weekend away in the winter as a team retreat, mention that. If you guys do wing nights every Tuesday, mention that. Like this is just a place to sprinkle in some of the fun stuff that you do for your team. And if you don't do any of that stuff, you should start. Yeah, um, I find that this to be a really key thing that gets brought up in a lot of our initial, like we call it a discovery meeting, which mm -hmm. actually precedes our interviews. And a lot of prospects bring this up to me because we, we, we highlight it on our join the team page on the website, but we do a ton of really cool shit with our team. Like, and I mean like multiple times a year, big trips. Like we just got back to like a helicopter flying multi-day river raft event. Right. Um, Th this kind of stuff is super important and, and you do want to highlight it because people want to be a part of really cool, really fun stuff with great people. Right. And, uh, and, and this is a huge part of it. So when I think of the, you know, the benefits, it's, it's the benefits. It could be like compensation, all the stuff that Josie mentioned, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's hugely around company culture. What is so cool about being a part of your team Yeah, that goes into this section. And if you're listening to this right now and you're like, man, I don't really know what I'd put in here. I think that you should take some time and ponder that because you need to do, be doing this kind of stuff. You, your team needs to have a ton of fun working together um, if you want to be able to attract high performers and make it fun for yourself to run, to run the organization. So if you don't know what to put in here, uh, you should take that back and do some deeper thinking right now. The, Definitely. The, the one thing I don't think we flushed out fully in the benefits, um, it's, it's so important, it would be learning and development opportunities. And I think that um, it, even if you're hiring a more, you know, everyone comes from humble beginnings in a lot of these companies. So even if you're just hiring, um, you know, a labor for your renovations crew, you're hiring a landscape maintenance technician for your landscaping businesses, make sure that you highlight that that's just the start. This is where, this is where you begin. This is where you can potentially grow. Here's the training, the development, the coaching, the mentorship that you're going to get along the way to move in that direction. Going back to speaking about like younger generations and what they're looking for, like that's a huge check mark. If that's missing, um, you know, nobody wants a dead end job anymore. Exactly. And even if you don't have mm -hmm. a, a, you know, a very sophisticated offering in terms of learning and, and training programs, just maybe stating the fact that uh, laborers or, um, uh, you know, frontline staff are going to be working with an experienced crew uh, that, uh, you know, has years of experience and can teach them. I think that would be a, an awesome perk to have as a, a young person joining a contracting company. So, <clears throat> I'm going to do a quick recap before we get to these last two points just to highlight something. Catchy and engaging title, you're selling. Four to six engaging questions, you're selling. 
Why is your company so awesome to work for? You're selling. This is for you if in this role you will be. The benefits. These are all, this is all written like sort of as sales copy. Then point number seven is experience required. This is what we actually are looking yeah, for. So this I is what highlight we actually that. need. So this is like a long form page, right? And just think about, so we've got all these sections. So some of them are a whole bunch of bullet points. Uh, like the, this is for you if. Some of them are like a couple short paragraphs, like about and then your company name. Uh, but all of these are selling, 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 selling. You are writing, this is an advertisement to your ideal candidate profile type of individual. So to Benji's point, we've this we've we've gone this whole time. So imagine yourself scrolling through this page. It's all this stuff, and we 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 just now for the first time get to exclusions, mm -hmm. which is this experience required, right? And that's mm -hmm. kind of what we meant earlier by this is an advertising piece. This is sales copy. Mm -hmm. And when I so when we talk to business owners that are really struggling with recruitment, they can't find good good people. If you look at what their job postings actually look like, it's literally just this experience required section. <laughs> <laughs> it's like help wanted with help wanted above want. and a cow all cowboy cursive font. All, all of this stuff, all of this stuff is missing. So, so what what do what should we have um, in experience required? Uh, so the background in terms of the education that's needed for this role, uh, if there's any certifications or tickets, uh, and then the years of experience, and then I would go a little bit beyond. So add, um, you know, perhaps uh, if, if this role requires knowledge in using different programs, I would include that in there. So on the IT side, mm. uh, and then I would go into the soft skills. So what are some of the soft skills that are essentials? They're, uh, they'll, they're deal breakers, basically, if, if you don't find them in a resume uh, and uh, and I would uh, yeah leave on maybe a few of the things that uh, are negotiables and then I would mention that they are assets and those should go at the very bottom cool so mostly a sales piece little bit of exclusionary stuff to just make sure that you know not just anyone is applying then what we finish this job posting with is what we call a call to action what's a call to action a call to action is uh, a sentence or a button that prompts the candidate to send their application. So that could be, uh, you know, if it's uh, if this job posting is on your career web page, uh, so you probably want to have a built-in button where people can click or there's a form they can uh, they can mm -hmm. fill, and it's very clear uh, that there's a sentence that says you must do this uh, or send your resume to this email address. So. So one I like, and I'll, I'll show you how almost all of ours actually end. I'll, I'll read out the call to action here. So at the end of all of this, it says, if this sounds like you and you feel ready to take on an awesome new adventure, use the application form below and let us know why you'd be a great part of our team. And then there's a field below for that where they actually have to write a little bit. Now but that would that would work if you have built a careers page or totally. a join the team yeah. page or an opportunities page on your website. If you haven't done that, I would I'd really suggest looking into it. It's not a ton of work. It really makes you look professional. Um, it's it's you know it's good for SEO. There's a lot of reasons why you might do that, and it's fairly low hanging fruit. If if you're still just posting on your typical job boards. Um, LinkedIn, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, Glassdoor, you know, whatever else. There's there's dozens and dozens of websites. 
Um, if you're using one of those, then you will be using the sort of built-in formatting of that site, which is fine too. But you can still have that those couple sentences of a call to action. That's what I'm saying, 100%. You're, you're sort of, you're held to the parameters of that site, but you should still have a very clear, you know, if you want to apply, take these actions. And that would be, you know, email a resume and a cover letter here or fill out this form or whatever. So um, that call to action piece is really important. And I, I know it seems simple, um, it's not uncommon that I've seen lots of ads where it just says, um, you know, to find out more, check out the website or, yeah. you know, here's a link and the, the reader is not super crystal clear on what it is they need to do to, to communicate with you, to express interest. And that would be such a shame if you wrote all this great stuff and then you're losing a whole bunch of stuff right yeah. at the end because it's just unclear. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's marketing pieces, piece 101, right? It's tell them exactly what to do. Yeah. And it has to be easy um, because you don't want people to go away and maybe not come back. Uh, the same way that, that, you know, at the the end of the aisles at a grocery store, when you're in front of the cashier, there's all these items almost with arrows pointing at them, yeah. you know, and, and you grab them because they're there. You want the same thing to happen with your candidates Those clicking on it. Damn chocolate bars, man. They <laughs> get me every time. Um, okay. Amazing. So, Benji, give yep. us a really quick run through. Let's summarize our sections one more time. So yeah. first so, off, catchy and engaging title that you know, somebody's going to click on as they're scrolling through. Yep. Number two, four to six engaging questions that capture interest. Number three, why your company is so awesome to work for. Number four, this is for you if, that's the section where you, uh, you know, this is, for, this is for you if you love putting your head down in plans and, and blueprints to build an accurate proposal to keep our company profitable. That's where you use that kind of language. Then number five is in this role you will be. So as Josie says, you're describing a day in the life of someone in that role. There's a the benefits section. So talking about culture, financial, lifestyle, intercompany, fun, learning and development, uh, flexibility, your actual health benefits fits potentially a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, point number seven is your experience required. So this is when you are actually talking about the qualifications you need and the deal breakers. And then number eight, there's a very clear call to action, what to do if you want to apply. This will be available <clears throat> as a downloadable sheet that you can look at. Um, when you have this in front of you, you will find writing your own job posting from scratch very quick, very easy. So I would really encourage uh, you listeners to go to the link in the description, click it, and you will be able to download it uh, for free. Yeah. And one of the things you'll see, guys, when you download this is that these are actual headings, the ones that Benji was talking about. Almost all of them are real headings. So uh, we don't have a heading on the questions that it's the heading is the actual role name. But below that, these are all headings of course says about Epic Roofing or whatever it is. Uh, that's, that's a heading below. This is for you. If that's a heading, right? So you want to make it easy for the reader, mm -hmm. um, from in, in the way, in the way that it's, that it, that it's visually laid out. So on the note of visual layouts, can we just talk about that for a second? Um, the ideal scenario is that you actually have this on your website, right? So you have if you look at our website from Breakthrough Academy, go to btacademy.com, you can actually see the join the team. There's a link at the, at the at the bottom footer. We've got a whole page for it. There's an opening video that actually outlines how awesome our team is and how cool it is to work here, like a high production value video, and then all the roles are listed in there. That's super fancy. If you don't get to that, totally cool. But at minimum, I think what you want to have is some sort of team, join the team, careers, whatever page. Um, 
But if you are just posting these on these other websites, you do the same thing. The call to action just looks a little bit different. And if you're going to advertise, and we'll get to this in the next kind of episode in the series, but as you're advertising all of your, if you're advertising through paid functions like on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, organic social, or if you're getting your employees to network um, and refer, everything drives back to that one main page on your website. And, and we have to remember that the goal is really to stand out. Totally. Um, and the bar is fairly low. There, there, this is a low-hanging mm-hmm. fruit. This is a total opportunity. It's easy if you follow this framework to really stand out uh, and, and really rise above any other job postings you know out what? there. It's such a good point. Like If you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't know if that would actually work, go and literally go to construction jobs in your city right now and look at 10. You will see it is very easy to be the best on that job posting. Very few companies are following a proven framework. They're not using well-written copy. Um, This is low-hanging fruit for sure. Um, I want to talk quickly uh, about sort of do's and don'ts. We've covered the framework. I I think the listeners probably get the steps they should follow, but what are just from your experience, like best practices, but also worst practices? And we'll, we'll start with, We'll start with the best practices. We'll start with the do's. Okay. So in the do section, you definitely want to use strong imagery. Mm. So you've probably done some of your branding work already. You know, you're you're, um, uh, well acquainted with what your your brand is all about. So you want to choose imagery that reflects your brand, reflects the culture, uh, is engaging, is showcasing your team culture, and uh, and, and is just matching really the, the job posting that you are putting out there. Get high gloss photography if you don't have some. Hire yeah. a photographer, get yourself a camera. It's really, really important. This is a really key piece. I want to highlight what, jo- what Josiane's saying. So if you haven't already, grab those downloads. They're in the show description. Uh, you could check it out. It's really cool because we give an example in those downloads. But what you'll see is really strong imagery in that example. So right off the top, this is like literally above the name of the role, is a powerful banner image showing at your ideal candidate with a huge smile on their face, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at all of ours, like if you go to Breakthrough Academies, join the team page, you click into some of those, you'll see that there too. Big banner image across the top with someone that looks like your ideal candidate, huge smile, right? And then below, uh, what you also see is on the breaks between all of these sections, we've got images where so it says like about and then company name. It's that, that, that's the place where you put that classic, awesome team shot, big smiles, people having a good time. We live in a very visual world, totally. right? social media, Instagram, people want to see and feel what this is like. So use imagery. I think through this post, you should have about five to six really good images. And to what Benji was saying, if you don't have them, it is absolutely worth the six, 700 bucks to hire a professional photographer, set up a shot list and, and, and take some photos of some really cool stuff. You can, the thing about the, the photography too is like we're talking about it in the context of making a good job posting. You're going to use that stuff in so many different places in your business. On your website, you use it for marketing. Like it's, that's, a, that's a total no-brainer to get that done. So imagery is the first do. What's the next do, Josie? So 
going along with imagery, it's the spacing. So you have your images, you have your sections well-defined, and then you want to make sure that there's proper spacing in between all of this. So the idea is that you're looking mostly, most people are, out there are, are looking for clear thinkers. So you want to showcase that you are a clear thinking company as well, and that your information is concise and presented in a way that's easily digestible. 100%. And we've seen so many of these ads where it looks like a bit of a discombobulated mess. And uh, again, coming back to this point of you're, you're selling, you're trying to attract a real A player here. An A player is going to look at that and be like, I don't work for companies that communicate this way. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'll give you another do, Benji, is, is check your spelling and your grammar. <laughs> this should be perfectly written, right? Like there's yep. no excuse to not oh. have this exceptionally well written. Again, an A player is going to be looking for someone that does stuff at a high level. Having spelling and grammar mistakes all over, this is going to be like an instant turnoff to high 100%. performers. Yeah. And another one would be finding the right balance between the want and the give. Ah, so, yes. okay. <laughs> so I always like to talk about recruiting as um, it is very similar to dating. So you want to put something out there that really showcases, um, you know, the, the right balance between what you are offering to candidates uh, versus what you are requesting right. from them. Uh, and uh, I was joking <laughs> about uh, you know going on a date when I was uh, uh, when I was younger, and uh, the person uh, you know was just uh, chatting, and he said uh, you know basically uh, you know in a life partner I'm looking for someone who's going to do the cooking and the cleaning, and taking care of the kids and have an awesome career. And then he stopped and he said, well you know I'll take the trash out, but that's pretty much what I'll do. And I was like, whoa, this is... <laughs> so don't write a job... Don't write a job posting the way this date went. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's the lesson. And, uh, you know, bless his heart. And I often think of him when I write job postings because <laughs> I imparted some serious wisdom on you. <laughs> exactly. So really, you know, think about at least 50-50 of what you're offering versus what you what you want. So the requirements mm -hmm. for the job. And if you could do 80-20, that's even, even better. better. Even better. Exactly. I know. Yeah. I see a lot of job postings when you, and you read them and you're like, this is super demanding. I totally. want, I want, oh, yeah. I want, I want, we need, we need, we need, we need 25 bucks an hour yeah. and then an email address. And it's like, you know, you kind of need to, it's tough. You need to, on some level, check your ego a bit when you're writing these things because a potential employee is, they have needs too, like your customers. They have needs that need to be met. They're thinking about the kind of employer that they want to work for. And that's why I think that framework that we went through earlier is so beautiful because it just gives you a super plug and play way to tell that story in a way that they get immediately. Yeah, and this is especially true for this millennial generation that I think uh, does get a lot of flack, but there's so many high performers within very, yeah, free thinkers, very dynamic people, but they need to have, they need to have the latitude in their role, but they also need to understand, like, I'm going to develop and grow here. It's a very deep rooted need of this new generation. Mm -hmm. So do we have any other dues? One last one. Okay. So it would be the feeling that you want the person to leave mm. with after reading your job posting. So if someone is confused or exhausted by just reading the job posting, that's not a good feeling. So really thinking about, you know, creating a feeling of excitement, of curiosity, um, you know, whatever word you come up with that that's positive and that's going to translate in action. Uh, that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Okay. On that point, uh, I think that this is something once you finish writing it, 
as the business owner, I mean, this is, this is what you're writing as the marketing piece to attract people to your organization. You got to be proud of this page, right? So read it from that perspective and ask yourself, am I super proud of this thing? Show it to your husband, your wife, to some friends and be like, is this awesome energy? Like, is this awesome energy here? Mm -hmm. Tell me. And, and if it's not like, yep, huge thumbs up, this sounds freaking awesome, you got to do some tweaks, whether it's the copy or the imagery or the layout or the spacing, but it should be something that you're really proud to share and to send out. Cool. Um, let's go through some don'ts. I got one more question after that and then we'll wrap, but I want to hear, uh, you know, the things to avoid. Yeah. So one huge one I think is, you know, we unfortunately we're in an industry where everyone's recruiting for the same thing. Uh, you'll see that, you know, as Benji said, if you just go and look at a, at a whole bunch of ads and uh, one thing you really don't want to do is blend in because everyone is hiring for a lead hand, for an estimator, for an office administrator, uh, and they all sound exactly the same. Like you have to have to be unique. And I think this formula that we gave you here will is, is a really strong starting step. But just think about that when you're writing all the copy, when you're choosing all the images, it has to be different. So that's a pretty key one. Yeah, and don't be different by using, you know, font that is off-brand. Like, <laughs> yeah, no bad font. <laughs> like the cowboy font that says wanted. Yeah, yeah. yeah just avoid that. No comic sans no. either. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and the, the one I mean I mentioned earlier, like like a, a big do is 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 just to, to check your grammar and your spelling. Like don't you wanna you wanna be cognizant of like who you're writing to. So it does have to be like it's gotta be funny and engaging, but it does also have to be professional and you have to just watch um, you know, what we've talked about is, is, is gotta be inclusive as well, especially in this, in this day and age is, is pretty important, right? Like we have, when you look at a lot of our imagery, it's like a lot of guys and girls in images, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, any other don'ts? Don't sell something that's not true. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 No over promising. No, exactly. And, uh, you know, and I think if you notice something that's uh, that's a bit off, then it's a chance to to fix it. Uh, but if if it's something that you can't fix, you know, just you know, you work out of a basement, uh, then maybe you know, don't sell that it's an awesome uh, you know bright <laughs> <laughs> workspace. <laughs> yeah, and and there's a bit of a fine line, Benji. You, you talked about you know the difference of like, well, you got to work every day of the year in cold and rain and everything to like you get to work out in the fresh air around really awesome people. Those are two different ways to kind of phrase the same thing, but you got to be careful. There's a fine line like that, that I wouldn't consider that being no. misleading, but you don't want to be truly misleading. You want to be on the positive side of it. So, so, okay. There's a difference between a little bit of healthy embellishment for the sake of marketing and flat out lying. And if you're writing this and you're finding that you're having to lie a lot to get something like halfway decent first of all don't post it and second of all there's some reflection that needs to be done on a whole bunch of other stuff within the business so um, keep listening to contract so evolution so keep <laughs> listening um I, t I got i got one more to toss in here at the end don't have um you know send your email to i love cars 92 at hotmail.com have a professional email, even if you don't have like a proper, like a, you know, at your company name.com yet. Um, just have it professional sounding as a Gmail or as a, as a whatever, but for heaven's sakes, no yeah. old hotmails. Yeah, just ours is super simple. I mean, it's, it's on, on the website, you fill out the form right there. So you don't even have to bother sending an email. That's the ideal. But if you do have an email, I just keep it like ours is join the team at btacademy.com. So that's, that's the simple one to go with. Exactly. 
Okay, I want to I want to end with with a question. Um, let's say a listener has listened to this, then they they you know they get home, they they download the stuff that we're sharing, they you know take a few weeks to implement this, they get a they get a really well written job posting up. How will they know that it's working? Is there sort of evidence that's proof? Hey, you know what? You've done an awesome job on this, and it's working. Well, they'll receive uh, more resumes and their pool of talent will have increased in terms of the quality. So it's not just about generating more resumes, but it's about getting those resumes that are really what you are looking for. So you'll see an improvement on that side and you will notice it uh, as well when you invite people for interviews and you engage in conversations with them, you'll see that the interview process is so much easier, has more of a flow to it. People Mm -hmm. are coming informed uh, and it makes her excited and it makes for a much greater conversation. Yeah, I've heard this so many times in the last couple of years in the in the initial discovery meeting uh, when I meet somebody time and time again, I hear the same sentence and that is, wow, I read the job ad and it just spoke to me like nothing I've clicked on before. And and a lot of the times we're recruiting people that that aren't necessarily just out looking for jobs, but it was something about our post which is in this framework that we laid out that gets these kind of people that aren't even truly in the market to click and 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 it's word for word they're like it just spoke to me and exactly who i am and what i'm looking for and i think you're going to hear that a lot and it's such a great opener to your point josie around the flow of the conversation i mean these discovery meetings are typically set for an hour and a half and we're almost always over just because there's such a great natural flowing conversation and and a lot of the time it's, it does stem from from that actual ad. I love it. Um, That's awesome. Benji, before we wrap, I got one more really quick thing sure. that I think is might be on the mind of a lot of listeners is so we've laid out a whole bunch of this structure and these sections and these categories. And some people might be, you know, might be driving in your truck right now and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa what about, don't you put like how much you're going to pay these people in there and the mm, whole conversation, right? right? Um, and let's just unpack that for two seconds because I think it is an important point. So I'll tell you, I never have listed it in and I think a lot of people kind of might might argue that and I think there are some different pros and and cons um the reason is at least for me I think if you've put together a really solid job ad here in the way that we've set it up with amazing copy it's nice and long form it's beautifully laid out with tons of white space the imagery is fantastic someone's not going to come to that and be like oh this looks like a company that might pay low does this matter I, we, we get into the conversation and, and I'll tell you, it hasn't, is never come back to bite me. Um, so that, that's kind of mine. I think that there's a lot of kind of downsides. Josie, you maybe lay out some of them for us. Like what are some of the downsides of potentially having it in there? Yeah. So showcasing compensation may, um, impact the uh, level of confidentiality that you want to keep internally yeah. regarding your compensation structure. Uh, Both so could be internally for your employees, but also with competitors, right? Exactly, exactly. So it might affect your comp- competitive advantage. So then you might have your competitors start paying more than you are or yeah. trying to attract your own talent to join them. So I'd say those are, are the biggest risks of, uh, of posting compensation. And I think you may also have, uh, as a result, people applying for salary if you totally. are you know, a good payer in the market. And then you may have some misalignment in terms of values. So if that's the main driver for someone to send their applications, it's probably not going to be a great fit in the long run. Yeah, 100%. To that point, I think if, if you're doing it right, it, it doesn't even come up till much, much later. I'm typically kind of like at the end of a second very long meeting before we even before I even ask that question of like, 
hey, to you know, live a really good, fulfilled life, how much money do you need to be making? That, that actually comes in, we're probably like four hours into conversation mm-hmm. at that point. It's so clear how professional it is and how solid our team is. They'll know that we're not hiring these people and built this epic team by paying minimum wage. Um, yeah. And then Benji, why do you, like in what case would you, do you think you would want to put it in? So I think the case could be made um, if you are, if it's an hourly position, um, if it's more seasonal work and it's an extremely tight labor market, you may want to post sort of a range of what the hourly wage might be depending on how their interviews go, their qualifications and sort of that, that's that, you know, onboarding process. Um, so you, you could do it then, but I agree, I agree for higher level roles for anyone in a managerial position in a decision-making position in a leadership position, it's probably best left out and then brought up organically in conversation when you're actually working with this candidate through the rest of the funnel, which we will talk about later. But, um, yeah, only in cases where you'd have super tight labor market and it's an hourly role. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's, let's end it there. Josiane, where can people find a little bit more about you, find out more about you and what you do? Well, you can go on HR, uh, sorry, crewhr.co uh, and, and read about the services that we offer. And you can also find me on LinkedIn and find out a bit more about my profile. But um, not, not at your Hotmail address? No, not at Hotmail <laughs> address. <laughs> um, before we say goodbye, I just want to, I just want to sort of plant a seed for the next episode. So we've, to recap, we've done a full episode on ideal candidate profiling, understanding who you need before you go out and look for them. We just finished one on how to write better converting job postings. Next, what we're going to talk about is how to get this distributed. How do you get this perfectly written job posting in front of as many people as possible? The goal is to have thousands and thousands and thousands of eyeballs on this. So we're going to talk about promoting this in a way that leads to an inbox that is chock full of resumes. Um, so that's coming up next in the ultimate hiring funnel series. Josiane, thank you so much for doing these, these last two episodes with us. They were awesome. Thanks for having me. You guys are awesome. Cheers. Thanks, Josie. Welcome back to Contractor Evolution in episode number three of the Ultimate Hiring Funnel series. Okay, so to set this up, uh, I want you to think for a second about your current recruiting strategy and specifically how much of it relies on lucking out and having the exact right person see your posting at the exact right time. Like, are you actively recruiting for top talent or are you passively waiting for a needle in the haystack? Making a great hire is impossible if you don't have anyone good to choose from, which is why 90% of the hiring problem from our perspective is fundamentally top of funnel. You can practice your interviewing skills all you want, and we definitely will in the next episode of this series, but if you don't have a great pool of candidates to interview, where does that leave you? Now, we've all at some point felt this frustration of posting an open position on a job board only to find that a few days later, you know, maybe a few totally unqualified people have applied and that's it. This hope and pray strategy has led many lesser entrepreneurs to all but abandon the search entirely, comforting themselves instead with stories and excuses that often blame lazy millennials, COVID, or some government policy. 
but that's not you. As an evolved contractor, you know that promotion of your job ads and your, and your employer brand is the missing link in this all important chain. So to speak in depth about active tactics and promotional recruiting, we're really excited to have Asid Zaman on the show with us today. Asid is the CEO of Sales Talent Agency. They're an international recruiting firm that has helped acquire talent for over 1,500 companies. And some of them you know pretty well, Harley Davidson, SAP, IBM, Salesforce, Sonos, just to name a few. Asid has won Toronto's Young Professional of the Year in 2019, and you're going to see pretty quickly why in this episode. This guy is seriously dialed. And there's also a very good reason why we decided to bring someone from outside the trades and construction space in specifically for this topic, because the level of sophistication in recruitment and employer brand and really all things hiring is a lot more evolved in other industries such as tech where he plays. So with that, there's a lot that we learned in today's conversation. So some of the really cool things we explore today with Asid, he talks about the three talent pools that are available to any entrepreneur and why most of you are barely scratching the surface of just one of them. He also talks a lot about this concept of strategic empathy and how placing yourself in the shoes of these prospects and candidates is a way better way to get strong results. And lastly, he gets into how to integrate this talent acquisition mindset into your company culture, especially the people that you're promoting. So without further ado, let's get into some wicked wisdom from today's amazing guest. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Hey, just before we jump into things, I wanted to let you know you can get the free resources that we talk about in this episode in the show description. So hit pause right now, go download them, and they'll be waiting in your inbox by the time we finish this episode. Asad, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. We Amazing. really appreciate you doing this and uh, th this conversation in this whole in this whole six part series. I think this is one that I've been looking forward to the most, if I can even say that I, I shouldn't have favorites, <laughs> but I might because this is this is the crux of the issue. Right. And I, I, I want to start here. Uh, this conversation with something that you said to me when we were just kind of chatting about this last week, which was um, making a good hire is impossible if you have nobody good to choose from, right? And I've mm -hmm. just, it's so simple, but I've, I've, I've never heard it phrased in, in such a clean way. And I, I think a lot of contractors feel that. It's like, I can do interviews all day long. I can try to profile people and, and make the best choice. But if my, uh, what I have to select from is pretty limited, you know, we're, we're dead in the water. So can you just unpack for us um, why solving this top of funnel issue is so fundamental to success in business? So a while ago, we started um, talking to companies and trying to understand why they thought they were making bad hires, right? Like what was going on? Why did they have turnover? And we started with some really large companies, uh, some of the most recognizable names in the software world. Um, and we went across the board. We went to mid-market firms. We went to small organizations. And we kept hearing this very common piece of feedback. 
we missed something in the interview process. Everybody was saying this. And at the same time, they were investing in um, learning how to do interviews better. They were investing in psychometric testing and bringing in consultants to help them interview. Um, and we thought, okay, there's some logic there. But saying that all of this, this entire problem is caused by our inability to identify if this person was good or not can't really be the whole issue. And what we realized is that they are just selecting from a crew that wasn't very high quality. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have good people to choose from, you're going to make a bad choice, right? You could be the world's best person at interviewing. You will make a bad choice, right? And so to make a good choice, the first thing is having good people to choose from. Then even somebody who gets a B grade at interviewing and without any psychometric testing and all of these things, you will most likely make a good choice. Um, there are, it's not to say that choosing is not something you should think about. I'm not saying that you shouldn't invest time and energy in equipping the people that you hire uh, for success. But the first place you've got to think about and invest time and energy in solving a problem uh, is making sure you have good people to so uh, pick from the top of the funnel. I think that um, a, a lot of our, our listeners um, either feel right now or, or have felt in the past like they they really just are stuck in a position where they'll they'll take who they can get. It's like in, like interviewing and being choosy like that's a luxury reserved for other business owners. But for us, we just kind of like you know they're they're. We're, there's, there's not enough people here to choose from. We're, we're taking the scraps. And I, like that's sort of a dramatic way of saying it, but I've, I've actually spoken to entrepreneurs who are really, really frustrated because they're just like, I post something and I wait for a week and there's like three resumes. And like, what do I do? Yeah, that's like um, somebody who wants to lose weight saying, I want to lose weight. I sat on the couch for a bit and I, I waited, nothing happened. I don't know what's going on, right? Yeah. Like, it's you can't just like post a job and hope that somebody amazing is going to apply to you. Um, who are you? Why are you so special? Like, why should you be this lucky consistently? Really? Like, that's it makes no sense. And so, I no, it's I, th th that's a really good point on on the consistency. And I'll I'll, I'll say something in, in in a second, but go, uh, go go ahead on that point aside. I think it's understanding that in our businesses people are really important, right? And if you have really good people, then you really have a competitive advantage in the, in the world out there. And if you talk to the same people that are complaining to you about posting a job and not finding good people, um, ask them this question, how, how much of an advantage is it for you uh, when you have somebody really good. And they'll usually say it's a huge advantage. My clients love that person. The work we can do is a lot better. It got us repeat business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so if that is the case, then why aren't you investing in solving this problem? Because I can assure you, look around. There are a lot of companies that have solved this problem, right? There are yeah. a lot of companies that hire great people, find them, attract them, know how to pick them, know how to keep them. Lots of them. So and I can assure you, they're not just posting a job up there and hoping that somebody great applies to it and they get lucky all the time. And so look at what they're doing and start doing some of those things um, and you might not be this frustrated. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point Asad made around the, the consistency, right? I think a lot of us have gotten lucky once or twice, perhaps mm -hmm. with, with some good hires just by having like, like a half decent maybe posting strategy. But if you're going to be 
really good in this space for the long term, and we are, of course, in a very people-driven business, you need to have a consistent engine for generating applications over the long haul because the volume of people that you're going to need over the course of your mm -hmm. career as a very entrepreneurial contractor is a lot. Like you're going to hire who knows how many hundreds of people and, and, and yeah, you may get lucky here and there, but if you don't have a consistent engine, it's going to be hard over the long haul. So it is a skill and a method that's worth figuring out. It's also a set of habits and, and, the, and the, the word engine is the right one. Most, most contractors are familiar with like their sales and marketing engine. There's a steady flow of leads. They're doing estimates every week. Some percentage of those convert into sales and then they go and produce them for a profit. But that same engine mentality is missing yeah. is missing on this side of the business. It's a secondary activity, something that they do when they have time when in reality, what Assad is saying, and, and we're going to unpack this thoroughly today, is it, it's a core function of your business. There's serious time, resources, money, energy devoted to this. And that's just the way it is. You can you can make up a story about like, hey, there's nobody out there. Nobody wants to work for me and have this very like downtrodden approach to it. Or you can look at it, as you said in other episodes, it's a market like any other. So you just, you just need to adjust. And I think smart entrepreneurs are right now and they have been and, and, they're, and they're seeing it uh they're seeing it benefit their business in in myriad ways i want to um get your perspective Actually, before you run into that there's sure. something that you said that's worth breaking down so you called it if you think about a business um in this space like a marketplace a lot of them have invested time money and energy in solving the demand problem right which mm. is the marketing and sales side and it's not an easy problem to solve. It's sophisticated. It's complex. You've got to really um, think of a number of very interesting, in, interesting, innovative ways to get in front of customers and get their interest and close business with them. If you're a marketplace, you have a demand side and a supply side. The supply side of this world is the people. And no marketplace catches fire and grows exponentially unless you solve both of those sides. The interesting thing in this world, though, is that a lot of the things that they do on the demand side, if they actually took that same mindset over to the supply side, they would actually be able to attract great people, right? Like, it is a marketing and sales game at the end of the day. Um, we think of it as an HR problem. It's a marketing and sales problem. And if you can start thinking of your business as a marketplace where you need to keep solving for the demand and supply side of things, I think it puts you in the right mind frame uh, to mm. build properly. thousand percent. A thousand percent. So that's why we wanted to have you on. Um, if, in your kind of extensive experience in this world, um, have you observed any like external factors, macro trends in the economy, different generations um, that that have made this situation harder? Because this is what a lot of people will say. They'd be like, I started my business X many years ago. I remember a time where I like all I had to do was like post a couple postings and, and I'd and I wake up in the morning and there was an inbox full of resumes. I'd call up a few and I, like it just it just wasn't this hard. So are there some things out there in the world that you can point to to actually just maybe validate that feeling? I think that is a lazy way to think, um, right? Like the, the entire economy evolves all the time and good business leaders don't just uh, reminisce about yesteryear, they adjust to the dynamics that are out there today, um, right? There's always, it's cyclical. And so it's gonna change and it's gonna evolve. 
And somebody good is like a mixed martial artist who can adjust according to right. the dynamics in place today. Um, so yes, you can you can make an argument that right now we have gone through a pandemic. The pandemic forced a shutdown. It forced everybody to really rethink their lives, ask some really big questions of themselves, like what do I want my life to be? And am I fulfilled? Am I getting what I want from the way that I deploy my time? And it is also very fair to say that some of those people, when they ask themselves that question, the answer is what I'm doing right now is not what I want to continue doing. I need to make a change. There's a lot of, there are a lot of people in every industry that have had that moment. Mm -hmm. It's also fair to say, and I, I'm, I, there's an argument that people have been making that people are getting stimulus, uh, stimulus checks. And so why would they have an incentive to go work? Sure, there might be a group of people that have said, these checks are just so good that I'm not going to go out and find a job. I so much money. I'm just buying everything, right? Because <laughs> right. of it. Like, I'm just, I'm loaded right now. Sure, maybe, right? But it's also fair to say that there are a lot of people out there that are working. The economy is growing. The stock market is at record highs. The GDP growth rate has been great. Um, thousands of people have been hired every week for the last many, many months. A lot of companies have hit record numbers in terms of their employee count. So a lot of companies are being have solved this hiring problem for themselves. Is it easy for them? No, but they've thought about it. They've adjusted to the market and they've done the things required to be able to solve for it. I think the macro trends are there. Um, and the biggest thing I would take away from this macro trend uh, this situation we have gone through is the following. If your job is not fulfilling to people, they will leave your industry. We see that in the hospitality industry, right? Mm. People are not going back to hospitality. They don't feel like that's a place I want to deploy my time anymore. Um, and so what has it led to? It's led to an increase in compensation. Companies are trying to do all sorts of creative things to hire people over there, but they're struggling because a lot of people have left that industry. Learn a lesson from that. Um, you know, there were a lot of things people in that industry just didn't get. There was a lot of good things about those jobs. I've done them, right? Like you learn a lot and you can make decent money, etc. But when people looked at it overall, it wasn't giving them what they were looking for. And I think there are many other sectors where those type of dynamics play out, where there's no career path. Mm -hmm. The money is not lucrative enough. And sure, in a market where it's not a candidate's market, right, where not, the economy is not growing, meaning there's not high demand for candidates, over there, yes, you can be you can pay people a little bit less than what they might be worth and you don't have to give them a career path because they're desperate. Mm. Um, but that's not good for the world. We're in a good spot where people have options, good options available to them and they're leaving shitty jobs to go do those jobs. You wanna hire people, give them what they need. They need a career path, they need training and development, they need to make good money. If you give them those things, you're not gonna have such a hard time hiring. Yeah, su su such great points, guys, such great points. I think this note of, of this the whole problem is is really centered around a marketplace and the reality is is that there are so many companies in this modern economy that have figured this out really well mm -hmm. this talent acquisition play and and if um and if you're serious about being an entrepreneur you have to play at that level too otherwise you're, you're simply going to get beat out 
in that because so many others have have figured it out. So Asad, here's I want to get into some of the nuts and bolts of this conversation. And I really loved when, when we spoke last time, you explained it so well and so eloquently that if you put yourself into the shoes of a really good person in this marketplace, they can be at these three different, I guess, stages, as you call them, of, of, of their of their life. Like we're either, you know, there, there's some that are actively working, but they're kind of open to an opportunity. Uh, there's some that are not working, that, that are just kind of working, but they're just, they wouldn't even think about other stuff. Tell us a bit about like how you look at, at the div- individuals that are out there and the different types of approaches um, that you might take. Give us just a summary and an overview of all of them, and then maybe we'll get into them uh, one by one. Sure. So if you think about people, they are searching for something, right? When they work for an organization, um, they are trying to build a life for themselves. They're trying to make money. That's the first level, right? They need some security. Um, if they've got that, then they want it to be enjoyable. And if they're doing well, they want growth from there. They want a company that invests in enabling that, all of these things. And so depending on how much a person is getting uh, in terms of these needs of theirs at an organization, in a particular role, um, defines how open they are to a next step, Mm -hmm. right? So if a person is getting everything, then they're not actively looking for a job. They might not even be open to having a conversation with somebody they trust. Why? Because they're getting what they want. They're super excited and engaged. I know for most of my career, if anyone reached out to me, I was like, I'm good. Like I have everything I need and more Mm -hmm. over here. There's no chance that I'm going to be looking at something else. I just don't want to. Now, you can also assume that that's not everybody's reality all the time, right? We've all been in roles where sometimes some of this stuff is missing. Uh, maybe we're not making as much money as we want. Maybe our boss sucks. Maybe they're not investing in our development. Maybe they have un- unfair expectations of us. Maybe there's no opportunity for growth. If one or more of these things are missing, but we have and we have the majority of them, but one or more, one or two are missing. Mm. We might be open to a conversation, right? Somewhat passively, though. We're not aggressively going out knocking on doors saying, "Give me a job, give me a job." But if you reach out to me and you say, "You, I got this job. It's interesting. This is the company. This is what they do. Um, the the person that's hiring is really cool. You need to talk to them." I might have a conversation. Fair to say, right? Mm-hmm. So you would call that person a passive candidate. They're not aggressively looking for a mm. job. They're just passively open to an opportunity. And then if a person is not getting the majority of these things in an organization, what do you call them? An active candidate. They want to get the hell out. They will, they're actively, aggressively looking for a job. They're knocking on your door. They're knocking on Benji's door. They're knocking on Matt's door. They're looking at job boards. They're applying. They're cold crawling people. They're doing whatever they can to find a job. So those are the three types of candidates. And the thing with organizations, um, especially I think organizations that are complaining about their ability to find candidates is they usually only focus on one of those talent pools, right? What do these companies usually do? They post a job and they hope somebody applies for it. Mm -hmm. Which talent pool are you targeting with that? The ones that are aggressively looking for a job. But mm. of that talent pool, you really want a particular quality of a candidate, right? You want really good people. And so you're hoping that somebody really good 
is not getting everything that they're looking for, is aggressively looking for a job when I have posted that job and applies to it. We call this a luck-based strategy. You should always try to get lucky, but you cannot rely on luck. Right. So that's one type of approach to finding candidates. The second approach are uh, people in your network, mm. right? You're going to then say, if one place I can find people are people that are actively looking for a job, going to the job boards, the second group will be people within my network um, that I can tap into. I'm going to um, tell e all my employees and my friends and my family, et cetera, that, hey, I'm looking to hire somebody. Do you know somebody that fits this uh, criteria? I'd love to talk to them. Now, the thing is that if you're Google and Amazon, you can probably make a shit ton of hires through that talent pool, yeah. right? But if your your business, my business, or one of these other businesses, our networks are somewhat small, right? Like they're not a lot of people working in our firms yet. They're not hundreds of thousands of employees. So what does that mean? The network is small. Hence, always tap into your network. You'll usually find really good people from there, but you cannot rely on that, which means where else do I look? If I'm not going to find them from my network, I'm not going to find them from the job boards, where else do I look? And that's talent pool number three. There are people out there that can do this job. They have no idea who you are. They've not heard of you. They're not aggressively looking for a new job. They might be that semi-passive type of candidate. Uh, somebody has got to approach them, help bring, make them aware of who you are and why this might be a great op uh, opportunity for them in their careers and get them interested in your organization. That's talent pool number three. Our point of view on recruitment is that for most types of companies out there, their best hires consistently will come from this talent pool. We also know that most companies do not really focus in on this talent pool. Mm -hmm. So it's an under-targeted, under-appreciated talent pool that could be the difference between hire, hiring consistently C players or A players. So I'll stop there and then but you it, ask me probe. Yes, it's great. It's great. I, I love the way you broke that down. There's kind of, there's three pools. There's your network. There's people that are actively looking. They're on Craigslist. They're on Kijiji. They're on LinkedIn, Glassdoor, ZipRecruiter, whatever. They're, they're actively looking for something. And then there's people that aren't even on the market that you could tap and potentially engage. And I, it's, it sounds like a smart business owner would, would be employing all, like they, they'd be using all three um, yep. in, in like in a synchronized fashion. Why don't we go through just like some thoughts or some practical advice to maybe get the ball rolling in, in all three of these pools? You wanna and, sorry, just a really quick point. I want to say just something so simple, but great that Asad said. And so I work good enough, Benji, you and I at math to understand maybe just basic fractions, right? Yeah, right. right. Uh, if you know you're you're basically hoping for and, and i think that's the really good word is hope and luck right you've got a small fraction of people that are actively looking and that's the only pool that most are mining and mm -hmm. within that then you've got your qualification criteria where it's like two percent of maybe the people in that pool are the ones you're looking for but you've already diluted it with mm -hmm. a fraction to begin with so you're not even you're by no means looking at all the great people out there you're looking at a not small fraction of them yeah. and then you're looking at a tiny percentage within that and and that's why there's no consistency you know it says, it says you might get lucky but um you you're just not. you you over the course of time you won't because you're looking at a very small pool and and it is a very just simple switch in mind frame of how do we open up the whole um, 
our whole net to all the people through some yeah. of these other strategies. So it's you good. You guys said something a little while ago, which was, I think what you said was um, that a lot of people will once in a while have found somebody good through this channel, right? And we all have, right? Like if we're real with ourselves, I have posted a job and found found somebody really good from Totally. Me. So have I. Yeah. But what are the odds, right? Like how often does it happen? Maybe once in 10 times. If you went to the casino and played roulette and you had to put 100 bucks on 10 or on red 10 times and you won only once, like it's not great, right? Um, so that's really the problem with it. When getting lucky once creates a really bad habit in us. It makes us lazy because next time we're like, let's try and get lucky again. Um, and we're not even realizing that we're relying on luck. We just think that's the only way to do it. And we need to start thinking that this is the, if we found somebody through here, fantastic, but really focusing on everything else um, so that we can build companies with great people. Amazing. So let's let's break down these three pools and, and get your thoughts on just some practical advice um, on each. Uh, we'll go your network first, then we'll talk about the people that are actively looking because we actually have in this series talked about how to write great job postings for that specific category. And then I want to get into the third, which I know is is your power zone. But let's talk about let's talk about people in your network first. What what should a, a smart business owner do in that category? Well, I think the first thing is recognizing that you want to start creating programs to tap into people's networks early on. But you have to realize that based on how big that network is, it might not be a very fruitful source of candidates consistently. But if we look at the math of this, like let's say two out of 10 hires we found through our network, one out of 10 hires we found through and the job boards, and then a couple through headhunting. You know, now we're building a good team, like we're spreading our risk out, right? Um, and the bigger you get, the more prolific your network becomes yeah. in terms of a source of pipeline. How do you tap into it? I think the first thing is recognizing you have to give people an incentive to do extra work, right? So you've got some employees, and what you're hoping is that your employees know people, and within their networks is somebody good who can do the job, who'd want the job, um, and who'd fit into your culture. And so something very simple, this is not a sophisticated strategy is, Put a bonus, a referral bonus, and say, if anyone um, introduces us to somebody that we end up hiring, we'll give you a bonus, a couple of grand, right? Um, now, you also want to add a filter in there. You just don't want them to introduce you to anyone, right? You want them to introduce you to good people. And so say, part of that, bo the first part of that bonus we're going to pay you uh, once they pass their probation, and the second part of their bonus, we're going to pay you if they hit their six-month performance target. So now what you've got is you've got people that are making an upside based on the introduction they make, but only if the introduction is good. And so now you've got their network. The thing is that we want them to actually tell their network to give them someone. So we want to tap into second and third degree connections right. as well. And so if you say to these people that, we're happy for you to split this bonus up with other people based on how you feel fit. 
feel free to do it. Like we don't we don't care. We just want to get good people. So now what this person can say is, okay, I'm going to get a three thousand dollar bonus if this person was hired through my network. I'll keep one and a half thousand. I'll give up one and a half grand, or I'll keep one and I'll give away two to whoever in my network now introduces me to them. What happens? They go on Facebook and they make a post to like 900 of their friends. They go on some other social network on Instagram and they make a post over there. Um, they message their cousins and everybody else on WhatsApp, on their WhatsApp groups, and they say, yo, I'm looking, like, tell me, who do we know, right? So you start really getting some results over there. Um, that's the first thing. Now, the second thing is that it's not just employees who can give us referrals. Um, how many people do we interact with on a regular basis running our businesses? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in university, I ran a company called A to Z Property Maintenance. We used to do driveway ceiling, lawn aeration. So I, I've been in this world. I used to sell door to door. And towards the end of our run, like when right before I graduated, we were doing uh, renovations of uh, houses. And we did quite a few really large projects, um, large for us as students, right? Like a hundred grand type of project. Mm-hmm. Now, in that, um, there were things we could do and there were things we couldn't do. We sold the whole project, right? We like, we can renovate it all. And we didn't even know how to do flooring. We didn't know how to do painting. Like we knew literally 25% of the scope of that project. So what did we do? We found partners for the rest of it, right? I found somebody for painting. I found somebody for the flooring. I found somebody for the interlock. And so those are people that we all know. Tap into that network, like reach out to them. Be like, hey, I'm growing my business. This is the type of person I'm looking for. Um, do you know anyone? Like we're, we're giving away a referral bonus to people. Um, do you know somebody? Feel free to share this with your network. Um, if they think that you're a good place to work, um, they will usually tap into their networks. I can also tell you a good way to know that people don't think you're a good place to work is you do all this stuff and you get no referrals. Right. It means everybody thinks you're a shitty employer and you've got some bigger questions to ask of yourself um, uh, before solving your hiring problem. You're probably not even going to be able to retain good people. That's a whole other situation, right? Um, so you tap into your partner network um, and your supplier network. Yeah. And the last thing you can do is you can get involved with places where these people are getting skilled, Mm -hmm. right? So colleges or wherever they go to learn the craft. And over there, there's there's a network, right? So how do you get involved over there? Like, can you go and work with one of the professors and give talks once a semester to their class? Um, can you do some type of a partnership program with with the school itself where they do um, they get to work with you for a short period of time to get some practical exposure and now everybody in that institution respects your company says great things about your organization and when you need to hire you're calling um, Janice or uh, Robert um, at the college and saying yo I'm looking for somebody please help me out and they'll probably know a lot of people that they can then uh, refer you uh, refer over to you. So those would be like th- a couple of simple ways, like going from zero to one. There's some like sophisticated stuff you can do. Mm-hmm. Start with this because even this most people are not doing. Yeah, there's there's something that we do um, with a lot of our members. We've, we've done it at Breakthrough Academy a handful of times. And this might be considered more of like a guerrilla tactic, but to your it, like incentivize them point, you create this little referral program. You decide what the the hiring bonus is. Is it a thousand bucks? Is it three thousand dollars for for a higher level role? You know that that's up to you and 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 your discretion. But you've you've got some carrot that you're dangling. 
Um, and what we've actually had our members do with huge success is they get their team together in a room, usually on a Friday afternoon, get a case of beer, order some pizza, but have it be all, like on paid time. So they, they, they have to be there. They, they really uh, do need to take this seriously. You get your entire team to open up their, their Facebook and you give them the job posting that you've written, which is what we talked about in the last episode. You give them a nicely written job posting that has photos, that tells a story, that really, really captures the ideal, captures the eye of the ideal um, candidate. And you literally, ha you set a goal and set a timer and you're like, you are going to write out a personalized message saying, hey, blank, insert name. Um, I work for this really company, a really cool company called BTA Painting. We're looking for a project manager right now. There's a great job description here. You can read through it. Uh, we're looking for somebody to fill this role in the next little bit. If we, if we find them, uh, you know, there'd be a $1,000 bonus to the finder's fee or whatever to the person who helps us find them. Does this sound like someone you might know? You don't want to ask them directly. That can be a little bit intense, but you would just sort of like leave it open-ended. Um, and that, because it's not like a Facebook status, just like sitting there passively, it's getting yeah. pushed out and people get a notification. Oh, I got, I got a message. They look at it. That's amazing. It's like unbelievable how effective that is. And I know people have like filled roles quite quickly just in an afternoon after months of waiting around on Indeed or some other job board. So there are these little like hacky kind of guerrilla-esque tactics yeah. that you can use that, that will really get some momentum going. Yeah, it's, it's a really I, good point. And, and sorry, I said, I was just going to say yeah. the, the other, what I also really like is this college idea. I think, I don't know if many, many, very many people think that way, but you can also even incentivize the college and to, to give like a three or $5,000 scholarship or whatever. If, if, if you hire somebody from them, there's, there's many ways to look at your network. It's not just your staff. It's the other vendors and suppliers. It's colleges. You're very much like thinking of the broader network. I think a big part of this is realizing people can be a competitive advantage and investing time, energy, resources, money mm -hmm. towards this. That's the first thing. And it has to be like a, a core belief um, in the organization. And I think planning is something that companies early on struggle to do. There's just so much going on. I'm going to sit aside and spend days planning my next year, really. Um, you know, I completely empathize with that. It's not easy to run a small business. It's not easy to run a growing business. It's not easy to run a business when you're in high demand in a hot market mm -hmm. either, right? Like you're stretched, you, you're tired. Um, but sometimes stepping back and really thinking about how many people do we need to hire next year? And then how much, should, how much time should we be putting towards this really matters. And the thing that makes it a lot easier is making sure you are consistently, you have a cadence where you're showing the world that you're a good place to work. And that's easier than most people think, right? Like uh, this is where social media uh, can play a really good part um, because it's where you kind of show that here, here's how we're investing in our people. Here's how happy our people look. Here's some cool stuff that we've done, meaningful work. Like, you know, our people feel like they're working on really interesting special projects. Uh, here's somebody who just got promoted. Here's a person getting a bonus. So when you are reaching out to people and saying, I'm growing my business, they feel safe mm -hmm. to introduce you to people in their network. Mm -hmm. I, I really love... When we and we have a few members that do this unbelievably well, they actually use their Instagram. It isn't so much a; it's actually not really a marketing tool. Like they get their leads, they get their new business from elsewhere. It's purely an employer brand tool, and all they do is celebrate their employees, mm -hmm. make their job sites look really cool, and make their business 
look amazing online. And it's like, if you don't think that somebody applying to your job posting or is maybe scheduled for an interview with you, if you think they're not checking you out on Instagram, like give your head a shake. You, you, yeah. you run a public page. Like everyone is going to go have a look and see, hey, do these guys look cool? Is this something I'm interested in or not? And that's just super low hanging fruit. Take a photo oh, of your cool job site. Uh, make make shout outs, announce awards, announce promotions. I just think that's a, that's a no brainer. Um, let's get, let's let, that's some great thoughts on the network piece. Let's get into the the second category. So this is people that are actively looking. These they are checking job boards. They are somewhat unhappy with the job that they have. Maybe they're completely unemployed. Maybe they're in a transitionary phase, but they are looking for a job. What can we do to capture more of those people? When you go onto a job board and you look at the job posts and you look at them for all sorts of different roles um, in all sorts of different sectors, don't they all look the same, right? Every company, they just write the same shit over and over again. And how is that helping, giving us a higher probability of getting that one red, great, active candidate super excited about yeah. us? It's not. And so the first thing is really recognizing that this is a channel where you're trying to get lucky. And when you're trying to get lucky, do a bunch of things to maximize the probability of getting lucky. Mm -hmm. um, and so what can those things be? First, don't make this a selfish post about what you what your job is and what you think is going to be the minimum qualification um, required to get this job. I'm looking for an entry-level customer service person for a $37,500 base with eight years of experience yeah. who must be great at, you know, AutoCAD and like, all, like why? Like, well, why are we setting all of these like filters and just making the pool, Even the smaller. group of people... Yeah, right? Like, well, what is this madness? Like, keep it super loose um, and start with, have some strategic empathy. You're business owners. You, you've solved your sales and marketing problem for which you have to have had empathy for your ideal customer profile. So now think about the candidates you need and think, what are they looking for? What is the first thing you would look for if you're looking for a company? Do they do anything interesting? Is this an interesting place to work? Is that do I connect with like their purpose, their mission, like all of that stuff? Is there any proof that they're good? Um, how do their people feel? How do they care about their people? How do they invest in their people? Is there opportunity for growth? Um, are they reasonable about their expectations with me? Is there any proof that people in this organization are backing up the shit that they're saying? Mm -hmm. Oh, this is there. I'm excited now, right? So why isn't the first half of a job description focused on that? And the second half is like, oh, by the way, this is the role. And we think that anyone with you know this high-level qualification is somebody we would want to talk to. Some of your best hires were unconventional, right? Everybody I know, you ask them that question, they nod yes. And so then why are we not opening up the probability to interact with the unconventional through this channel? And so I think you start with the first half being all of those things um, that get good people excited. And the second half is what the job is. And in that, you keep it quite loose. And then you hold your know, fingers crossed. Hopefully somebody good at least sees it. At least if they see it, now they'll want to apply to it. Um, now, you can do a little bit more than that. You can make sure you're posting it in the right places. Usually people post on like the worst job boards and they're like, I don't know why good people aren't applying. <laughs> Did you post on LinkedIn? No, so expensive, $500. Why would I do that? Um, so like, you know, the first thing is like post on LinkedIn, 
make sure you post it on indeed sponsor that shit so that you know people are seeing it yeah um and then share it like share it on your networks right like this is a way for you to also um you know share it across your different social networks we're hiring make a big deal out of it um and then if you really really want to be um thoughtful about this and do something that others are most likely not doing um go on facebook and instagram you can target people very easily on these channels for advertising create two ads one ad that targets your ideal candidate profile the one that you're focused on for this role um in a way that helps increase your brand recognition and perception in their eyes what's the purpose of any marketing that's to influence those two things right so like run an ad campaign that does that first and then simultaneously but at a little bit of uh with a little bit of a wait time before you activate the second um set of ads um make a ad about the fact that you're hiring for this position click here to look at our job post mm-hmm. that's really how i would go about trying to maximize the probability of people applying for my job it's very interesting uh, this whole concept of building an employer brand through like paid like paid social media channels which mm-hmm. we know we adver- like a lot of companies advertise for like from a consumer marketing perspective but to do it from an hr point of view like a recruiting point of view and to do it both from like a building of an employer brand and targeted to ads is 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 definitely pretty neat. I love the way that Asad put it. He's like this is the area where you're going to get lucky where they just like happen mm-hmm. to be walking by when they're looking for a job but maximize your opportunity to get lucky. But it also totally aligns with the stuff we talked about last episode with Josiane and that framework we talked about where it's like this is for you if if you want like it's that that whole like flow through of how to write a job posting where I don't know, 70% of it is about like what the candidate wants and how your business yeah. aligns with that. Then tucked in at the bottom, very discreetly, there's like a couple things that, oh yeah, we're, we're looking for this, this, and this. But it's not, the job posting isn't this like list of demands totally. right off the hop. It's like, what? why would anyone, nobody yeah. wants that. So You and I both know guys that are eternally single because that's how they go about dating. Totally. So it, doesn't, it doesn't work, it's proven. Um, and so if you haven't checked it out, check out the last episode with Josiane on on building awesome job postings. So guys, let's get to this all this this very exciting third category because this is the one that is very interesting in both that it's Assad's kind of th- that's their genius zone, but also this is the place where the people are that aren't necessarily like uh, if I use a hunting example, aren't like happen to be walking straight in front of your binoculars because yeah. you happen to be in the tree stand. <laughs> Think of it like this. When you are an early stage business, do you get most of your new business is through inbound leads? No, no, right? no. So then why would you get all your great employees inbound, right? You gotta go to them just like you gotta sell to get your first few customers. Um, you know, you till you get to like, I don't know, five million, you're doing a lot of selling, right? And depending on the business you're in, it could be you know even a larger threshold. But usually, I've noticed like in the B uh, in the B two B world at least, at five million in revenue, you have enough of a foundation where your marketing can now start playing a pretty good role in giving you inbound leads, or at mm-hmm. least helping you um, increase your conversion rates on outbound sales, right? Um, but prior to that, it's a lot of like knocking on doors. And we think that hiring has, it's the same philosophy there. So there are people out there. 
these people have the skills and capabilities you're looking for. They can do this job. Um, they have the right personalities, characteristics, competencies. They'll fit into your culture. You'd be super excited to hire them. But they have no idea who you are. You're a small little company that does cool things, that has a bright future, but they don't know that you exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got to make them aware of yourself. And you've got to make them aware and excited to engage with you. And you've got to hope that there are a few elements in their job um, right now that they're not getting. And this means that before you do any of this, actually before you do any of the things we've discussed, you have to take a step back and really think about what are the things employees want and need from an employer in our space? What is the general stuff that everyone needs? And then let's break it down by at least each each functional area of our business. And are we giving these things? Or, and how are we showing people that we're giving these things? And so now most of the time, there are people out there, a, a good portion of high quality individuals that are not getting some of the stuff they're looking for. And if you reach out to them with the right job in the right way, um, they'll have a conversation mm-hmm. and you're going to have to sell them. So this is a big shift, right? Like you've got to sell them. Like most of the time when people interview, it's like an interrogation, right? Why? Because they've got PTSD from making bad hires. So they think (laughs) they've got to really drill this person to like really understand like, is this person good? So now they start being like extremely rude and mean and um, just it's just a vicious cycle of bad decisions and bad habits, right? And so you've got to be selling these people. Um, And a good way to understand if you are talking to good people is you're doing the selling. Mm. right when you're not talking to good people you're being sold um, or you're interrogated and so you're going to have to do some selling now how do we do that there are a couple of ways we can break them down one is that you can reach out to them number two is somebody in your company can reach out to them to be able to do this you guys have to know where they where they are and how to reach out to them so you have to have some understanding of channels um, over there in your space and the third is you can engage a partner to do it. You know, our entire business is helping organizations um, tap into this talent pool, um, primarily in the B2B software world, but we have experience working with organizations in different spaces. So we've seen our frameworks work really well in all sorts of different spaces, not as much with companies of the sort that you're talking to, but we don't see any logic as to why they wouldn't be able to do this on their own or find a partner in their world who would be able to do it effectively for them. Yeah, but the fundamental principle is 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 one that makes a huge amount of sense to me and and it's a great analogy from this perspective of like when you're starting your business, you don't have when you don't have a consumer brand, you have to go out and hustle in the early days. We've you've done that, I've done that, aside you've done that. I think every single person listening right now and watching right now has done that. In the absence of a strong employer brand, it is it makes total sense that that if you want to maximize your results, you have to go and be able to get it just like you did on the consumer side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it it is an interesting one. And Asad, is this a fairly complex process? Like if somebody did want to do it in house, um, like it, it is possible, right? But your you, the, the key factors are like you have to know where you're going to go and look to find prospective leads, and then you have to know the messaging. And then you have to have the time, whether it's you or somebody internally, 
uh, to go do that. And just like all other cold calling, which is this essentially is, I would imagine there's quite a skill component to it. Is that is that about right? Yeah, I think you you laid it out really well. It's usually that you don't have the time and the skills to do it, right? Now, I would say that even doing it with bad skills is better than not doing it at all, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's step one. It's like if you're not doing this and you start doing it and you're really not great at it, it's still not a bad idea to get good at it and try because there's still a chance that you'll get something out of it, right? Um, And you'll get better, right? Like the more you do something, as long as you've got a decent processor between your years, you you may learn and make adjustments, right? And get better at it. The second is that, so, but the time one is why I think it's actually really hard for early stage entrepreneurs to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've all run businesses, I mean, built them up. And so we know how stretched you can be. And so in it, you inevitably have to brutally prioritize your time. And sometimes, you know, it, it brutal prioritization is one of those things where it, there's a reason why it's called brutal prioritization, right? Like something else important is suffering um, because of it. And you just got to do it. So I think it's the time thing that makes it really hard for people. Um, but it actually doesn't take as much time as people think. Um, the el- earlier part is you got to sit down and identify a group of people to reach out to. Start with 20. Finding 20 people to reach out to, not impossible. Mm-hmm. Um Write a message, like an authentic message coming from you. If you're the business owner or one of the leaders in the business, it's not hard to like a, write an authentic message about why you're a great place to work and that you'd want to t- chat with this person and throw them out and see what happens, right? Um, if you have an office manager um, or somebody of that sort in the organization, um, having them do it um, is not a bad idea. It, you know, they'll And having them kind of develop that capability so that once in a while they can deploy it is not horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to solving the problem in the best way possible, obviously somebody who has done this day in and day out over and over again will have a sophisticated understanding of how to do it right? Like, you know, there's that Bruce Lee saying, don't fear a person who knows 10,000 kids, fear the person who's done one kid 10,000 times. And so what happens with that, right? Like you just understand how to throw that kid that much better than anyone else on earth. And so I think that's the idea where if you find somebody who specializes in it, they'll have the network, they'll know how to write the right message, they'll understand the candidate profile a lot better. Um, they will know how to reach out to them and they've developed the expertise on how to do that. And so they'll be able to get results a lot faster. It won't be as frustrating, but it will be expensive. And so the cost becomes the thing that I think becomes a limiting factor for people is like, I'm going to spend like a couple of grand to hire somebody great. Like, what if the person's not good? Like, what, what if the person still, you know, doesn't work out? And inevitably, if you work with, no matter what you do, you hire 100 people, wherever you get them from, God puts them in your company himself. Uh, some of them will not work out, right? So mm-hmm. um, you've got to be okay with the fact that we're not aiming for 100% win rate. Even Messi miss, misses some shots, right? Even Kobe missed some shots. And so we're hoping that the majority end up being great. 
and a partner will be able to do that for you. And what is, how do you think about a great hire? You think about them from an ROI perspective, not a cost perspective. Mm. So you, to justify it to yourself, you take a step back and you ask yourself the question, what is the return on investment to me of a great hire? And honestly, if the answer to that is like, for this role, it's not that much, then you know, that, then that's not the role you're going to invest thousands of dollars to find somebody great for. Um, but what if it's, what if you're hiring a foreman or a project manager or a sales manager or a general manager or an mm-hmm. office manager? I think mm-hmm. office managers um, should definitely um, be the best possible office manager you can find. They will make this machine function. Um, over there, the ROI is massive, right? Um, the difference between a C player and an A player is leaps and bounds. And so that's how you justify the cost to yourself. I'm going for this ROI and for return on investment, there's a cost and this cost made sense. Yeah. The the key bit here, I think that your job as an entrepreneur and as a leader is you're kind of like to, to be the air traffic controller essentially of how you deploy people and resources, right? Because you're saying the project manager that's really good needs to be doing that job, their job here in our firm. The tax advisor that I pick, I need them to do their job. So I'm not doing the project managing because that's what Bill does. And I'm not the tax advisor because that's what Ben does. Mm -hmm. And nor am I the lawyer because that's what this guy is. And if I'm the headhunter recruiter, well, I don't have experience in that, but these guys, you know what I'm saying? Like that's kind of your job is to find the best people to do what they're good at. With that said, if a company is quite a bit smaller, Asad, but they, but what we're talking about here does make sense to them and, and, and you know, someone's listening to this and saying, right, like I am missing a huge part of the labor, labor pool because I'm just trying to get lucky with the people that happen to be looking at this very time. Um, and someone did want to try it themselves. For If someone is kind of newer to this, just in your experience, and they're trying to hire a mid-level person, on average, how many hours of prospecting do you think they're going to spend to come out with a decent set of candidates? Hmm. I think that's a good question. And it's, it is it is quite subjective. I think the way to think about it is the following, though. Um, if you were going to try and hire somebody who's done the exact same job somewhere else, shit ton of time. Why? Because nobody great wants to leave a job for the same job somewhere else, mm. hoping that you are a slightly better person to work with with a slightly better company, right? Like, fingers crossed. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. Um, you should, no one great makes lateral moves. If you look at the career trajectory of some of the best uh, professionals out there, it goes like this. Right. It might have like a time where they took an interesting risk and like there was like a shudder there, but most of the trajectory is like this. And so they would be open for the right next step in their career. And that's what you need to offer them. So you need to find people for whom this job is the right next step. And then it's a lot more efficient, right? Because they're excited. Like who doesn't want growth in their life? Who doesn't want to progress? Um, And so that's the thing. I think to do it in the most efficient way possible, um, you've got to really focus on the people for whom this is the right next step. Now, how much time does that take you really depends on the role. It depends on how well you can pay. It depends on all of these things. But usually, if you're hiring a person who is stepping into a position, um, you're, you're able to provide them with a step up in compensation as well. 
And so that makes it a little bit more exciting for them. And you can highlight that in your outreach. So your conversion rates when you're sending these messages are a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're posting in these groups. I'm sure there are lots of groups in this in- industry on Facebook and other places. And you're posting there and people are noticing because they want to grow in their lives and they found a role that pays them more money and is more responsibility. Hell, of course, I want to have at least a conversation um, about it. And so it can end up being a little bit more efficient um, and those people will bring a level of enthusiasm to the role mm, yeah. that somebody who is doing the same thing somewhere else will just never yeah. bring, right? No. They need this to work. They want this to work. They're excited. Like you just made um, them feel like their dream is one step closer. And so, and that that energy in a company, oh my God, like it, it spreads, it spreads to other people. And that's really when you think about culture, you want some, you want a workforce that's in an inspired mind frame and making sure you are an organization that's bringing people in, giving them opportunities, investing in their growth, and then giving them growth. um, It really does do wonders for creating an environment where people stay in an inspired mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's how I would think about it. It's hard to say exactly how much time, but I would say um, benchmark at least 40 hours to make a great hire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Start there. I, I think cool. there's there's some things I just I really want to highlight that were so key. Um, it has to be the ne- the right next step for that person, and that usually is going to mean it's a step up for them. Yeah, the, 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 the marketing analogy on this one is what is the offer, right? We right. talk a lot about that in marketing. Like, yeah, so why, why bother? What yeah. are you offering? Yeah. And this is the same kind of thing. The offer is a lot more. Com- there's the off- the offer is compelling to a certain group of people more than a different group of people, mm-hmm. right? So, how compelling is your offer to who you're bringing it to, right? Yeah. But no, no one great makes a lateral move, and the pe- for the people. For the people for whom this is the right next step for them, they bring enthusiasm. Whereas if you are just sort of slotting someone from one company to the other company, they're actually probably bringing entitlement. They're like, well, I, yeah. I, made, I made the move. Like, is, the, is this better? What have you got Let's to go. offer me? Like, yeah, <laughs> totally. So I just love that way you frame that. You need to really carefully consider this potential person. You don't know who they are yet. You're kind of thinking about the avatar. But it's like, what would be, how can I craft this in such a way that it is that step up for them that they're looking for, but they, they haven't even found it yet. And then here you are offering it on a silver platter. It's just a really, uh, you're going to save yourself a lot of time and a lot of phone calls yeah. if you set it up this way early. And the key thing, I think, is it from an interviewing perspective, uh, in order to do this effectively, you have to be able to interview people not just based on the actual job they've done before where you could say well if i want the guy to be a salesperson he must have been an equivalent kind of salesperson before you're not going that way what you're looking for is you're looking to analyze specific personality traits patterns preferences and Mm -hmm. abilities because they could have shown Mm -hmm. those capabilities in a lesser role so you're trying to find the people that were in a lesser role but have those natural preferences, those abilities, those traits. And, uh, and and what I'm excited about in the next two episodes where we talk a lot about qualifying with mm-hmm. two real pros who have done thousands of interviews, uh, Danny Kerr on the next one. And then we have James Alish on the following, who's the director of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, uh, about $500 million a year in revenue. Tremendous amount of interviewing, but that's what we're going to get to. So stay tuned on the next couple episodes. But that's pretty key. Uh, that bit around like you have to be able to present a compelling offer 
and be able to see who's going to be able to step up to that challenge. Yeah. When you think about hiring, you have to remember that talent trumps experience, right? So for whatever you can afford, invest in the highest level of talent that you can afford and compromise on experience for that level of talent. And the other thing is, when it comes to experience, I think the thing you're talking about is relevant experience, right? Like, So people think that if somebody has done the same job somewhere else, then they'll ramp up so quickly, I won't waste money on while they learn and they adjust. Um, but what we are saying is essentially uh, that there's a red flag if somebody leaves a job to do the same job somewhere, right? We're not even saying like, forget the enthusiasm, et cetera. It's, a, it's strange. Why would this person, if they were really that good doing this job there, leave it to come here? If they were that good, would the company let them mm-hmm. go? Um, you know, would it be that easy to lose somebody and would they want to do the same job? Like what's going on over here? Like there's a red flag. Mm -hmm. Um, So what you're hoping to see is enough relevant experience where they can ramp up in an appropriate amount of time um, and they can, uh, they have transferable skills, um, but it's not a lateral move. So what does that mean? So you, you have a sales example. It's my world. So I can break that down a bit. Um, Let's say somebody was selling something different to the same decision maker. And it was a little bit more transactional than what you'll be selling. And the sales cycle was a bit shorter. Um, But now they're gonna be selling something a little bit more complicated with a bigger deal size and a longer sales cycle to a larger customer in and around the same world. Could they adjust to that with a little bit of training and development? Of course. Um, If they're smart, they'll do it really quickly. And so that's what you're trying to uh, qualify for um, and that's how much you should be looking for, that they can do it in an appropriate amount of time. Yeah. I love it. Such a good example. Such a good example. And to drive that point home, Benji, I, I just want to put out one other one as well. Let's We talked about sales on the production end. What we're saying is if you're hiring another project manager, the individuals, the pool that you're looking at and, and who you're presenting this offer to essentially they don't have to have been a project manager in a different company before. They could have been running one crew and maybe they're younger than the rest of your project managers, but they're super hungry. They bring the attitude and the desire that Assad spoke about and they have deeply ingrained natural preferences and abilities Mm -hmm. that would have been proven in their previous jobs. They just maybe haven't been a project manager yet. And that offer is so much more compelling to those individuals than someone who's just making a lateral project manager to project manager move. Yeah, you totally shoot yourself in the foot if you insist that this yeah. person has X many years as a project manager working for a similar company. Yeah. It's like, wh- that's just the complete opposite of what uh, Assad is prescribing. So I think, um, okay, let's, let's, just, let's just do a quick recap here because we've, we've covered a lot of stuff here. We got into... Um, like really diving into your network, incentivizing your team to do some of the recruiting for you. Um, that's a huge piece that I don't think people do enough of. Then we talked about the that, that pool of people that are actively looking and some tweaks that you can make to your job postings, running paid ads, you know, just like throw money at the problem. That is definitely, uh, if you're trying to get lucky, do everything you can to, to get lucky. So we talked about that. And then this last piece is, is people that can do the job, but they don't know who you are. Um, and I think this is probably of the three, this is the one that's maybe the most untapped in our listeners. Mm-hmm. So really, really good ideas to proliferate your, your potential sources uh, of employees. I want to 
I've got sort of two questions here, I think, before we'll close, um, Asad. One is just on some belief systems that I see floating around the space, okay? One thing that I hear a lot, I hear it in conferences, I see it in the chat boxes of webinars I run, I hear it sometimes even with our members, it's an attitude towards young people, specifically millennials and Gen Zers, and the, the trope is basically none of them want to work, they're all lazy, they're totally, totally disinterested in trades and construction, so I'm just not even going to bother looking for them. How would you address someone with that mindset? I think, I think it's a lazy mindset to have. Um, I think, look at the three of us. It's Friday. I don't know when you guys are going to post this up, but right now it's Friday evening, close to about 6.30. We're on it, right? Like we're, we're recording this. Um, we're all millennials. We work hard. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is a millennial. He's built one of the most successful companies in the world. His company is mainly filled with millennials and Gen Zs. Um, you know, you look at football, basketball, like you think those people don't have a work ethic in them. Now, there's always a, in every generation, including the baby boomers and everybody else, there was a spectrum, right? There was the group that was super hardworking and they had the hustle in them and a bunch of people that didn't. Um, in every generation that exists, what is happening when people are complaining about this is that they have not spent the time to or been able to understand how to attract the best of the lot that is out there. Mm -hmm. And so they think it's because this entire group is of a particular mm -hmm. sort. No, it's because this group, just like your generation, has some people that work hard and some people that, you know, have other needs and wants in their life. And you don't know how to tap into it because you've been lazy because you're just doing the things the way you used to do them 20 years ago. You haven't adjusted to the new world. And now you're complaining about a whole generation and saying it's the entire, it's the entire generation's problem. No, it isn't. Mm -hmm. It's your problem. Mm -hmm. okay. so it's, yeah, it's a very much a lazy way of thinking. It's easy to externalize it. It's that a story way, that it? you're yeah. telling that yourself that then reinforces um, and, and it's, 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 it's not a good place to be. It's crazy. I, I literally, I remember going to somebody's house. It was like Super Bowl or something. And I, I was invited there and there was a person from the older generation sitting, watching a bunch of millennials play the Super Bowl and complaining about millennials. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like you're literally watching a sport full of them. They're working hard. Like look at how hard these people are wet. They've taken concussions. They're bleeding, sweating, breaking limbs. I don't know the sport that well, but it looks pretty intense. And so how, how does that even connect? It's just a crazy way to think in my yeah. mind. Okay. Yeah. The, um, the other one, you touched on it earlier, but, but it's, it's worth mentioning again. The other one is... Um, is around COVID. I mean, we've had 18 months here, a little longer of, of this pandemic. Depending on where you live, there, there's been some government policy decisions. Here in Canada, we've had a program called SIR. People have been, um, you know, essentially paid to to not work or it's, it's a support program. And there are a lot of people that are, you know, it's like, the workforce is extremely lethargic. Nobody's going to apply for my business because they're getting paid more to sit at home and play Xbox in their underwear. Now, my attitude is like, do you, do you really want that guy? Like, is your business really suffering because they're not applying to your business? Um, but I don't know. Maybe you can chime in on that piece as well. I, I think it's a really interesting thing to look at. Like, my background in school was public policy. So I really like to think about these things, um, even though my career isn't in that space. 
how many of the businesses, how the business leaders that are complaining about this, how many of their businesses benefited from the subsidies that were provided, the rent subsidies, the wage subsidies? All right? of them. So, so there's a there's a role that the government has to play, and we can all debate whether um, how much they should do. But personally speaking, you know, I am an immigrant. I come from a country that would at some time be considered a third world country. Maybe it's now a second world country um, that couldn't even afford a lockdown. Right. They just couldn't afford it. Like, they, they, you know, we would complain about the lockdown. They couldn't afford it. And so when I looked at that, I was like, a lockdown is a luxury. And the idea of subsidies was crazy. Like to me coming from there, like the idea that the government steps in like that and provides all of this support really is quite inspiring and quite interesting to me. And so I think if you look at the pandemic, there was a healthcare crisis that shut the economy down. And the fact that the economy picked back up at the pace that it picked Mm -hmm. up was because the government played a part in it. And we all benefited from that. Now, because of what they had to do to help all of our businesses survive, um, they also had to help people, right? And it made people really think. It made them think about what they wanted their lives to be moving forward. And so there's a shift happening. There are people shifting their career paths, and some of them are going into different fields. Um, and so there are certain industries that are losing people. Yeah. And they're losing people because they didn't offer those people exciting, invigorating career paths. That's my belief. And so we should learn from that versus just sit and complain about it. If 10% of the workforce has left our industry, um, it's a big problem. And we need to really ask some big questions of ourselves um, to be able to keep people and attract them. At the same time, we also need to recognize that right now, there's a really big trend happening in this world. Um, Software is eating the world in a way, right? So the pandemic accelerated and compressed digital transformation. Mm -hmm. Uh, What this means really is that because of the experience that companies went through in the pandemic, a lot of them, traditional companies realized we need to invest in technology to be able to be relevant moving forward. And that drives demand for technologies and growth in that sector. And that sector is hiring a lot of people. And because there was only a limited supply of people in their own sector, they're thinking creatively. They're looking elsewhere. They're offering very good, high-paying jobs to people from all sorts of other sectors. When people say all these people left hospitality, where'd they go? They're working at the technology companies that are selling shit to the hospitality companies, right? right? Um, they're working at the POS company and like you know all the scheduling software company, etc., etc., etc. So now. Our competition for talent is no longer the company that is just like mine next door. It's right. that sector. And so to compete against that sector, you have to really rethink how you, what your employment value proposition really is. And if you don't have an employment value proposition and you haven't thought about it and you don't think about it, trust me, it will be the reason why you were not able to capitalize on the momentum that is available to you because of the impact of the pandemic, right? A lot of the businesses that you guys deal with are talking about how the pandemic created a lot of demand for mm-hmm. them. There's a chance here, right? There's a chance to capitalize and really accelerate growth. The thing that will hold them back is the people part and people need more and you got to invest in them and give it to them to be able to ho- attract them and hold on to them in this environment.
Yeah, I love that word, the employer value proposition. I think it's it's something we we spoke about this in the previous episode, but it's it's something that not nearly enough entrepreneurs in the contracting space think about. And to Assad's point, you need to think about it not just in the context of what you what your value proposition is in the context of your competition in your industry, but in the market in general. Yeah, right. It's 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 a really really good thought. Guys, this is awesome. Such a great discussion uh, and so much wisdom from Asad. I love it. Um, Asad, before we let you go, I just want to uh, ask you one more, um, ask you just just for, for some thoughts on one more piece, which is something that we talked about last week, which I, I thought was, was such a powerful point in the way that a business owner should be looking at the way that they run their organization and, and their org structure in general, which is this concept of kind of building this mindset of constant talent acquisition into your people, especially as you ascend them. So if you have someone that was running a small crew and now you're ascending them to be a project manager and oversee uh, a number of, 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 of crews and, and a whole production system, there's their responsibility as you grow them, the increased responsibility you give them in, in their actual deliverables, but there's also this expectation that always needs to get built in around talent acquisition. G- give, give us some of your thoughts on that, on that kind of approach in terms of um, integrating that mindset into the company culture. I think the first thing is that the owner of the business, the person who started it, or like the core leaders of the business, they've got to realize how important people are to their business. We've said this a few times, but I keep drilling it down because it's that important of a point, right? Like we have to realize that it's a strategic differentiator. It's a competitive advantage to have great people. And so if we can solve the sales and marketing problem and we solve the people problem, we have the maximum ability to grow, right? But if we only solve one of these problems, then we'll always have a limitation to our growth. Um, and so you've got to like solve both of these problems. It's important and great people can make a big difference in terms of your probability of being a special organization. You want to become undeniable, you need great people. Um, so that's important. And you're going to invest in finding and attracting and choosing and equipping these people in all sorts of interesting, uh, innovative ways. But you also have to bake it into your culture that it's not just that we look for people when we are desperate and we need them. If we have leaders in our organization, our leaders need to keep an eye out at all times for great people Mm. and great potential candidates. They need to be talking to people in the market. They need to be telling people why this is a great place to work. They don't need to always be selling. It's almost like branding, right? And you're branding yourself to people that are super talented for the moment that they might be open or you might need someone. Right. Mm. So that's really what you're doing. Um, and it's not that difficult to do it. You go to trade shows, you go to events, you, you have you interact with people in your world. Um, so just make it a point to make sure that they think you're an absolute great place to work. And that has to be something you bake into your culture early on. Yeah. And how you do that is when you put people in positions of responsibility, you don't put them because of their performance in the past job. You Put them in that position because of their ability to deliver on the mandate that they're going to grow into, right? Mm -hmm. And part of that mandate should have a component of, can you build a great team, Mm -hmm. right? Can you help us develop our culture? 
Um, do we even know what our culture is? Are we one-dimensional about our culture? But that's a whole different discussion. We can come back to that some other day. Um, but you are you going to help us build it? And a big part of building our culture is making sure you bring in, in great people. So do you know how to do that? Um, and that's important. And so making sure they're aware that this is their responsibility, but not just throwing them in the deep and letting them figure out how to swim, giving them some strategies and tactics and training on how to do it. Um, because otherwise, what are they going to do? They'll brutally prioritize the other things they have to do, and they won't do this thing because they don't know what to do. So you got to teach them how to do it in an efficient and effective way. And now what do you have? As you're growing, you have all these people in positions of responsibility that are, that have a group of 5, 10, 15 people that they can tap into anytime we need people. And we're hiring great people over and over again. So now we've got this flywheel. We've solved our demand, sales, and market uh, marketing problems. So we have high demand we can consistently hire so the flywheel is working and mm -hmm. we're consistently growing our business in a profitable manner yeah love it such great wisdom we we promote people and we ascend them up our org structure not because of what they have done but what they will do and mm -hmm. what we believe they can do and an integral part of that is team building within that new role and if we don't build that in it's uh, it's 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 not it's not a good situation, and and if we can do it, that flywheel spools up. I love it. Re really good thoughts, Asad. Thank you. This has been so good. It's been a blast. Um, we went a little long, but we had to. This was so 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 good and very rich, and I don't think there was a minute wasted. No. Um, so this good. has been uh, an absolute delight to have you on. Just for our listeners who who have been uh, tuned in the whole time, where can people find out a bit more about you and STA? Um, firstly, thank you for having me. It's been uh, jolly good fun to be doing this with you guys. Um, in terms of where to find us, salestalentagency.com is our website. You can reach out to me. Um, my name is Asad, um, and my email is asad.zaman at salestalentagency.com. I'm not going to spell it out here. You'll find it on the website, but you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm sure you guys will link some things. In we'll the put it notes. in the description. Um, but I'm pretty good on LinkedIn. I'm pretty good over email. Um, so reach out if you have any questions. Thank you so much for doing this. Have an awesome weekend and, uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you guys. Bye. Hey, welcome back to contract revolution and episode four of six of our ultimate hiring funnel series. This is your host, Benji. Uh, last week with Asad Zaman, we talked about some of the active recruiting and promotional tactics you can lean on besides just your basic job boards. And at this point in the funnel, you should be starting to receive applicants. And if you followed the best practices shared over the last three episodes, um, you actually should have quite the volume coming at you. So as we said last time, making a good hire is impossible if you have no one good to choose from. So now that you've solved that problem, the question becomes, how do we prioritize and convert our best applicants into interviews? This applicant flow management and interview setup call stage is an unbelievably important step and one that entrepreneurs often don't take seriously enough, leading you to wasting your time on the wrong people or worse, being no-showed by your interviewee. Um, to walk us through this, we're lucky enough to have Danny Kerr, Managing Director at Breakthrough Academy, back on the show. Um, before starting Breakthrough Academy, Danny was the head recruiter of all of Western Canada for College Pro Painters. He's the best person we know at this critical flow management and interview setup stage. I hope you enjoy it. You're watching Contractor Evolution. 
where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Hey, just before we jump into things, I wanted to let you know you can get the free resources that we talk about in this episode in the show description. So hit pause right now, go download them, and they'll be waiting in your inbox by the time we finish this episode. Danny, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Good to see you as always. Uh, I'm excited to hop into like the overall uh, interview setup called process, but I thought before we get into the steps, just talk for a minute about why this stage is so, so, so important and it's not one you can skip if you want to build the ultimate hiring funnel. Right. Yeah, so it, it'll become a lot more apparent coming up in the next session, but when you do proper interviews, they take quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, I've never gotten success out of doing group interviews. I've never gotten success out of doing 20 minute, half hour interviews. My interviews are an hour and a half to two hours long. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's multiples of them over time. And a lot of people think I'm crazy in, the, in saying that. They're like, what are you talking about? How do you even get these people to sit down with you that long? They're just going to go get another job. Right. Well, I think if you follow a lot of what's being talked about in this series, you'll find that the right people are going to stick around and it's this process itself that's going to probably attract them. And so if that's the case, for you to go and spend up to two hours with somebody and they're not even the right fit is a huge waste of your time. Totally. So I was always very intentional. I, you know, the, the motto was spend 20 to, to save you know, two hours. Right. Spend 20 minutes to save two hours, essentially. And so usually these calls are about 20 minutes long. And what I'm doing is, well, two things. One, I'm making sure that the people I'm sitting down with obviously are the right people. And two, I'm making sure these people actually show up, mm -hmm. right? Because, and, and I think a lot of you listening probably get this, you set up, you know, three or four people and maybe one shows up. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's a shitty feeling. Let's be honest. You're sitting there in a Starbucks or you're sitting there at your office and you've got their resume printed out and you're all ready for the interview and you're getting like, you're getting no showed like a cheap date. It sucks. Yeah, and it's, and it's demoralizing and it's a big old waste of time, Yeah, right? And so I think in taking this step that we're going to talk about today, it'll really help minimize that. I remember for me, I went from like a 30 to 50% show up ratio to like 80 just in doing this. And what was really good is the right people were the ones I was setting up with, right? So one other thing I really found is good applicants are attracted to structure. Yeah. Like they, they want to see and feel that you're doing your due diligence. And if you're not, they're like, what's it going to be like to work for this person, right? The wrong people do. They, they get a little squirmy with, with too much structure, but you don't want them anyways. So that was another big reason. And the last thing too, I think at the end of the day is Nine out of 10 people that I was interviewing, or sorry, the nine out of 10s that I was actually interviewing in the process. Like the strong candidates. The strong candidates. They yeah. were getting jobs within a week. So you need to pounce. You need to pounce. And, and what was interesting is, is if I don't do a good setup call, they'll just, they'll set up an interview with me, but then they'll no-show me because they already got a job. Right. Versus I have a really good setup call with them. And they're like, you know what? I had an offer yesterday, but I really wanted to sit down with you first before I made a final call. I've heard that multiple times. Mm -hmm. And it was the setup call that really had them stick around and do that versus mm -hmm. no show me. So mm -hmm. those are some of the reasons, but I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing is it's a huge time saver. Mm -hmm. Although people think, well, that's a lot of extra time. It's a huge time saver mm -hmm. in the whole process. The other thing that's really important to remember um, if you've been f listening to this series and, and Danny, I want your thoughts on it too, is like, like 
Um, we're f- uh, four episodes in now. We've talked about a lot already. This is actually the first person-to-person interaction. Yeah. So how important is that first impression? Well, think about it with anything in your life, right? Your first 30 seconds with somebody, you've already judged exactly who they are. And I think, again, a lot of the good applicants are judging you or interviewing you almost just as much as you're interviewing them. And so, you know, if you pick up the phone and you call them and, you're, you know, there's wind in the background or you're super busy or you're disorganized in your thoughts and you're questioning, they're going to read that. And you're still going to have the, the B and C list, list candidates not be bothered by that. They're mm-hmm. like, great, if someone who wants to interview me, let's go. But the top level candidates are going to be like, yeah, man, sure, I'll, I'll meet with you. And again, they're not going to show up because they're going to be like, this guy's a gong show, mm-hmm. right? So we all do it intrinsically already, right? When you think about when you make phone calls to customers or to potential applicants yourself, you can hear it on the phone. The way they pick up, the way they say hello, totally. what's going on in the background, all of that, instantly yeah. you're making an opinion about who this person is. You, you and I spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time on the phone or on Zoom calls or whatever. Like you, you can hear focus. Yes. And you can hear a lack of focus. Yeah. And and. You don't even need to spend a lot of the time to, to be able to sense that your candidates will pick up on it. I think um, to just put this from the perspective of someone that's applied to your, your, your posting, right? Like they've, they've seen something on a job board. They've read something on your website. They've heard from a friend, you know, from whatever source they've come from, they are at the very least interested in learning more about your company and the position that you're offering. Um, They've probably done some research. They might even be getting a little bit excited. This is the first time that they hear a human voice. And so you need to execute at the level that the rest of your funnel has been setting you up for. So if you've done a great job of all the steps we've talked about in previous in previous episodes, and then you, you do this phone call and it's it's like really disorganized, haphazard, you do it in a vehicle, whatever, um, that's a huge letdown. <laughs> So, so just, just think of that from like the applicant's perspective. What, what are they experiencing when they're on the phone with you? Okay, so Danny, at this point, um, you're getting applicants rolling in from a variety of sources. There's probably some coming from some, from some job boards. Some are being referred to you. Uh, some might be coming through like paid ads that you're running through Instagram or Facebook. Um, you, you, but the point is you are getting an inbox or a couple inboxes that are filling up with resumes, cover letters, whatever you've asked for in the call to action uh, before. How do you keep these really organized? How do you stay on top of the good ones? Because if you've, if you've followed the, step we, the steps we've talked about, you can actually get to a place where you're overwhelmed by how much is coming at you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'll say this, and I know this isn't the scenario for most people listening, but you can do a good enough job where you have more resumes coming in than you can handle. And I know that I was in that position for a lot of years. It's a good problem you know, to have. It's a good problem to have. And if you follow a lot of what's talked about in here and you're really pumping the time and money for this, you should be in that type of position. Yeah. It might take a couple of years, but when you get to that place, you know, at one point I had 100 resumes a day coming in. Mm-hmm. Now, I was recruiting for all of Western Canada, overseeing a lot of different area. But when that started to happen, I started to realize like there is no way for me to just print out all these resumes, read through them, make a hundred phone calls a day and yeah, actually do happening. anything worth no. any kind of substance, right? So I started to optimize my time. And one of the first things I did was got very clear on like, what is it in these resumes I'm even looking for, mm-hmm. right? Because you can read through a resume and be like, ah, I like their picture. Ah, I kind of like that they worked for this company, but that's all subjective thoughts. What's objective is knowing exactly what you're going to be interviewing for. So if you guys had talked about previously the preferences and abilities, yes, I think. we did built, with Josie okay. Yeah, we so, built these. So if you're doing that, 
know what, how to identify those in the resume, right? So if I'm looking for a project manager, let's say, and I'm looking at somebody who has good amount of leadership, good ability to handle stress, maybe likes to set and hit goals, I need to find somewhat like clues or evidence of that mm -hmm. in the resume, mm -hmm. right? So I'll be looking through the resume and I'll be like, okay, like, does this person have any leadership ability? Oh, looks like they were a captain of their sports team. Looks like they had a management position at McDonald's. Looks like they had, you know, and so I'm, I'm seeking leadership. There's some stuff there. There's some stuff there, right? Or if I'm looking for like, you know, attainment, it's like, looks like they won an award for this. Looks like they've got, you know, excellent grades or whatever it is. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for potential hypothetical evidence. Mm -hmm. And if I can find two to three traits or sorry two to three indicators of each trait that i'm looking for that's usually a pretty high score like mm -hmm. that's someone that's like a nine or an eight out of ten mm -hmm. out of ten for me um if i find some really good traits in some things but can't find any in another that might be like a six or a seven kind of thing yeah and if i find someone with like one or two traits but it's really just haphazard and there's not much in here for me it's like a five or below right right so j just to refresh our listeners like what what danny's talking about are those preferences and abilities like like uh, attainment, like tenacity, like precision, um, like problem solving, like that stuff that we talked about uh, in our episodes with Josiane. Like you, you've gotten clear on this already because you've built an ideal candidate profile. Now what Danny's saying is like you're scanning the resume for evidence of those traits and whether or not, you know, if they have a few of them, that's, those are the ones that are nines and tens. And if there's like no, no evidence of that, no matter how nicely typed up and formatted the resume is, this, this person doesn't have the stuff. They don't have the goods we're after. Yeah, and it doesn't mean they're an excellent applicant. It means that the resume shows indications that they could be. Totally. Right? But totally. yeah, it gives me a first semblance of prioritization of who I'm calling and, and at what level. It's some way to score people and, and start to prioritize the people you want to call versus the people you probably won't, totally. won't, uh, won't get time to do that. Um, what kind of, what do you do with the referrals that mm. come in? So like we, uh, in, in previous episodes, we've talked about like creating an incentivized referral program, pumping this through your network. Like, do you do something, is that a different category than someone that just comes like an applicant that comes to you through Indeed or, or some other job board? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I'm sure most of us are aware of this, like referrals are often the best people that come in, right? When I talk to a lot of people in different businesses, myself included, it's like, where did, where did your best people come from? Oh, it was a referral from so-and-so, right? You know, like, what is it? Like, like birds flock together. I can't remember right. the, the saying, but, um, and it, and it remains very true. And so for a couple of reasons, I put a bit of extra special priority on referrals. So first off, because I do find the quality generally better, like values are already usually aligned. They're a similar minded person to the employee that maybe referred them to me. But secondly, and almost more importantly, the person who's taken the time, say my staff members referred me their cousin. Mm -hmm. And if I don't call that guy back, my staff member's gonna be pissed. Totally. Right? He's just like, dude, I took the time. I had a half hour conversation with him. He was super excited to hear from you. What the hell? Right? And now it looks bad on me. My staff member's upset. The other guy's, you know, certainly not interested. And I've damaged a relationship. Yeah. And, and, and like the chances of this staff member referring you someone again in the future when you need another role, they'll be like, Dude, screw off. I referred you my cousin and you didn't even call him. Forget yeah. it. What's the point? And even if they do refer you, they're not going to put the same amount of effort and energy in next time because they'd be like, well, they might, even call, they might not even call you, man. So don't worry about it. Right. So I've been very intentional. And that's a lesson I've learned, I would say, from like, you know, the school of hard knocks. Right. But um, I've been very intentional now to make sure that every single time a referral is sent to us, that we call them. Yeah. And at least have a conversation with them. Even totally. if we're like, this doesn't look like a fit. 
call them out of respect for the relationship to maintain their to relationship. Maintain the relationship. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. And sometimes you have some interesting surprises. They're like, this is actually a really good person. And on the second half of that, I mean, by doing that, I also want to make sure that the person who referred them knows what's going on. So let's say I make that call and I'm like, this isn't right th the right fit, which is okay. I'll still let the staff member know, hey, I had a conversation with them. Probably not the right fit for this one, but thank you so much for referring them. Yeah. Right. And encourage that type of behavior for the future. Um, in a in a in an episode previous with Assad, we we talked about creating a culture of recruitment with within the business. Uh, like like th there's a there's a recruiting mindset that all your your entire leadership team adopts. <laughs> Not doing that is a very good way to kill that that culture. So so I think I think the the special priority given to referrals is a, a really important point. Now when you're talking about this this time when you're getting like a hundred resumes a day, right? What kind of folder system did you use? There's got to be something you use to organize um, your A's from your B's from your C's. Like, how did that look and, and how did you keep everything um, organized and, and fresh? Yeah, you, you realize a couple things pretty quickly. I mean, one is you can kill a lot of trees and go through a lot of ink cartridges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's expensive. It's expensive. So I started to resort out of necessity to not printing out anything. And what I would do is someone would email me a resume or whatever it is. I would save the file, so say it's a Word file, and I would change the name of what's ever in there. So I'd actually start it with the rating out of 10. So it'd be rating out of 10, their name, the position they're applying for, and then any notes I might've had around like left message, sent email, just around communication. You're actually renaming I'm the actually name renaming of the, of the, the file. file. Okay, yeah. yeah. Then I'll grab that file and I'll save it into my Dropbox folder where my, sometimes if you have a recruiting team, I had a bit of a team helping me, they can actually see the flow that's going on. And I had three different folders. I had one for apps rejected, apps to call, and apps converted. Mm -hmm. And so that allowed me to know kind of where to prioritize my flow and also what rating in each section people were actually at. Because if you think about it, in, in your Dropbox folder, you can go you know sort by name, and now all your 10s out of 10s all batch up at the top, 9s, 8s below, 7s. And now I've got a nice sortation and order of my top applicants and in the right area of where they're at in the sale or in the interview stage. Yeah. So. Without that, you're kind of looking at this resume going like, oh, John Smith, wait, did I call this guy already? <laughs> like, is, have, I, have I talked to him? I can't even yeah. remember. So like having the, I think you said apps to call, apps rejected, and apps set up yeah. folders is a really critical step. Okay, totally. so... Um, You've pre-screened. What, what other thing I'll say to this? Okay. So when you do that, here's a byproduct of, of, of work that now is there for you forever. You have an ongoing list of resumes yeah. sorted by nine out of 10, you know, sorted out of 10 that you can come back to should you ever have a position that's open in a similar role. You've, you've kept an inventory. You've kept an inventory. And just like you would do with lead gen where you can nurture leads over time, you can always go back to that inventory and, and reach out to them saying, hey, I know six months ago you applied, you were busy, or we weren't able, you know, we didn't take you in. You know, if you want to relook at this, here's a new ad out. And you can start to re-communicate with all the people from that flow. And you can keep that flow for years. And that can just keep piling up over time where you've got a list of potential applicants that already applied for this position, although it may be a year ago or so, where new, you know, new situations in their life may arise sure. and suddenly they become applicable. They went off and got a job and six months later, it turns out they don't really like it and, and it's the perfect time. You just, you just never know. You never know. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you've pre-screened, you've prioritized, you've got a little, you've got a little bit of a, a system to, to keep your, uh, your folders clean and organized. Um, how do you prepare for a setup call? Yeah. So this is really important. And I think a lot of people do rush this step more than they should. Right. So 
I make sure actually that I have two separate, say one or two hour blocks of time in my week for this. So I'm not just randomly being like, I've got some time, I'll do it. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do it on Thursday, or so I'm gonna do it on Tuesday and Thursdays. Like That's it's fully I mean. block scheduled at fully the beginning block of the week. You're not just like you're not just like filling, you're not just doing this in filler space when you have a minute. Like it's like right there Tuesday afternoon from three till five, I'm doing this. Totally. And if it was only on Tuesdays, then all the resumes I got between that Tuesday and the next Tuesday would have to wait to be called. Too slow. Too slow. My top people are going to get jobs by then. Yeah. Right. So Tuesday and Thursday, I've got all the people that came in over the weekend and Monday are called on Tuesday. You know, all the people that came in Wednesday and Thursday morning, I'm calling on Thursday. The people you didn't reach on Tuesday, have you get another chance to call them on Thursday. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I'm able to have a nice flow to who I'm following up with. So first off, it's just block scheduling time so you can keep on the right people mm -hmm. and a good cadence. You're, tre you're actually treating this the exact same way you would fresh leads that you pay totally. a ton for. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so I've got block schedule time to do it. I'm... I'm focused, so I'm like usually in my office, no noise, no distractions, you know, like other things I'm trying to do while multitasking, like this is the task at hand. I've printed out the resume at this point, and I've printed out this thing, oh, you got another sheet here, it's called an interview setup call sheet. And this actually helps kind of just like structure my conversation. And so I've sat down, I've looked through the resume, I've get, you know, this person has two things of leadership, one thing of attainment, you know, a couple things of, you know, ability to handle stress. And now I'm going to make a phone call with a bit of a, call it a script, but a bit of a guide to kind of help make sure that conversation goes extremely well. Okay. So quiet, distraction-free environment. You're not in a vehicle. You don't have a bunch of background noise going on. Um, you have you have the resume printed. You have the they have the setup call tool printed. By the way, we're gonna go through this for a couple minutes here. If you're listening to this and you want to download one of these, this will be in the description. There'll be a link that you can click. You can download this for free. Just just have it. This will make your next interview setup call a lot easier and way more structured. Um, and then the the uh, you have you have these pre-booked interview slots as well. Did you mention that? Uh, no. Okay, so so what do you mean by pre pre booked interview slots? So simple, similar to my discovery call spots, I'll have probably two days a week on the week coming up, where I've already booked half a day to potentially put somebody into those spots. Again, that way I'm not just doing disjointed interviews in between running production or doing estimates. It's like from twelve till five on whatever Wednesdays and Fridays I'm doing my interviews, mm -hmm. right? And so now when I'm setting people up, it's usually within a week, right? I can sit down with them pretty quickly. And the other thing is I find that if I have a really good interview with somebody, sometimes the first interview is not enough and I need to do a second or sometimes even a third interview. So if I'm setting somebody up and meeting them on a Wednesday, I'm not like, this is great. Let's meet again next Wednesday. It's like, let's meet on Friday, right? So we're, we're keeping tight to our flow. And the reason I don't like to do it the very next day is I find they don't have enough time for themselves to make decisions and kind of like do their research and get kind of ready for yeah. an offer. Yeah. I give them that extra day to go do that. And then we have an interview the next day. It's, it's, it's the right amount of space, I find. A little bit of like hopscotching between days. And remember too, everyone, like your goal here is if you if you connect with someone on the phone, they're good, they're a nine, out of ten, or nine or a 10 out of 10, you want to do an interview with them. You can't be like, hey, you know what? I really like you. Um, I'm going to have a look at my calendar. Let me get back to you and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when I'm available. You want to move them straight into a into a meeting from that phone call. You don't want to get off. You don't want to get off the line without doing that. And it's and if you have these pre-booked slots in your calendar, it's way, way, way easier. You know, it's Saturday or it's Monday. Or it's whenever it's happening. You just move them straight into it. Yeah, like the reason we're creating this level of kind of like flow urgency 
is something I, I discovered a long time ago, which was I can call through all these people if I want, but my nines and tens out of tens are usually getting a job within a week. They'll be scooped up. They'll scoop. They'll be yeah. scooped up. You got to be my, ready to move. My sevens and eights within a week or two or three, and my sixes and belows are usually they're always they're the ones that are reapplying to me every three months. <laughs> they're always looking for a job, and so if you're lackadaisical in your process and you're just meeting people with you know whenever you can and you barely got time and you'll be like, man, there's no good people out there. It's because the only good ones you maybe did have got scooped up before you even probably had a good conversation with them. Okay, so you've prepped. You're now you're now punching in their phone number in your phone. Take us through the the process of the call from there. Sure. Yeah. So this guides me quite a bit. It's just a step by step process, but it kind of makes sure that I have a focused conversation with them. So first thing, step one, intro and check in, right? Which basically just means to me, how do I bring this person to a human level? You know, like I want to talk to this person, kind of like I would talk to my family member or a friend or somebody I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And if they're, you know, like, yes, sir, no, sir, like really uptight or they're, you know, distracted or whatever it is, I need to capture their attention in a way where we can have a real just human conversation and I can get to know them, right? The intention is not to get to know the interview version of them. I want to know them. So mm -hmm. I've got to spend some time just getting to know them, yeah. right? How they've been, what's been going on, what's been going on today, mm -hmm. where'd they come from? Like just Report topics. Typical report like stuff that you would do with a client or or like anyone you don't know super, super well. Just break the ice a little. Yeah, and be willing to just be you too. Like just be human, yeah. right? This is what I was up to. This is what, you know, you know, funny thing that happened to me today, whatever it is, and help them be like, oh, this person doesn't have a stick up their ass, right? Yeah, like yeah, this yeah. person's just a human being like I am. And so that's my interview style anyways, but I've always found that's really helped people just to kind of be comfortable for the next set of questions that I had for them. Get them to take the mask off. Yeah. Okay, what next? Okay, so next, once you've kind of gotten to like pretty just human level with that individual, um, probably the next big thing is I want to understand the current situation of where they're at, right? So I'll usually build up to that a little bit and kind of go through the resume and kind of like, okay, I see you worked here for five years. Tell me how that went. What did you learn from that? Okay, then I see you moved over here. Why did you do that? And what, what led to that you know, happening? You know, and then, okay, and now I see like we're here. Yeah. What, what led to you communicating with me today? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it you're actually looking for? You know, and I want to understand, like, is this person, like, not had a job for six months? Totally. Right, you <laughs> right now? Are you <laughs> sitting in your mom's basement just applying to stuff randomly so you can get EI? Like, you, you, you want to get a feel for totally. what, what they've been up to lately. Totally. Or, like, or like sometimes, arguably even worse, do you have a job and you're just, like, pissed at your boss and you want to, like, stick it to the yeah. man and you're, like, vying for a raise with him? Or I, I've seen and heard all kinds of crazy situations, but it's, it's really good to take time to, like, understand what that current situation truly is. Right. Because people will be pretty vague at first. They'll be like, I don't know, it's just time for a change. Right. Yeah. No, like, no, like what, like why? Yeah. <laughs> right. So I did, I usually dig into that one a little bit deeper and I try and understand like, what are they looking for? What's important to them? You know, do they have nefarious intentions or are they someone who's just a little bit more like, hey, like I saw what you guys are offering. It inspired the hell out of me and it's who I want to become or it's what I want to learn or it's where I'm trying to go in my career. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm trying to see like, is this a logical path for this human? Or is this they're here out of desperation or anger, right? Mm -hmm. What what led them to being here with me today? So really, like these these first couple sections of the of the call, and and um, just to listeners, like like when you download this this tool, it will it's very very clear. It's literally just like an an instruction manual with with space for notes. Um, so, the, but the the first two steps are, are really just you like leveling with them, getting real with them, getting to know with them. You're not you're not interviewing. You're not like. You're not grilling them. You're just you're just 
being real and, and understanding where they're at. Okay, so next are these candidate questions, Danny. Take us through those. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, partially I'm getting to know them better and, and you know, making a bit of a judgment call on how they would fit. Mm-hmm. But I would say 80% of this is actually trying to just understand their needs, right? So what brought you to, you know, what brought you to applying today? What's important to you? What are you looking for in your future? Like, what do you want? Ultimately, why is that so important? Because I know some, some listeners would be going like, why, why do I, if this is about what I want. This is about what <laughs> I'm looking for in an employer. Why is it, why is it so important for you to understand what they are looking for? You know, I, I think I said this in another podcast, but we, we're in a new economy right now, right? 2008 was the recession of dollars. We are currently in the recession of people. And that is the finite resource. Yeah. And people have options. Good people, I should say, have options. And if you're not attuned to that and you don't understand that this is also a bit of a sales process, you probably are going to lose out on your best people. Yeah, Asad talked about that a lot on on the last episode. This is is a candidate-driven market and you need to understand their needs, their wants, so that you can sell. You can talk about the role. You can talk about the business. You can talk about your team, your culture, the career path you put them on. You can speak to that in a really captivating way that makes them go, holy crap, like, these people sound cool. And let me say this, because I do think a lot of people do that, but I think they do it almost right away. They're like, hey, how you doing? Okay, cool. This is you. Okay, great. Let me tell you all about us. Da, 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 yeah, and they yeah, just yeah. start like product puking all yeah. over the place when it's just like, let me understand you both so you can feel heard and I understand your needs. But now when I do go to describe the company or the position, it's in light of the things that actually matter to you. Totally. Right? So there might be 70 things that I'm proud of. But I can tell there's three things that are super important to you. Let me make sure when I talk about the company and the, and the, the position that I just talk about those three things. So the candidate questions are, are actually really, and if you read them, actually, just let me see this, Danny. It's, it's what type of company are you looking to work with? What type of role are you looking for? Uh, what are you good at? What are you not good at? What are you, what are you interested in learning more about? Like, it's very, these are very like, what do you, Mr. or Mrs. Candidate, need what do you want so you're actually this isn't you're not asking these questions to interview them so much you're asking them to assess their needs so that when you talk about your business you can do that in an effective way that that really sells totally okay okay so next danny is this job overview step take us through that yeah so i usually give them what's called like a helicopter tour like an overview of the company itself you're flying over yeah flying over the thing And so it's the company itself and the job itself, right? Okay. And, I, and I do my best to give them it in the context of my experience, but only talk about the things that are important to them, Yeah. if that kind of makes sense. So I'm not trying to go off on some random tangent about all the things I care about, but I do tell them the story about the company from the, the eyes of me. Mm-hmm. And the things I bring up are the things that are important to them. Mm-hmm. And it kind of helps them see it from like, like yeah, like... I'm totally like you. Like I, I, I care. Like that's exactly what I would think too. And it helps them relate and it helps them feel, you know, basically understood. And they're just like, this is the kind of position that I would love to be in because I could see myself in exactly what you, you went through in your own career. So yeah. So I give them a job overview, but in light of their needs, you're selling, I'm yeah, selling you're, and, you're and I'm doing it in a way that they can visually understand it. And in the way that I'm probably most passionate about it, which is my own experience. Yeah. So if, if in the candidate questions, you know, it, it came up that, Hey, you know what? I'm just so like, I've been working at the, like this cubicle job. I really, really hate it. I, 
like what I loved about this position or like the, the, the job posting that you had is it looked like I could work with my hands. I could be outside, be in a really cool environment in a team atmosphere. When you do the job overview tour, let's yeah. say your landscaping yeah, so business, I'm just like, you would I'm, talk about that explicitly. Yeah, so I was just like, you know what? Like, I remember I used to work at Walmart years ago. Yeah. And one of the major things that even got me to start this company was to be able to be outdoors more for myself. It, you know, getting out there in the summertime, awesome tan. I will say winters was kind of another story for me, but having a good time being able to be outdoors and really, you know, just like live a life that's free of like being under a, like a constant neon light yeah. made a huge difference for me. Right. But I, I'll speak to whatever it is in light of my own experience. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's the job overview. You're, you're, you're talking about it and you're trying to make it sound cool. Then you get to these deal breakers. What are the deal breakers and, and why do you want to get them out of the way early? Yeah. So these are things like, you know, can you get yourself to the location? You know, are you willing to take a drug screening test? Do you have the required, you know, cert safety certifications? Like yeah. whatever it is, I need to ask those because sometimes you're like, and I'm sure people have done this before that when you interview people, but you're like, great, you know, welcome to the team. All right. So all you need to do is get yourself to this job site location tomorrow. And they're like, how? You're like, oh, you don't have a license? Yeah. Like, no. It's like, man, we just spent hours and days together. I forgot to ask those things. So I usually ask them early on in the discovery call and it's just get them out of the way. And I hired sure. a painter that was scared of heights once. Yeah. And like on day one, I sent him up a ladder and he had a panic attack. Totally. Yeah. It was like, why, like I, why didn't I do this on the first phone call? I'm such an idiot. He'd, he'd been through like a full orientation. He'd, I bought a bunch of gear for him. Like it just was like totally. so dumb. So, th so those deal breakers are like the obvious things to get out of the way. Just the simple logistical things that you could obviously miss on in an interview. Get them out before you've been set up the interview. Okay. So how do you close one of these calls? So here, this is actually one of the, I would say after all of this, once you've decided that, yes, this is somebody I want to sit down with one of the most important things is the close. Mm -hmm. Because if it's just a quick like, awesome, I'm, I'm doing interviews at Starbucks next week. Do you want to meet me there? Okay, see you then, five o'clock, sounds good, bye. Chances are they're not coming for a lot of reasons. But I, I take my time to go through logistics, set up good expectations, and make sure they're kind of excited to meet with me. G give us an example. So, you know, do you want me to role play with you? Yeah, let's do okay. it. Okay, okay. So Benji, Awesome chatting with you today. Um, I got a lot out of our conversation. And based on kind of what we've gone through so far, I think it's a probably worth both of our time to kind of explore this a little further. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? I'd like that. Cool. Okay. So um, my interview process is somewhat extensive. I want to make sure when we go through this that we have the right amount of time to kind of make sure that you are the right fit. And for your own you know, sake, I, I don't want you to get into a job that's not good for you. And I don't clearly don't want to hire somebody that's not good either. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a bit of time to do this properly. And there's a couple of things I need you to do as well leading up to the interview itself. Fair enough? Yep. Okay. Um, could you grab a pen? Just a few things I want you sure. to write down. Okay, cool. So um, I've got time on Tuesday and Thursday next week, um, 12, whatever, two, three, and five. Mm -hmm. What time works best for you? Uh, Tuesday at 12. Okay. So just make sure you write that down. Um, I'm going to be at the Starbucks at XYZ location. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be about a two hour interview. We might finish a little bit early, but just make sure you're blocked off for that amount of time. Does that still work okay, for you? Yeah, no problem. Okay. That's good. Um, now I'm going to be basically those two days back to back in interviews. So it's quite important that you're able to make it, that you're on time, that you come prepared. Um, if anything comes up, um, let me just give you my cell number just so that you have it. I'd much rather know ahead of time so I can rebook somebody else in okay. and not have you show up at all. So is that fair? Yep, totally. Okay, cool. So my number is XYZ, blah, 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 blah. Cool. 
Last thing, um, I find, you know, it's going to be important for me to learn a lot about you mm -hmm. through this interview, but I want you equally to know as much about us. I think it's just having a good open dialogue is going to make this really work and it'll help you make sure this is the right fit for you too. So to help with that, um, I don't know if you've been yet or not, but go to our website, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I would love you just to read through, you know, the about us section, just generally browse through it to, at your leisure. But what I would really love is for you to come with about five to 10 questions of things that you would like to know more about. You can sure. do that? Okay, cool. So yeah, and we'll open up when we start our, our chat next time with those questions. So that sound good? Sounds really good. I can't wait. Awesome. So like I said, uh, you've got the time, location, everything's written down. Awesome. Um, I look forward to meeting you there. Any other questions that you have? No, I'm good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Great. So talk to you then. And uh, that is a bit. That's See you then. Kind of close it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's it's... I try to add a lot of structure. I try to make sure they're organized. I try and give them a little bit of direction. Mm -hmm. The other thing I always do in between meetings is I give them a little bit of prep to do. It keeps their mind engaged, right? So it's like, right, yeah, I got to look at that website. It gives them some, some homework to do, keeps the excitement up for them, keeps them thinking about me and not just like a quick like, oh yeah, shit, I forgot about that interview. It's yeah. like we've given them something to do and that leads into that interview itself. But I think the thing, you know what I noticed in that, that little role play we did is like, um, there's a tone of excitement to your voice and you're very, very clear about the instructions. You're not vague. You're not like, we'll meet Saturday around this time yeah. at this place. You're like, write it down. It starts right at this time. Be prepared. Be a little bit early. It's a you're, you're giving clear direction um, as far as what you want them to do. Yeah, I, I call it being lovingly assertive. Right. Right. So it's like, look, like I'm clearly encouraging. I'm excited to meet with you. I see opportunity in, in West working together, but I also have some ground rules to make sure that this goes well. Yeah. And I think the right people are drawn to that type of mentality. How long should all this take? You've kind of, we've gone through the framework. We've really expanded on some of the points, but when you're actually doing this live, what's like, um, how long is this phone call? You know what? 20 minutes is a good timeline and giving yourself a full half hour if need be is not unheard of. Okay. So 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. What's the tone and the energy from the candidate? Like, can you notice something about their voice? Um, how, how excited they seem? Like what, what should you be able to notice about the candidate if you've done a good job at this point? Uh, it, they should feel respectful of you. They should be like, man, I'm like, I'm glad I take I got this to, seriously. Yeah, take this seriously. Mm -hmm. And they should feel encouraged. Okay. I think those are two really good words. And so it's like, you know, there's a bit of authority and there's a bit of an, a chance where you're leading the way and they understand that. And they feel encouraged. They feel like this person has my best interests in mind and this person actually genuinely cares about this going well or not well. Like they, they, they're not just trying to force me into a role, which is, which as you get into the interviewing process, you'll see it. But it's very much about understanding, is this a fit or not? And being able to maintain that control. And ultimately, you guys might get into this, I'm not sure, but my interviews themselves were the things that sold the candidate into wanting the job. It was the thoroughness and the prep and the understanding and the feedback even sometimes I would give to people totally. that had them be like, you know your shit. Totally. Right? Amazing. So let's do a quick recap of everything we've, we've covered today. Um, you know, this is the this is episode four of a six part series. I won't recap all the episodes that came before this, but today what we covered is, um, you know, why this why this stage is so important. You need to optimize 
uh, and, and be efficient with your time because you're going to invest in all of these applicants. Uh, the nines and the tens out of 10, they're going to go get scooped up by someone else. So you need to be ready to pounce. Um, this first impressions matter thing is really important. Like this is the first human to human interaction that this applicant is having with your company. So that's, that's why this stage is not one that you can skip or take lightly. Then we talked about how to prioritize based on scanning resumes, how to organize using a folder system. We talked about how to prep for a setup call. So like quiet, distraction-free environment, print out your stuff in advance, mark stuff down on the, on the printed resume that you have in front of you. Then we talked about the process of an actual interview setup call. So doing an intro and check-in, um, getting to know their current work and life situation, those candidate questions that are really important, doing the job overview, running through the deal breakers and the next steps and that excited close where you give them really clear direction on where you want them to go at what time next. So guys, that's, that's the, um, that's how to do an interview setup call. Danny, I want to thank you for doing this with us today. It's been a ton of fun. Yeah, no worries. And I want to mention next week we have on the show, James Alish, who's going to talk about the top to bottom interview process, how to prep for one, how to probe with, with, with good questions, how to score people and how to make final decisions. So that's coming up on episode five of the ultimate hiring funnel series. Welcome back to Contractor Evolution. Benji and Igor here from the studio for episode five of our six-part Ultimate Hiring Funnel series. Now, if you're listening to this, you definitely already know the cost of just one bad hire to your profitability, your team morale, your brand, uh, certainly your own personal stress levels. But what I want you to really think about right now is the true cost over your entire career of not being an exceptional interviewer, of being someone that is susceptible to frequent hiring mistakes. As we say all the time on this show, you run a people-driven business. Your ability to objectively analyze someone's previous behavior and use that to predict their future performance and do that with a high degree of accuracy is one of the deadliest skills you can have as an entrepreneur. Your growth potential is directly related to how well you can team build, and interviewing is arguably the most crucial step in the whole process. Understanding a candidate, not just in terms of what's on their resume, but actually their deep-rooted wiring, their personality style, their strengths, their weaknesses, their core values, and even their wants and needs for the future allows you to be an extremely precise decision maker when it comes to personnel. This is why we're really excited to be joined today by James Alish, the managing director of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, the world's largest junk removal service. James is at the helm of a brand doing $490 million a year in revenue and is executing a multi-year strategy to exceed a billion by 2025. Now, over the course of his extensive career, James has done literally thousands of interviews to build powerhouse teams. He knows this all-important process inside and out, and we're thrilled to have him on to share his wisdom and his insights on the topic of interviewing with you. Yeah, and just before we get into it, guys, if you want to look at the interviewing framework that we discuss in this episode, check out the link in the description. You can download it for free and use it in your next interview. So let's get into some interviewing secrets with one of the best in the game, James Alish. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting.
Hey, just before we jump into things, I wanted to let you know you can get the free resources that we talk about in this episode in the show description. So hit pause right now, go download them, and they'll be waiting in your inbox by the time we finish this episode. James Alish, thanks for coming to the studio and joining us on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Igor. We really appreciate you being here, James. Uh, I want to start with what I think is an easy one, okay? so Softball. Why do we interview? What are we hoping to accomplish by doing these? Yeah, great question, Benji. I think that's uh, might be an easy one, but the interesting piece in my experience is not 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 everybody's always clear on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, from my experience or my perspective, uh, if you're going to invest the time in uh, in doing an interview properly, there's three reasons that you would do it. Uh, one is that you would be um, scoring someone on some specific criteria, very specific criteria. So you want to have a roadmap for what you're interviewing the person for, and you want to have an objective score on those things at the end of the interview so that you can make a decision. Totally. You know, on moving the person forward or not. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, so that you can predict performance of the person. Like when you're interviewing the person, you got the criteria, you score them. What you're trying to do is you're trying to predict their performance given that you may have just met them and you're trying to see what their fit is. So that's number one. Um... Number two is you're trying to find out the gaps because not everybody's perfect. You're never going to find that perfect candidate. So even if they do score well on certain criteria, where are their, their weaknesses? They've got stuff their, to work on. Yeah, their limitations so that you can coach them and you have a realistic expectation going in. And that, that is part of the interview. That's part of the reference checks. But trying to create a full picture of not just where are they strong, but where do you need to be prepared mm-hmm. to lean in with them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the third reason would be to, uh, to sell you know, the, uh, the stronger the candidate, the more attracted they are to um, structure and the more attracted they are to uh, someone who really is clear on what they're looking for and what they're not looking for. So the reality is part of how you conduct an effective interview is, uh, is to attract the candidate to say yes, should you want to offer them the role. So those would be the three reasons. And I think that selling piece is the one that's that's uh, underestimated the most, particularly in this in this contracting space. It's there, there's um, everyone needs to realize like the people that you want on your team, the A plus players, they're probably going to three or four other interviews that week. You are absolutely not the only option that they have in front of them. So. Speaking about the company, speaking about the values, the role in a way, we talked about this in the last episode in the series as well when we were doing these interview setup calls, being able to capture that person's attention in a way that that makes them think, you know what, I think of the three routes I have in front of me, this one feels like the best one. That's, yep. that's the sales piece. Yeah. And I really like James's second point there. I think a lot of people don't really register this uh, in their mind is, is that you're really building a long-term relationship with this person that begins at that interview. And if you're going to lead them and coach them and develop them, mm-hmm. this is such a great starting point to understand where the fit is exceptional and where there are some gaps. Because, I mean, we've all felt this, right? You're kind of like trying to put this like square peg into a round hole. No one's ever perfect. Like how often does someone come across your desk where they are like the most perfect fit in every way? It's so rare. And you wouldn't kind of build a career of developing great leaders under you where you can only slot in the perfect ones. You You have to develop in a way where you can put in people that aren't quite perfect around all the edges and develop them. And that absolutely starts at, at the interview process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So James, let me ask you this. You've done, um, you've done a huge number of interviews. Your career has grown from hiring painters and running painting crews to now, like most recently interviewing, you know, current CFOs of large national companies and and everything in between. Do these principles around interviewing change? How are they different? Like if you're hiring a painter versus a CFO in, in, in a very large organization, like what's different? What's the same? Yeah, I think great question. I think, um, what's different is, um, you know, I can probably expect, or, uh, one would expect when you're just a little more advanced in your career, you're interviewing people at a higher level that you're going to be talking primarily to qualified candidates. Mm -hmm. So that's a difference, right? So it's, right. it's less of, are they capable? Um, and it's more on fit, mm. yeah. right? So whereas, you know, if you're, you're hiring a technician or you're hiring a laborer of any kind, part of what you're trying to de determine is, is competence as well as fit, right? right? And so there's a couple more things that you're probably probing in on. But in terms of what's the same, uh, you know what, Igor, I believe that the, the, the principles of know what you're looking for mm. being kind of the foundation uh, for an interview, that doesn't change at all. It doesn't matter what the what the role is, what the level is, whether you're a, you know, you're a, a senior executive of a very very large organization, or whether you're a junior salesperson coming on and you're the first salesperson mm -hmm. in the company. The hard work of the interview is for the person that's making the decision to be really clear on how they're going to make their decision, because when interviews break down, or mm -hmm. also known as we waste a lot of our time, it's <laughs> when it becomes very subjective, right? And you have these conversations with others. And go, I feel that the person is this, or I like this, right? That's not an interview. That's a yeah. conversation, right? So the more <laughs> the more clear you are on how yeah. you're going to make your decision, which is really the hard work that comes up front, and that's you know you know I'm sure you're you know you're familiar and you guys use the language of a fit model. The more you know what your model is and how you're going to determine, like really, okay. So I'm saying in my business, you know, to the audience, it's a sales role or it's a it's an operations manager role. Well, what does that mean for you? Like, mm. what are your top mm. five things you want to see? Because there could be 15 things that you want, but what are the five most important? So that that doesn't change regardless of the role. And to me, that's kind of the, the bedrock of trying to find the right person. I love it. And that's that's such a piece that I think a lot of people, uh, especially as, as they're developing as a leader and an entrepreneur and are interviewing and, and the, their company's growing and you're interviewing more and more people and, and higher level people, that's such a step that people miss is that pre-planning and pre-thinking yeah. when you're designing the role. It's just, it, it is something that often gets completely missed. So on that note, what I would love to do is to dive into for you, what are the steps that you go through uh, on every interview? Like what are the fundamental principles that stay, whether you're hiring a technician or, or a head of operations or anything in between? So tell us a bit about like you know, right from the in, the initial kind of candidate profile, the ideal candidate profile, how do you kind of think through what you're looking for, developing what what is this fit model, the preferences and abilities, mm -hmm. what am I looking for? How do you go through that whole process? Walk us walk us through it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You just, I'm going to say something before I answer your question, and you can come back to it later if you want, yeah. but just made me think of something is when you're, when you're um, uh, I'm thinking about... Um, our organization, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, which is a you know a home services business like many of your listeners are, or any service business, whether it's in a franchise or a local, you know, someone that's uh, building a brand locally. Uh, one of the things that I find people are doing more and more, um, um, and it's more and more dangerous in the labor market that we're getting into uh, and are experiencing right now across North America is uh, making gross assumptions hmm. based on 
what they see in an application or an applicant. Yeah. Right. It happens a lot less as you get to mid-management, senior management, than executive level. Like That's not a problem, but just for your audience, uh, just a heads up that be careful how much you assume mm -hmm. <laughs> based on a first impression. Right. And speed to lead trumps everything. Hmm. So you want to be qualifying people in, not qualifying people out. But maybe we can come back to that, just that thought triggered when you asked mm -hmm. the question. But um, it's... Uh, you can miss a lot of good people because what you read on a page isn't necessarily the way that you would have written it. But are you talking like 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 people might be overvaluing certain? Hey, I really need someone with five years of landscaping experience, and so like sure. you make it too narrow of a, yeah. a piece of criteria. And it's like well, actually this person that like managed a Dairy Queen for a couple of years, which maybe like doesn't look like your perfect fit. They're actually they actually have everything that you would need. You just didn't do like the probe and you didn't dig into them. So you're like you're actually putting too much on what's on the resume and not enough on like the interview, the values, their previous history. Yeah, I, it's, that's it, Benji. I think I think you got to be careful how many assumptions you make. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. the reason often people make the assumptions, and I totally know Igor, I'm going a different direction than it's your okay. question, but we'll bring okay. this train back. Um, um, people generally make assumptions or can make assumptions because they've had a bad experience or been burned in the past yeah. and they project that onto the person or the application that they see. I just say like, if you're trying to grow a service business from 500,000 to a million or a million to 3 million, or 10 million, whatever yeah. it is, your biggest asset is your people and just slow down. Don't make any assumptions. Mm -hmm. and your, your example of, um, uh, what was it managing a, uh, yeah. Like if you were looking, if you were looking for a, for, for a new landscape technician or a foreman yeah. or so, some sort of like boots on the ground type role, what I've seen people do a lot is they like insist that you need to have all of these qualifications. You need to have yeah. these tickets. You've worked with this equipment and these mm -hmm. tools. And it's like, you're looking for a needle in a haystack in an already extremely competitive market. Why don't you just like loosen up on what you say you need and actually look at the individual? Because the they, yeah. they probably, you could probably make that person into an unbelievable asset for your company, but you're like, you're looking at it in this very black and white sort of yeah. gridded way that I think is to their detriment. Yeah, I'm, I, exactly. What I'm saying is, is just be careful on your assumptions yeah. and you don't want to miss out on people. And uh, in my experience, like um, you hire for fit, uh, especially at the at the level of that the businesses that we're talking about, and uh, if you use your example, like can you train the competence of how to, you know, deliver an on budget, you know, on quality standard mm -hmm. customer experience, you know, um, landscaping project? Can you train that? You probably can. If yeah. the person has, you know, uh, high customer orientation, they are dependable. They have a high need for money. They. Um, Whatever, go on. You could go on and on. Yeah. They, they, they are oriented to goals, yeah. right? Those, all these types of things, and um, sometimes that shows up really, really poorly in a first impression of a, mm -hmm. of a, an email or or, mm -hmm. or a resume. Anyways, we don't have. But to But it's get your up on job this. to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't don't yeah. You want you want to start wider, yeah. right? Yeah. Start wider, and uh, the challenge for that is time, right? Yeah. Because if we've got entrepreneurs that are listening to us, they're like, yeah, James, that's great. I can talk to all kinds of people, but I don't have time because I'm yeah. in my vehicle or I'm leading other crews or other people. I get that totally. So we can talk about that later, then find someone who can dedicate their focus to finding you the best people because that's the biggest component to your success as you grow. 100%, right? And, and we did speak to this a few episodes ago in this Ultimate Hiring Funnel series where the, there is huge ROI on having people drive recruiting. I think you guys see that like in your, in, in the O2E uh, work, like yeah. how many people would you guys have that, are, that, that touch recruiting in some way? Well, everybody touches it, but I think the the businesses that are growing the fastest, and just speaking from my own experience of businesses I, I have owned, when we've hit kind of critical inflection points, um, if you're in a service business, people is people are your your mm -hmm. 
your biggest asset. And uh, when you can dedicate resources to that, and, and when I say to that, it doesn't even have to be the full funnel recruiting. It could just be the top of funnel. Mm-hmm. People who are trained and competent at, at how to job broadcast and how to fill a funnel, how to, where to apply the right time, what times of day, et cetera. Just that focus is everything. And then that allows you that choice. So how mm-hmm. many people? Everybody touches it. And I'd say, uh, you know, in a system of you know, the 1-800 Got Junk system is 500 million in revenue. We've got 160 franchise partners. We've got uh, 60-ish full-time dedicated recruiters that probably touch 80, half of the system yeah. so or, or more. And then yeah. we've got a bunch of others that are part-time dedicated. There's stats on this that says when you're, when you're, um, uh, I'm not even going to tell you what the number is because I don't want to dissuade the listeners from from jumping in with both feet. I believe this is an investment. You're at a million bucks. You want to get to 10 million or five million. Invest in this role. But there's there's all kind of data data on that can that can give you some backup totally. to prove it out. Yeah. So ha- having a full top of funnel pretty pretty crucial to to having the rest play out. Yeah. So effectively. totally. So do you want yeah. to go now to the uh, to your question on the process? Yeah. So t- tell us a bit about the process. So let's just say like we, we are at a point where we have a strong funnel. You yep. are starting to have people that are going to sit in front of you at your desk. Yep. Tell us a bit about your process. Like what are you doing prior to meeting with these individuals? So on and so forth. And I'm your audience and I'm hearing this. That's the lens yes. that we're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, step one, I think we touched on a little bit. It's that it's that roadmap or the fit and really wrestling with yourself and saying, okay, how I, I would do it is I would start wider and brainstorm. Okay, here's 10 things that I'd like to see in somebody that works for me. Sales experience, the ability to drive a vehicle, yeah. uh, getting right down to it. Um, attainment, the preference to hit goals, a track rate, record for leadership, the ability to finish what you start, emotional control, values alignment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So then I got 11 things. I can't interview for 11 things. Yeah. But I can interview for like five, right? Mm-hmm. So what are the core five, right? And I'm going to pick up some notes on the others as I go. So define your core five or six. So here, here are my criteria. Once I've got my criteria, then I would weight them because not all criteria are necessarily interesting. Equal, right? right? So this is the part where you say wrestle with yourself because you have yeah. to make some of these tough decisions, right? If this is like a sales guy or sales leader, maybe you're saying, well, his ability to be super precise and detail-oriented isn't the most critical thing yeah. among some of these others. Right, right. Like right. his gas tank, his orientation to goals, his, his, yeah. a, his experience in leading a sales team, you know, in, in that role specifically. Or if, if I had somebody who was leading a call center and ran my workforce management, decisions and, sorry, precision and detail is pretty important, totally, right? Yeah. Every decision impacts a lot of dollars. Yeah. So yeah, the roadmap and then prioritizing them. Right. And the beauty of this is, for everybody that's listening, uh, the great news is you don't really have to do this over and over, right? Like as you're scaling a business, and I'm sure you guys talk yeah. about this yeah. all the time, the objective is to have this done for the roles and ideally in advance when you need the roles. Yeah, exactly. You've got these models clear, uh, and then you just use them over and over again. But if you don't have them the first time you build them, and so I've got my five criteria, I weight them. Um, and then um, uh, in terms of preparation, uh, I would advise people uh, don't underestimate you know, the importance of just giving yourself a little bit of focused time to think in advance about the fit and who the person is. Yeah. Again, part of the prep sometimes is just opening yourself up to what you may see in the CV or the letter and saying, hey, I'm... I'm got some problems with this, just relax and just be open and do your thing. Yeah. Um, and then um, when, when, when you meet with a candidate, I'd recommend the person follow a process um, that looks something similar to, you've got bookends to the interview. Mm-hmm. On one side, uh, similar to any uh, sales process, you would start with rapport. And uh, to me, rapport is the art of getting somebody else talking. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's how you would start. You just, you just check in, you would connect with the person 
Um, then you would move to laying out a clear agenda for the interview, which is structure, which we talked earlier about. There's a bit of selling going there. Like I'm not, I'm not selling features, but I'm conveying competence. Yeah. That, that's what the selling is. I've right? done this before. This isn't my first time doing an interview. That's, that's the impression yeah, you want to give the person what, yeah, sitting across right. from you. I, yeah, I don't have an abundance of time. I'm taking this really seriously. Yeah. I really appreciate you being here and I'm going to guide us on how we're going to use the time. Any questions? That's kind of the orientation that you want mm. them to be feeling. So you lay out the agenda. Um, and then you uh, you go through your probing, which we want to talk a bit about that specifically. Mm -hmm. We can, 100%. but then you, the the meat and potatoes of the interview is you walking through the person's experiences mm -hmm. and looking for very specific examples in life where you're probing in and you're really proving to yourself that what you're looking for is there or it isn't there. Wrap up with uh, the allowance of the person to ask you some questions. Make sure you always give them the opportunity. Um, to uh, you know, get clear on whatever you need, then you set the clear next steps, whatever that may be. Um, and we can talk a bit about the end of the interview and how you might yeah. how you might be talking and painting the picture for future opportunities and how that might look a little bit different Let, with let's people. Dive into what you just said a second ago. You're walking through the, you, their previous experience and you're you're looking for evidence of certain traits that mm -hmm. you have deemed are important. Yeah. And this is that's that's done. You know, that's that's premeditated. We we did that. Um, in our ideal candidate profile. So let's just say you're getting to, uh, you've done the rapport, they're comfortable, they've taken the mask off, you set purpose and outcomes, they know why, they know why they're there, they understand the process that's about to follow, but now you're into the, that focus time, you've shifted your energy, yep. and I'm gonna use an example of attainment. Like we've deemed that the role we're hiring, we need to have someone that's goal-oriented, mm -hmm. it's how they're wired, it's in their DNA. How would, like, how would you actually probe for that trait like give us an example of what that might sound like in a, in a james allish interview sure sure so if i was um someone in uh in your audience and whether it was a sales role an operations role um pro not probably before I, I started probing for attainment i would i would get a bit of a roadmap for who they were which typically you could see on a linkedin profile if they have one mm -hmm. you can see in a resume you kind of got that in front of you but i would just validate that before i started probing i'd say Let's talk about you and what's the journey and what you've done. And I would literally like write, map it out you know, mm -hmm. with the person if I'm in person, I'm in, in person with them and say, okay, in the last five years, here's kind of what you've done. Here so you are your literally jobs. have it out like on a timeline where you're yeah. kind of looking at what, what have they been up to in the last five, 10 years? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Highs, lows. Yes, highs and stuff. lows. Because where the examples, Benji, are going to come out are in that person's life, yeah. right? Like whether it's their jobs, their relationships, mm -hmm. their community involvement, their sports, mm -hmm. um, whatever. Like what you want to know is what do I have to work with? What's the roadmap of this person's life? Okay, so I'm talking to Igor and look at this. He's done some skiing. Uh, he's got a family of five. He's um, worked at three different places and uh, he's moved twice. Okay, good. That's what I'm going to talk about. So to your question, now that I have those six things, attainment will show up or won't show up in every one of those things. Right. So if you, if you, for example, if he's talking about, if so I know this roadmap. So Igor, let's talk about this, uh, this job here. When you were working for Johnson Industries, tell me about that role. Get the person talking a little bit. What were you working towards there, Igor? What were some mm -hmm. goals that you were shooting for at that time? Mm -hmm. If someone has attainment, if I were to ask this guy right now, what were some goals in his last job? It'd be very easy for him yeah. to answer the question. I love goals. Right? <laughs> um, someone with high attainment, uh, there's a, a good friend and a mentor of mine, uh, Tim Clark, a year, decades ago probably. I'm sorry, Tim, I'm dating us. He would have said something to me that was quite funny, but uh, stuck with me. Someone with high attainment will have that come out in how they tie their shoes. 
right? And I laugh because I think of myself and my day and how my day goes. And like, I know what time I'm up. I've got a goal to have my coffee made by a certain time. Yeah. I'm going to have this done by 6.20 in the morning. By this time, I want to be doing this. And before I get in my first meeting, this, this, and this has to, be, has to get done. You're so wired that, that way. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's a preference that you have, right? Yeah. And so if you find yourself having to, and this is the same as any, any preference or characteristic um, that we were talking about, we could talk about Penji. The harder you have to look for something, mm. the more likely it isn't there. And th- th- I think I've heard you say that's, that's the hardest part of an interview is when you, you, you perhaps you like someone, you really, need, you really need someone to fill this position. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, dig, you're digging, you're going to the bottom of the bale or <laughs> barrel and you're like, well, okay, where, where is this attainment here? Is it where are you're we going to... You're sure you've never <laughs> set a goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> right, and that connects back to what we talked about earlier when I, we were talking about the fact you have to have flow at the top of your funnel because if you've got no choice... You're yeah. gonna you're, say like you're you're more you're more yeah. tempted to drop your standards and say I have to fill this role with someone that I believe even if I've done a great interview yeah. isn't a strong fit. Forget about ideal that doesn't exist, but just a strong fit, right? Yeah. So the recipe for that to solve that is go back to what we talked about earlier. Get somebody focused on supporting you, filling your top of funnel, and take that seriously. It's an investment, like marketing dollars. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to get back to this whole probing thing, and sure. we're using the example of attainment and someone that's naturally has like a has a strong orientation deep wired, goals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Orientation to goals. So, there, um, you're walking through their 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 life story over the last ten years, the highs, the lows. How are you kind of peeling back the onion? What are what is your general approach to getting deeper and deeper into specific scenarios? Right. So you said you get them talking. You're working at Johnson Industries. What what was your what were your objectives? What like where might you go from there? Yeah, I believe truth shows up uh, a couple of levels down. You know, Mm -hmm. when you think about the people that your audience is interviewing, you know, um, I'm assuming primarily, uh, you know, field sales teams or operations teams. It would be like laborers, foremen, project managers, like potentially operations managers for bigger businesses. There'd be like an administrative, so office managers, secretaries, bookkeepers, maybe an estimator salesperson on the other side, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Been there with all of them and uh, uh, totally get it. And uh, so the truth shows up a couple layers down. Because is um, so with your example, Igor, um, they say that they've got a previous employment at um, Johnson Industries, whatever it was, and uh, you say, well, w- what were some things you were uh, trying to accomplish there? Mm-hmm. And let's say you're Mike that I'm in- interviewing, and you say. What were some things you were trying to accomplish in that role? So I had to bring in one and a half million dollars a year in revenue, uh, or I'm sorry, in sales, and um, and I had to bring in work at a certain that hits a certain gross gross profit mark, and I had quarterly goals, and I was held accountable by month, essentially. Okay, usually it's not. You know, that's a layup. Usually it's that's <laughs> okay. that much. It's to worse. <laughs> I had to bring in a bunch of sales. My manager didn't tell me exactly how much, but I knew I had to work super hard. Okay, so we got something. He's got yeah. a sales target there, right? Yeah. So I've got a sales target. So what I'm now going to do is I'm going to try to unpack how, if I'm looking for attainment, like yeah. what your level of attainment is, and and how you know uh, mm-hmm. strongly you go after goals. What I want to look. I'm just going to talk about that, and I'm going to just go in into that, and I'll show you how I'll do that in a second. Um, but I'm looking to see. Uh, was this something that was actually hard for him, easy for him, mm. meaningful to him, not meaningful for him? Um, somebody can be given given a number as a salesperson mm. by a sales manager, and that person, Mike over here, he can say, yeah, my goal is selling a million in sales. 
he could have no attainment. He just worked in a in a in a business where somebody said your goal is um, totally you know a million bucks. So I would maybe say maybe the brand was great and work came in and and he was lucky and yeah. away he went. Yeah, yeah. So I would just I, I would say okay, Mike, let's, let's start talking about that. Tell me about that. Who set your goals? How did that How did that go? How how many how many years were you there again? Okay. So how did the goals vary by year? Okay. So just with this goal, what was that first one called? Okay. Who set that? What was his name? What was your manager sales manager's name? At that point, you can tell how easy it is for the person to answer the question or how hard, how much they have to really scramble and think. Mm. And that's showing me that this probably isn't that natural, but I keep going. So I try to recreate the environment of where that actually happened. And what I'm trying to decipher is how authentic and real is this? What did it really mean to the person? How hard did they have to work? And that just, that kind of gives me what I'm looking for. So I would take Mike down a path of where were you? How did it happen? Who were the very specific people that mm. were involved? Talk to me about the challenges involved with that. Right. How did you overcome those challenges? And if there's nothing there, I stop because what we all do when we need people badly or we're in a time crunch, we just keep asking the same question. We're, and eventually we're going to hear what we want to answer, yeah. right? Like, oh, there's the attainment finally. Totally. Thanks, Mike, right? <laughs> there was a goal. There yeah, was yeah, a totally. goal. Yes, yes. Yeah. I can justify yeah. myself spending time, time with this person now. But you can't do that, right? Like you have to be honest with yourself and say, I'm either working too hard to find this or the example is there. And if the example is there, it's not hard for the person to give you the example. No. Yeah. Right? If a person is high precision or they're very detail-oriented, very structured, we all know them. Yeah. It's not difficult to find that. Right. Right? You talk yeah. about, so you talk, somebody's in an admin role or a finance role for you and you're looking for precision. It's like, how do you organize your time? Talk to me about that. As a matter of fact, can you show me that? Yeah. Show me what you do. When do you do that? Why do you do it that way? If someone's, you know, high precision, like, a, they're going to love showing you because they're proud of it. Right. Someone isn't, it'll be very obvious. Yeah. You're looking for example after example after yeah. example yeah. after example. And the people that genuinely have that trait, it will show up in space. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be everywhere. Yeah, it's it'll there be in recent not. history. It will be in yeah. way back in their past. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, but so the important point I want to highlight, and, and this is great in this context that, J that James gave, your job as an interviewer is to, to help them be open to set it up that way and then to lead them down that conversational path, yeah. right? You're there to facilitate the environment and the conversation and dig kind of deeper and, and bring it to life mm -hmm. for them, but even more importantly for you to bring the scenario to life. That's mm -hmm. your job. And, and then the truths will either be there or they won't. That's kind Correct. of what we're saying, right? Yeah. But what we don't care about is what they say they will do. Like this ah, is, this we didn't is, even get into a, that. This <laughs> is a huge, huge, huge pitfall that I think a lot of our listeners will You'll make. You'll do really great work, James. Is, you? They'll go, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just it. Hey, you know what? This job requires a certain level of grit. It requires a certain level of tenacity, long days, physically demanding. You're you're gonna do that, right? Yeah, totally. you bet. Absolutely, for sure. It's like that. That means nothing. Yeah. You're always looking at previous behavior, using that to predict their future performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we didn't mention that explicitly, but that 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 is super fundamental, I think, to everything we're talking about. When 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 James was talking about that that timeline, that timeline is in the past. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 It is. It is. All your decisions are based on what they've done. So basically, paraphrasing what you said, Benji, that. That example you just went through, that's not an inter interviewing question. That's a, that's a hopeful discussion. Alley-oop. Yeah, you're <laughs> teeing them up an easy one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good. So, James, it, as, as you open up these kind of stories in, the, in this environment for them to speak to the things that they've done, um, do you then systematically, I just want to understand how this works for you in your interview planning, are you systematically going through different preferences 
and abilities that you are looking for. Like you'll, you'll dive into attainment. You're like, okay, I got a sense of where it is and I'll score them. Now I'm going to switch to a totally different topic, like how coachable are they and, and their their, where are they at in their level of introspection? Are you kind of going one, then the other, then the one after? What, what's, what's your model? I'll maybe add one more step to that, to kind of the process that you just mapped out that we talked about before I answer that specifically. When you have the criteria, and this maybe just this goes without saying, but I'll say it anyways. When you've got the criteria you're looking for to score, base a decision on, way of looking at that is call it your interview scoring matrix, right? Mm-hmm. You've got these things that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, bump up against that are objective that I'm gonna make my decision with. Make sure, sh- just if, if you're involving any other people in the uh, equation, make sure that they're clear on what is then ultimately the, the, role, the result of the role that you want to see this, this hire being able to do. So for example, probably the most broadly, if you were hiring somebody to be a territory manager for your, um, for your business and you're expanding into a new market, uh, you've got your scoring matrix so that you can predict the person's volume Mm-hmm. quality and profitability. Mm-hmm. So just my, the reason I say that is, we didn't touch on it earlier, is just have the end in mind of what you're trying to um, score for. The reason I say that is because we touched on build the system and scale the system earlier. Like mm-hmm. you, don't wanna, you don't have to do this every time. Everybody listening probably is saying, James, well, why would you do that? I'm the person doing all the interviews. Like I, I know why I'm doing this. Mm. But will yeah, well, it be forever? Exactly. Take yeah. the time, right? Document it, map it out so that you can insert somebody and you can coach people to do this for you and scale your business so you don't have to be the person doing it all the time. So um, put yeah. that on pause. Now I'm going to ask you back to your question because I almost forgot it. Yeah, so the question is is essentially, we're, so we're building up the model to, to your exact point right now. Yeah. You, you've built a bit of a model. So you're saying if I'm hiring an operations manager, I need them to have traits one, X, two, y, three, Z, four. Yeah. Exactly. So in your interview, um, and, and I'm just thinking to your kind of interview agenda, very practically speaking, you are interviewing for the first one, and then will you kind of Got zoom it, yeah. back out and now go into another one? Yeah. So I'll, I'll have it in front of me, and I'll and for each role, it should become old hat because you, you're getting clear on what you're what you're looking for. And it's not, I wouldn't say, Igor, it's, it's completely linear. Okay. Right? It's not totally linea- linear. You will follow a path, and let's say you have five things that you're looking to score the person on. You, you go through them you know, in the order that whatever your preferred order is. But usually I would go with uh, the one that's weighted the highest first. <laughs> you want to get mm-hmm. your, your most important ones done in case you run out of time. Um, but what will happen is in those conversations, other things will show up. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, we're talking, we go back to the example of... Um, I'll just pick one, like what is this person's uh, emotional control or what is their, what is their mm-hmm. ability to lead a team and inspire a team of salespeople or crews or whatever it is. Say you're, say you're interviewing on leadership. As I'm going into their previous experiences on leadership and asking them about the different roles and where were you and how hard was it, how easy was it, what were you responsible for, how did you get that role, tell me more about that, who were the people, who did you like, who didn't you like, where were the conflicts, mm-hmm. da-da-da, all that stuff. Other things will surface. Other things will surface. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. I'm looking for leadership, but I'm actually making little notes about their values, or right. I'm making little notes about whatever, like their organization. So it's it's not a it's not a completely linear, you know, uh, focus where you're just right. listening for one thing. It's it's your your ears are always open. Depending on the candidate, you may knock out three criteria just going down one path, right? you know? So you're more focused on, on, on the life stage and life path because maybe when they were working at Johnson Industries and trying to hit some sort of sales goal, 
they were part-time doing their MBA and had to balance both. And maybe their child was very sick and in a very difficult time. And they had to balance all of those things and be present maybe as a father and do the right thing for the education that they're pursuing and perform at their job. You might, you're saying you might see multiple traits all through that maybe same year of their life. Absolutely. And going back to what Benji said earlier, like the, the art of the interview is really leveraging someone's past experiences to predict their future performance, right? So you're leveraging their past experiences and trying to really understand what did they go through in their in those past experiences and then mm-hmm. taking it and applying it to what you want to find out, like whether it's goal orientation or leadership or whatever exactly. it is, precision. Yeah. But yeah, it's all about just going deep and understanding what things meant to people, what were they going through, why, and uh, yeah, you'll you'll pick up little nuggets that'll yeah. kind of cross a number of the criteria. So <laughs> as as you're collecting the the data from the past in a fairly free flowing way, you you talk about attainment for a bit, but then you move on to their problem solving for a little while, and then mm-hmm. maybe you go to their leadership capacity. You you kind of you're building the picture. Um, how do you you mentioned like the interview scoring matrix? Can you just break down kind of how? you know, what's an A, what's an F, what's a B? Like, how do you be as objective as possible with, you know, what is essentially is just someone's someone's memory? Like, how do you score it and, and then compare it to each other? Because I think that's something that is can be really, really sure. kind of gray and you want it to be as black and white as possible. Sure, especially for people that are new to following a process like this or yeah. never been coached on it or never had it been taught to them. So how, I think, Benji, you're asking, like, how do I know how to score somebody? Yeah. So I hear you, like, give me a tool sheet to score somebody, but how do I know how to... What score is, right? So real simple, I'd recommend one to five, right? Five high, one low. And uh, two factors you're looking for is how many examples of that you're seeing. And the other, so the, the, the more examples I see of someone's tenacity or someone's grit or their leadership, if it comes up frequently, that's one way to score them higher. And the mm-hmm. other one is the significance of the examples. Mm. So I will, I, will, I will wait high if, if um, for example, um, uh, you're, you're probing on somebody's values, you're trying to get a feel for what this, this person's values is, and it's maybe somebody earlier on in their career, and they have some examples where it was really, really hard for them to show up and stand up for what they believed in, which is really how you interview for values, but it was significant. Like, this was a doozy. Well, that's okay. That's, that's to me, that's worth a couple of little examples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, if somebody was interviewing, they said, hey, this person's a four on this, or they're uh, um Fives are easy because it's all over the place, right? right. Like it's just oozing out. Like it's, it's just yeah, there. yeah, it's yeah. there. It's easy. Um, twos and ones you're not going to bring back anyway, so that's also easy. But when they're kind of threes, you know, that's it's that's kind of there, but it's not significant. Which is yeah. why exactly, which is why you have to go prove it. Where in the past have they shown this? Where in the past did you see this in the in the uh, in the interview? Yeah. Um, yeah, so you gotta you gotta see a couple of examples, yeah, two, okay. three, four examples, and and that's the hard part. I think I find for myself as an interviewer is like you have to really be objective with yourself. Like, is it there, or are you having to convince yourself that 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 it is it is really strong enough? To to James's point, like if if you're doing your job as an interviewer, helping them bring the story to life, it will really show up, and yeah. and you will see it. So I want to come in just with one really important point uh, for everybody listening. Um, we're talking about a lot of really awesome stuff just in this interview framework. If you want to see this in real life, 
uh, we've actually created this interview matrix with these preferences and abilities, and they are available if you go to the show notes uh, and look at the click the link in the description. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to download this interview matrix that James is talking about with these different preferences and abilities, um, and how we might go about scoring them. So, um, I just want to ask you. I think this is kind of assumed, but I just want to say explicitly. I'm assuming you're you are taking notes on all this, right? Because if you're interviewing a number of people you are you are tracking this stuff right even though maybe it, it is it does make it a bit more difficult because you you'd need to be fully present in the conversation but you do have a notepad on the side yeah 100 percent for many many reasons mostly to be able to go back and substantiate why you're scoring yeah. somebody what they are and hopefully you're seeing a few people but we talked earlier about displaying competence yeah and you want to be you want to be precise with your notes and when mm-hmm. you're when you're having an example and you're probing in and you're talking about something that happened four or five years ago or two years ago and you're asking the person's name and you're saying where you want to demonstrate competence as a leader yourself by being precise with what you retain and what you're asking. So, um, and I I just don't have time to waste. So I need to make sure the relevant things are captured and I'm sure all everybody's listening, uh, also is feeling that, you know, Mm -hmm. but when you're in an interview and there's nothing like it at, uh, at the end of the interview or, um, or even in follow-up. And you say, I just want to ask you one more question. Back in uh, 2017, where you, when you were in Michigan and you were talking to Stephen Smith about this, um, you said that this happened. <laughs> now, I just want to be clear. Did this happen or did that happen mm. with that person, Don? And that was an hour and a half ago in yeah. the conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in my feeling, if I'm being interviewed by you, it's like you whoa. have your stuff together. Yeah. Yeah, and and again, that's that's not. I guess somebody can consider that a tactic. That's not as much a, t- a tactic to do anything, but it's just being precise. will send the right message. It'll attract the A players. It'll save you time. It'll get you to your your outcome quicker. Mm-hmm. So your question was, do you take notes? Yeah, I don't know how someone can have time not to take notes. So totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. good. Um, so so that's that kind of focused probing. Um, one of the things you said to me earlier is is that it's really only after this that you're opening up to their questions, and I guess in, in a typical sense, like selling some value. Why do you do that later as opposed to opening with that and having like a half hour conversation just about their 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 questions and things? How come you leave that for the end? Yeah. Um, well, okay. Two, two answers to that question. One is I, I may, like I'm comfortable getting some questions at the beginning. I'm not going to answer them though. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm not going to answer them is because this isn't an information session. This is an interview. Mm. Right. I'm assuming that we've gone through the steps so that the person has a general understanding of what the role is. I'm putting myself in the, the shoes of your audience. Uh, there's been a qualifying call. Maybe there's been some steps to lead up to that. Mm-hmm. I've got the time blocked in my calendar. I am here to do three things. Score a person on whether or not they're going to move forward in the process or not, understand where their gaps are and sell them to the next step. Mm-hmm. If there's somebody that, that is a fit. If this is an info session, it's then, different. then it's different, right? And, yeah. and I'm sure you guys have all kinds of tools and mechanisms on how to use content and get things to yeah. people in advance and save time. So that's, that's the answer. I think it's, uh, I think it's, Igor, it's, it's okay to get people's questions up front. If I were to do that, depending on you know, how you're managing time or something we haven't talked about also is group interviews. We should mm-hmm. talk about that for a minute, but, um, uh, if I don't really know where they're at, I might do that at the front end and I'm going to take notes. And that's also going to help me maybe hit on some things 
um, throughout my questions, mm -hmm. and it's going to equip me for how much time I'm going to need at the end. Yeah. But it's also going to tell me what kind of homework they did, but um, usually I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to the bottom end. Yeah, totally. It's a really good point. Um, my process has always been is, is we would have an info meeting, or what we sometimes call a discovery prior. meeting, prior. Yep. And I love that distinction that, that James brings. That is different than being interviewed. One of the things you and I have spoken about previously, when we didn't mention it, directly when we started here, but it is a very important bit, is you talk about the energy shift yeah. when moving into an interview. Because there's the rapport kind of, as you say, getting the, getting somebody ready, like like set up for a great conversation, getting yeah. them open. Um, you talk a bit about this energy shift. Like it's very clear that this is, this is getting serious. It's not like we're diving into you and your background and qualifying you as a fit, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. You want me to talk a bit about yeah, that? Yeah, please. Okay. Um, and the point you made about, uh, that we were talking about info session versus an interview, again, coming back to focus, having a person focused on this in your business, even if you think you can't afford it and you're not there yet, mm -hmm. um, that eliminates that because that recruiter's job is to make sure that the people are clear on the opportunity before they meet with you. Yeah. You know, totally. so, um, if you can delegate that, uh, if growth is, uh, what you're looking for, I highly recommend it, but the energy shift. Yeah. Um, it just has to do with persona and, um, it's been my experience that, uh, and, and, you know, going way back, probably what I would have been attracted to as a, as a young, um, business person is, uh, you, you want to, you want to show, uh, that you, uh, want to have empathy and connect with the people and you want to be real and you want to be transparent so that you're a human being. And that's kind of the rapport piece. And, and just, that's kind of the opening. Um, obviously being professional, the whole, the whole overarching piece is, will they follow you? Mm -hmm. Right? Will they want to trust you as yeah. a leader? But that opening, you know, make them feel comfortable, right? You want somebody to feel comfortable so they can, it's easier for them to be genuine and obviously easier mm -hmm. for them to get to truth. Yeah. And they, they, they feel that in the short period that, hey, I can trust Benji, right? Like this is, this seems like a, a, a fairly uh, good fellow. The shift then moves uh, to just, I would, I would describe it as focus. Mm -hmm. Right. And you go from, okay, so we're, we're having a great little connection here and happy to, can we shift gears? I'm going to, you know, going to move to, uh, to, uh, digging into some questions. And often, um, Igor, what I'll do is, or in years gone by or the audience where they're at, um, with growing small businesses, what I would, what I'd recommend is actually contract with the candidate and say, so we're going to shift right now. And if it feels like I'm pushing or I'm, you know, I may have to cut you off or I'm, I'm uh, being a bit more assertive. Uh, that's not that I don't want to hear what you have to say. I, just, I have a number of things I want to get through. Right. I've got some very specific things I need to get to here today. And um, uh, I'd like to get started with that. Are you comfortable with that? Yes, I'm comfortable with that. Okay. Then I am focused on asking them questions about these experiences. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not trying to make them happy. I'm not trying to make them sad. Emotion is kind of gone. Yeah. Because at that point, what I'm doing is I, am, I have a very limited amount of time to get what mm -hmm. I need, yeah. which is where does Joe stack up on this criteria? Yeah. And uh, as you do that, a byproduct of that is uh, people will, my experience, people generally will experience that as being a little bit unique mm -hmm. because uh, the norm out there, even in mid-management or uh, it's my experience anyways, is, is uh, that's not clear with interviewers, that there's a start you connect with the person. There's a time where you're actually probing in, and I'm not talking mm -hmm. about being a jerk, but there is a real, you can physically feel the focus shift in the room. Right. And then when you're done that, it's like, okay, now we're going to have a conversation again. We're just right. going to hey, chat. Like, what do you, you want to know? What can I tell you? What do you know about the organization? And um, just so that you know, I'm actually not interviewing you for this job. I'm actually inter interviewing you for the, 
uh, the job as I do always, two, two rolls down the, down the, you know, the chain two years from now. And if you want to know more about that, I can tell you that. Yeah. The, 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 just the persona shifts. The intensity kind of eases off again at yeah. the end. Yeah. 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 But the focus, focus, intensity. Yeah. Yeah. It shifts yeah. a bit. This is huge, guys. I just I want to capture this because this is such a massive point. Um, I think a lot of people, even the ones that recognize the importance of selling in an interview, will see that in its classic sense, that you need to take the time, you need to understand the candidate's needs, you need to speak to the role, the company, the journey in a way that's going to make sense to them. And all that stuff is super important. And by the way, I have one quick question for you on that in a moment. But what I think James is highlighting here that is that is so fundamental to being a great interviewer is that so much of the selling comes from the way that you go about the business mm -hmm. of interviewing. And anyone that sat in a room with James will know this. It is so clear how experienced he is and how serious he is about his time and not wasting it. Um, his ability to interview, to lead, to run an organization is crystal clear just in that hour, an hour and a half of, of him diving into your background that that's the real selling right there. And, and that's powerful. It kind of, it, it brings me back, you know, we had Angus Reed here, the, uh, the national champion football player. And one of the questions I remember him saying that was, he was pushed on by his coach is how good do you want to be? Mm -hmm. And I think when you get to a point, if you want to be extraordinary at interviewing, you need to get to a point where you, the competence and the selling of why someone would want to follow you and work in the company will come from how well you execute as an interviewer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's, that's really amazing. You said you had another question. I have a question for you uh, um, first. Actually, it's a comment on something that you said earlier. Is um, in order to do that, you have to make sure that the interview is set up to be an interview. Mm -hmm. And that's a difference between an information meeting and an interview. So if you've got somebody that's a great candidate and they don't really know what it is they're applying for, mm -hmm. stop everything. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Don't do an interview. They're not ready yet. They're not ready yet, totally. Yeah, you, yeah. you, you can't skip that step. Because they're not, you're, they're not even informed, you know, on what, like fully on what the role is. So when you say sales manager, what does that mean? Am I actually selling? Am I, you know, one person reporting to yeah. me or fifteen, right? Yeah. So, um, just your your comment on uh, kind of making sure that painting the picture of the job and making sure people are clear on what it is they're yeah. applying for is done in advance is that's so important because that then allows you to say, okay, you know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. We're clear. Now let's talk about you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, d total distinction between an information session or a discovery meeting, whatever you want to call it, which is what's the company, what's the role you're applying for, what are the intricacies of the responsibilities look like? Yeah. Completely different conversation than yeah. is the interview. Yeah. I remember, so you, James, you and I crossed paths literally in the hallway in my first year of college, bro. We went on, we both spent, uh, you much much before me, but we spent a lot of time hiring franchisees. I remember that system was taught so well. Like I we would spend mm. like an hour and a half with a prospective franchisee just mm. talking about the role, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it was only then after if it made potential sense as a fit that they would get to an interview. Sometimes it's that extensive. And there's still roles that I hire for right now where it's like an hour and a half long discovery meeting, whether I'm doing it or someone else is doing it. But you want to get the right people clear on what they're applying for. Yeah. And, and if, because uh, uh, time is limited, right? And some people are listening to you right now, you're going, are you kidding me? You want to spend an hour yeah. and a half with someone talking Before about a, a lead technician role or an ops manager role? So uh, you got to do it. But if you don't have the hour and a half, figure out a system to do it. So what I would say is, um, I'm sure you guys could lead something like this, but just uh, record a vidured video or record a video on a, yeah, something. Totally. Just and, and But even if it's just like low tech on your iPhone, 
here is what the job is. Here's what the career path is for the job. Mm. Here's where I'm going with my organization. These are my three most commonly asked questions when I talk to people about the role. Here's what success looks like. Here's how the compensation structure is, and here's what our culture's like. Now, if you have questions, before the interview, get back to me with da-da-da-da-da, and away you go. Even something like that, it can save you time, but just the importance of what you said is so critical. Yeah. Love it. That's such a great bit. And you will often, I think, on, uh, see a lot about the candidate based on how well they've thought through that mm -hmm. and prepared yeah. stuff sure. if yeah. they really respect if they really respect your time. Um, one other thing I just want to highlight from our conversation last when we talked last week, James, is one of the things you said that from a selling perspective, you talked about the journey that you're taking people on and the fact that you're interviewing them and often looking at them for one to two roles ahead of where mm -hmm. they are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. From your experience, what are high performers attracted to? If you're going to speak to them about anything, you've got only, let's say, 10 to 15 minutes at the end of an interview, mm -hmm. and they're asking you questions about the organization and where the role goes. What are the, wh why is this journey thing so important for high performers? Yeah, so I think that somebody um, that is, you know, anywhere from an average to a top candidate is, uh, or not is, should be um, given the opportunity to have a clear picture painted for uh, how they could advance your organization. And I say that because often as interviewers, uh, you can almost assume that someone can take, take for advantage. Like, of course they would know that there might be an opportunity. Don't take that, don't take that for- Explain uh, it. Yeah, don't, don't take that for granted. I said advantage for granted. Take the time, explain it, give them specifics, give them examples if you have any of people that have promoted, mm -hmm. been promoted or moved up in your organization. Um, that speaks to your culture. It speaks to your track record and um, and it's a powerful message to say that you're already thinking about progression from within and uh, it's how you want to grow your business. So yeah. just, yeah, just the point is don't take it for granted. Always have that part of your, uh, uh, not just your onboarding process, but even starting in your interviewing process so that people see the opportunity. Yeah. So when you close out an interview, you're coming to the end of, of, of one of these meetings, um, there's one thing that, that uh, I've heard you talk about before, which is like doing a trial close, especially on your top candidates. Mm -hmm. For our listeners, like what is a trial close? Why do you do one? Yeah, a trial close is a conditional close, uh, trial or conditional. Uh, so it means uh, if a condition happens, uh, would you make a decision? So what that looks like is, uh, Benji, uh, thanks for your time today. I've got a lot of notes here and we're going to reflect on this and uh, obviously got a lot of candidates we're going to talk to, but um, if I were to offer you the job, uh, would you want the job? Yes. That's trial close. Why is that so important to do? Uh, I feel like right now I should ask you because you know the answer too, but <laughs> the, uh, the reason it's important is you need to gauge where that person is at and their desire and you're trying to surface objections, right? If they exactly. uh, have left something on the table that uh, uh, they're concerned about or the question they don't have answered, um, someone likely will not say yes when you say, if I offer you the job, you know, would you take it? Or often it's not if I, would I offer you the job, it's if I, if I offered to connect with you again, would you want to spend some time yeah, together yeah. again, right? Yeah. Whatever the next step is in the journey. But yeah, you want to make sure that you're trial closing on, uh, on every step of the way. Yeah, and so you can uncover those objections because what you don't want is to the work point where you've selected the candidate that you want to hire and then you go to hire them and it turns out they have four objections that yeah, you yeah. never brought to the yeah. surface to Actually, even be able to Actually, I wasn't really sure about like this yeah, exactly. and then you, it's way too late. It, it's interesting, Veggie, on that question, uh, something that I've, in my experience, I've seen people uh, often misinterpret also with the trial closes. If someone says no, 
that doesn't mean that they're a great. That doesn't mean that they're not a great candidate, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still, you know, potentially not hire this person, right? But often, uh, you know, I've heard or experienced that people will say, "Well, they, they don't. They're not a ten out of ten, or they don't want the job. Therefore, why would I offer them the job?" Well, the answer is because you probably missed something in your yeah. conversation with them. Yeah, yeah right. Totally. So just to everybody, if if you say if if I say to Igor, "Hey, do you want to meet again?" and he says, "I don't know. I'll think about it." That doesn't necessarily mean Igor's a bad guy. It means you got some you objection. Gotta, there. Yeah, there's something there. So okay, well let's unpack that for a second. You know, yeah. seems like something's in your mind. Like what 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 would make you want to meet with me again, yeah. Igor? So, yeah, hundred cool. percent. Yeah. Okay, so uh, just to recap here, the like the actual process of an interview, interview we've gone over. And just by the way, listeners, if you want to look at this framework, it will be in the show notes. There is a rapport building section. You set super super clear purpose and outcomes. Then you have that shift in energy. Hey, we're gonna get to the we're gonna get to the interview part here. I'm gonna be a little bit more assertive. Um, that's that's sort of like the you know if you, if you wanted to call it you're grilling the person that's that's the part where you are legitimately asking questions looking for evidence of the traits you want to see you'd sell some value you have a clear close next step and if you need to trial close you would do that in there as well so that's kind of the process of the interview i really encourage if you're listening to this go download this template and use it at your next interview it's going to make your life a lot a lot easier um shifting gears just out of the the process of an interview james you know, like skills, experience, personality, uh, previous education, that's that's one thing. What are your thoughts on, like, how, how do you interview for core values? Yeah, uh, well, a lot of it's similar to what we talked about earlier. Like, it would be, like, when you say core values, I would start with really clearly defining what your core values are. Um, uh, and that's probably the hardest part. That's mm -hmm. the hard work, right? Like, to you, what really matters? You I'll know, give you like, an example. Like like BTA's core core values are are be real, genuinely care about people, mm -hmm. and embrace the journey. So mm -hmm. let's let's say like if if we said genuinely care about people is something we we hey we got to make sure that this person has that value. How might we go about looking for that mm -hmm. in the background? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so two thoughts on that. The first one is values. So one I would like I said a minute ago define what those are. You guys are very clear on that. You know what they are, right? You know mm -hmm. what you're looking for. If you're uh, uh, listeners are not clear start with that yeah so just that, and, and that's hard work right like is it this or is it this because mm -hmm. you can i can give you 15 values and say which are important you say all of them mm -hmm. right but which are the core four uh so once you've got that nailed uh the two pieces to the answer would be values are generally something if you're doing good probing in their previous experiences they will surface how someone engaged with someone, how someone walked through a challenging situation, how they navigated a conflict, how they walked through change, um, how they made decisions, their values show up in times of friction, right? Mm. In those highs and those lows and those decision-making times, that's where your values are on stage. It's not when life is easy. Um, uh, so it's going to show up. So you're gonna be grabbing some notes there. Um, and uh, depending on the individual, sometimes you just, out of that, you will have a very clear, clear picture on, uh, how this person behaves, um, you know, in those in those times. The second piece is um, go through yours again, Benji. Uh, our, our values: yeah. be real, yeah. genuinely care about people, yeah. and embrace the journey. Okay. So, uh, in addition to paying attention to it through the probing, which is I generally would look at values last because mm -hmm. I want to get all surface all the examples of their life first. Um, genuinely care for people. Yeah. So I would just tell them what my values are. I say Here, here's what's important to us, BTA. And so I want to talk to you about genuinely caring for people. Um, so Benji, when you think about ge genuinely caring for people, what I'd like to know is, can you tell me about a specific time where it was really, really hard for you to show that you really cared about somebody? Right. And then mm -hmm. say nothing. 
And I, as the interviewee, would be going back through my experience going, okay, like, hmm, when I was, uh, you know, when I was much younger in my teenage years, I had this like, huge fight with my brother, blah, blah, blah. I'd, like, I'd actually unpack the... But that's the key is when was it difficult? That's it. You got yeah. it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Right. So it's not when, when, uh, when have you showed you'd care, you've cared for people or, or say somebody says honesty is a core value of theirs. When were you honest? Well, hopefully you're honest every day. Yeah. <laughs> right? That doesn't mean it's a core value of yours. Right. What, what matters is when your honesty is challenged, yeah. how do you show up? So what I want to probe for is what, not, not do you do what you say, but when did you deliver what you promised or when did you do, do what you said when it was really hard to do that? Yeah, got it. And again, as we talked about earlier, if the value's there, that won't be hard for a person to tell you. Totally. It's there. And if the, you don't see the example or they're confused or you don't, if they're really struggling, that is the result of the question you're looking for. And the answer is it's not there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Very so. good. Before we close out, James, I got two quick questions for you here. Um, I have been on the receiving end of reference checks from you. Mm. And okay. it's, um, <laughs> it has been extraordinarily clear uh, how much you know about candidates at that point and what you're trying to get out of me as the reference check receiver. Um, and we, we, of course, we could talk, we could have a whole episode with you on reference checks in general, but let me just ask you one quick question. In your eyes, what is the purpose of a reference check? Um, yeah, it's, it's a continuation of the interview process. So the, the three reasons that we talked about to do an interview, no, no change there. That's what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to, you know, understand their uh, past behavior so you can predict future performance and make your decision and score them and know where to coach them and sell. Um, but... Uh, the purpose of the reference check is to validate or to find gaps. Like sometimes in an interview, you will just run out of time, mm. right? That's mm-hmm. something that I, you know, uh, have often found. You have X amount of time allotted, and it's a good chunk of time. You get a couple gaps. You can bring them back. Sometimes you get one more thing. You wanna you wanna supplement that uh, with a reference check. Ideally, ideally, what you want is you want your main criteria scored. You've got examples or no examples, mm-hmm. and if they're continuing, how I would coach people to do this. Uh, is your reference check is to substantiate and validate what you think you saw. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you've got this person, um, let's say it's a technical competency. You're, you're hiring a project manager and mm-hmm. they're talking about their specific examples of, as a PM of, you know, um, what they've done and the challenges and their learning experience and whatnot. And uh, what you want to do is you want to validate that mm-hmm. because uh, that's you going, yep, I've got it right or I've got it wrong. The other reason to do a reference check is to fill in the gap. So if you haven't quite been able to completely round, uh, out your your uh, perspective of the candidate, you use it to go where you weren't able to go with the candidate. Yeah, absolutely, key point there is you're going into the reference check knowing what you're trying to get at it. Oh it's, yeah, it's not a casual chat of hey Jim, so you worked with Mark, great, yeah, he's a great guy, isn't he? Like. Yeah. That's not a reference check. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I get calls, uh, or I'm sure you guys have over oh, the yeah. years, many, many, many times from many people checking references. Hi, I just wanted to see if you'd hire them again. And my answer is, I have no idea. Can you back up and tell me what you're hiring the person for? Yeah, yeah. What are you asking me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. The answer is maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, could, it could be a great person. Um, but uh, so well, yeah. o- often, often people think reference check is about... Um, uh, you know, how much you like the person, or it could be around corporate culture and fit, right? Yeah. Um, that's a thing, but that's a waste of a phone call, Yeah. right? I would say be very specific and uh, have a couple of specific things, and you are interviewing that reference check 
Totally. Don't waste the time. Say, mm-hmm. okay, I've, do you have 15 minutes? Do you have 10 minutes? Okay, there's a couple of very specific things I want to ask yeah. you. Can you give me examples? And if, they, if it's there, the examples will come easily. And then you don't just take one example, you probe. Tell me more about that. When was that? Da, 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 da. And if it's not there, it's not there. Yeah, amazing. Love it. Final quick one from you. Uh, something I've heard you talk about, Brian Scudamore at O2E Brands talks about Eric Church, this beer and barbecue test. Mm-hmm. When it come, We've talked a lot about like, are they competent? Are they the right fit in terms of their ability to perform? When it comes to uh, organizational culture fit, uh, what do you guys at O2E mean by this like beer and barbecue test? Yeah, it's, it's uh, pretty much spot on what you said, cultural fit, right? Like you spend a lot of time uh, with the people that you um, mm-hmm. work with. Log a lot of hours, yeah. The two of you guys probably spend a lot yeah, of hours together. Are you gonna, is this the type of person you're gonna wanna invite over and have a backyard barbecue with? And, um, you know, different people, depending on their level of extroversion or introversion, will yeah. have a higher orientation to wanting to be around just more people and some less so. But at the end of the day, um, that test of do they fit me wanting to invest time and spend time with him. And, and not just me, it's actually had nothing to do with me. It has to do with the rest of the team. Like, will right? the te- would, yeah. would they fit in on a barbecue, backyard That's barbecue it. with the team? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Like, do they, do they fit? And you kind of you know what your vibe is, what your culture is. And um, uh, for me, for us, at, you know, in, in, with our brands, it's, that's really important. We can mm-hmm. have a very, very competent person. And if they, I know you guys get this, but if the, if the cultural fit isn't there, it's just yeah. not going to work. It'd be very painful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Amazing. Um, great. James, what's, the, what, what I love about this chat and every one of my other interactions with you is just like your presence, how much you're here, how you listen, how focused you are, wherever you might be. Um, it's, it's such a special trait that's not common, I think, especially in our distracted world, which is getting even more so every day. Um, I just want to close out with one final question on, on this for you is, is, is how did you become that way? I think that's one of the things that, that if someone asked me, like, what is James Alish? Like, that would be one of the first things that comes to mind. How, how, did that, how did you nurture that for yourself? And why is it so important in business, not just in interviewing, mm-hmm. but everywhere as a leader? Uh, first thing, I hope my wife doesn't see this because she'd be <laughs> falling off her chair in laughter right now. Uh, my kids as well, but uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, um, I think when I hear you say that, I think number one, I really, really value that. So to me, it's it's very meaningful when someone mm-hmm. um, works hard at listening yeah. and I feel valued, right. right? I feel respected and that was probably ingrained in me in a very uh, young age. I was fortunate enough to have that role modeled for me um, through a number of different people. Um, so it's kind of one of those things when you when you when you get to see it and you get to taste it and you're like, wow, I, I, that that's important. Yeah. I really like that. Um, that's probably the the root of it. And then um, over time, realizing that it is really hard to do mm-hmm. in today's distracted world and how busy we are. And uh, it's just hard, right? Really being a great listener is really hard. And I'm not a great listener, just, like, just to be clear. I'm not. I'm <laughs> terrible. I, I, can, uh, I work at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I work at it is because I am highly committed to the value of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I started by saying I value of it. But I, I am, I, if you can cultivate a relationship where people, almost to a point of feeling it's unique or they, they feel it's actually quite, you know, 
not surprising, but it's, 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 it's odd how hard mm-hmm. this person is trying to understand what I'm saying. Whether it's what you're doing right now, like right. focused, listening, dialed in, how you play back to someone, how you slow down, how you're not listening to answer, mm-hmm. you're slow to defend. You always ask another couple of questions to understand and to probe before mm-hmm. you before you answer. It's 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 a unique thing. It's memorable. And yeah, it's memorable. That's a great word. It's yeah. memorable, and yeah. um, and it makes people feel respected and valued, yeah. right? And uh, and I'm not great at it, so I'm yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's hard, you know. It's but uh, I think those are the reasons. I just I value it. Like it's a really yeah. important thing, and and it doesn't just show up in an interview. Like it's not like it's, it's definitely, we've talked about it today. It's, it's the core of an interview, right? Cause you got a limited amount of time. You got to listen to what you're hearing and, and, uh, and leverage it. But it's, it's, uh, it's an all the time, everyday, uh, uh, challenge and skill that, that I believe is a leadership trait that is critical. And, you know, leaders that I work with, I know work really hard at it. And I'm really, really privileged to, to work with some exceptional people that are, that are great listeners and, um, cultivate a culture of people feeling, you know, valued and respected. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers the question. Does Absolutely. It? Yeah. It's just, it, it is fascinating to hear um, how much you do work on it. And maybe I guess it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't come it's a work naturally. In progress. It's always, a work it in will progress. always be totally. But, um, but I will say it, it is memorable. I remember meeting you in, in the hallway of the college pro office on that staircase. If you remember it's in a long time ago, 2006, but, and that still to this day stands out about you. So it, it is, it is truly, I think something for it as a leader, as a kind of a fundamental skill and a leader's tool belt. Uh, something to work on because it applies to so many of the disciplines yeah. within business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's amazing. James, thank you so much. My pleasure. For spending fun, the time guys. with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, we really appreciate it. Awesome. Anytime, guys. Thanks. Hi, Benji here. Welcome back to Contractor Evolution and our sixth and final episode of the Ultimate Hiring Funnel series. Over the last five weeks, we've tried to lay out the fundamental steps involved in attracting and hiring the talent that your business deserves. Building a world-class hiring funnel is absolutely not an easy thing to do, but nothing important ever was. And if building a rockstar team isn't at the top of your priority list, I don't know what is. Now, last week, we talked in depth about the interviewing stage, but we aren't quite done yet. To close this process out, we need to talk about the all-important job offer call and then the expectations meeting that follows. Now, one thing that contractors seem to really struggle with is holding people accountable. Employees make up their own expectations a lot of the time, standards slip, and your frustrations mount. Now, this expectations meeting solves this by clearly articulating the standard at the precise moment when your new employee is the most malleable. Remember this, you cannot hold the line with someone if you never drew it in the first place. To walk us through this, we're really excited to have James Dale returning to the show. Um, James is the Director of Training and Development for Breakthrough Academy. He himself has hired and conducted expectations meetings for hundreds of staff, all the way from general laborers to high-powered executives. He's the brains behind the BTA management system which he and his team of coaches helped to implement into the businesses of over 400 fast growth contractors. Um, And it also needs to be said, his fantasy football team is off the chain this year. So let's conclude this ultimate hiring funnel series with James Dale. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. 
Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Hey, just before we jump into things, I wanted to let you know you can get the free resources that we talk about in this episode in the show description. So hit pause right now, go download them, and they'll be waiting in your inbox by the time we finish this episode. James Dale, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's good to see you, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped to be here. This is my second time on. You guys are doing an excellent job, and Thank I'm you. happy to be here. We're excited to have you back. Uh, you're one of our favorite guests. You know, the door's always open. Thank you. Uh, okay, so just for our listeners, I want to do a super quick recap because we are today on episode six of a six-part series we've called the Ultimate Hiring Funnel Series. Um, so in episode one, this is going back almost a, a month and a half ago, we talked about ideal candidate profiling with, with Josie Ann. Um, how incredibly important it is to understand who you're looking for before you go out and look for them. Seems like an obvious step, but a lot of people skip it. So we unpack that thoroughly. In episode two, we talked about how to turn those profiles into a really well-written job posting that tells a story, that's got great imagery, that captures the attention of your ideal candidate um, and gets them to click and apply, hopefully. So that was episode two. Episode three, we had on Assad, if you'll remember, and he talked about those like active recruitment tactics. How do you promote these job postings more effectively? In essence, how do you get as many eyeballs on this role as possible? In episode four, right at this point, you've got an inbox that's kind of filling up with resumes and, and, and cover letters and people applying. We talked about how to manage that flow, how to sort it into folders, how to prioritize your calls, and then how to do this very important interview setup call. And then last week with James Alish, we got into some interviewing secrets. How do you um, understand a candidate's backstory? How do you probe for different preferences and abilities? Um, how do you make super informed, super precise? decisions on who you hire. Now, today is like the capstone. This is the final and very, very important step of any ultimate hiring funnel. And what we're going to talk about today is both the job offer call. So that's when you pick up the phone and announce to this new employee that they've been hired for the role. And then the uh, the expectations meeting that follows shortly thereafter. So like Benji said, it's a really good point, man. No great hiring process is complete without this clincher step um, and putting a bit of focus and energy to close it off properly with this individual mm -hmm. that you hopefully are going to work with for many years, if not, if not decades to come. So James, why do you do this with all of your hires? Why is this such a crucial step in your eyes for every hire? Such a good question. So Two things I would say, big things. One, high performers want to know what are the next steps. Right. So that's a huge one. The second piece would be, it's really hard to hold someone accountable if you've not set good expectations. And that's right. essentially what an expectation meeting is. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And and that's such a good point, James, because there's, I think people often don't kind of conceptually think about this. The selection and interview process and the relationship you build there with the person you're going to choose transitions into your relationship coaching and leading them. And that transitionary point is one to be pretty mindful of. I think a lot of people see it as two totally different things. I'm going to interview this person and then all of a sudden they're just going to be an employee and that's mm -hmm. that. Yeah. But there's an important relational step. So it's, it's, it's a really good point. So James, let's start the conversation here. You've, you've done your interviews. You've chosen the candidate you want to bring us uh, bring aboard. Take us through the steps involved in a good job offer call. So the first thing is you've got to set up the job offer call. 
And so what that might mean is that you could call this person directly and just say, hey, you've got the job, or you might want to set the stage for that. So you might want to, you could text them, you could even say, hey, I've got, I'd, like to, I'd like to connect with you, I've got some good news, I've got some important news, to kind of set the stage mm -hmm. for what's going to come. Rather than just calling just them call out them. of the blue. You, you could call, I mean, it depends on the role, maybe it depends on, your, on, your, on how things have gone, but I think, I think it's a nice touch to say, hey, I, I'd love to talk to you, are you free today at 12 o'clock, sure. or are you free tomorrow at 4 o'clock? Okay. Yeah, I, th I like the better than even good news because that's it, it's it's kind of giving it away. Yeah, like sure. the, the wording that I often like to use is is if it's in an email or whatever, we have an important update to share with you about the role. <laughs> Are you available two o'clock on Tuesday? I love for it for a half hour Ooh, discussion. It's very cryptic. Yeah, yeah. I, like I it. love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, what else? Is there any anything else that you do to prep for that before you pick up the phone and dial? So it's a, it's a good question too. So you need to know when the start date would be and also when you'd want to have the expectations meeting. So you want to have those dates nailed down so that you can talk to them about that on that job setup, on that job offer call. So, so in, in your block schedule, you've got some time allotted a few days out for the expectations meeting and then, you know, whether it's a week or two weeks or ho however long later, there's, there's a clear uh, start date that you've thought through as well where they're actually going to begin their role officially. 100%. Yeah. And let me just say this, a lot of people don't put nearly enough thought as they should of when they're going to start that individual because there's so many considerations around like you need to build a good onboarding plan. If you don't have one built for that role, that takes time to do. When do you have the capacity to be present as a leader for their onboarding? When does it fit for other people on the team? A lot of people, you know, you're know, you on the job offer call and you give it a So what's the start date? Be like, ah, uh, well, Soon. April 15th yeah. or whatever. And you're like, well, that's actually like a really bad decision. But people have not even thought through it. So you don't want to roll, like you don't have the phone ringing and be like, oh crap, what am I starting this person? Yeah. Or, or like we're starting tomorrow. That could be even worse potentially. Totally. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so anyway, in the prep, important to tactically think through that start date. Yeah. 100%. Right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you've you've picked up the the phone the it, it's now ringing they pick up take us through how that phone call should go. So the first thing that I would recommend is something called a trial close and some of you might know this concept but basically before you offer the job you want to kind of gauge are they still interested in the job. So it could be something along the lines of like hey just want to you might be like hey what is your excitement level of the job or have you what are your thoughts on the job still like it's kind of like setting that stage. And you kind of want to get them to, some will be like, I'm super pumped about the job. I've been thinking about the job. I'm excited about the job. So you know that they are ready to accept the role. Before like, you, if yeah. you offer it to them, they are going to indeed take it and you are going to move forward rather than you offering it to them and they go, uh, actually, I've been meaning to tell you. You're kind of screwed. Exactly. You've lost leverage. So they might be like, I, I just let you know, I've been thinking about this and I, I, I've got these questions or this is on my mind or, hey, I'm, I'm interviewing somewhere else like right now and I think I'm going to take that role. So you <laughs> right. want to kind of understand the lay of the land before you actually So just triple check, triple, triple check, check that they, they still want to do this. Because it could have been a few days, right? Or maybe a week since you last talked to them or a couple of days or whatever, the, you know, yeah. whenever the last interview was. Then what? So then I think what you do want is you do want is you want to offer the role. So you want to off the and say, hey, listen, I, we've gone through all of our interviews. Uh, I've done, you know, we may have done reference checks. I've thought a lot about this. So I'm super excited to offer you the role. Mm -hmm. And so from there, what you want is a clear, like, from their perspective, like, excitement and yeah. ex acceptance. Like, thank you so much. Really pumped. Yeah. Can't wait mm -hmm. to get started. Can't the, wait to meet the team. I'll just say the energy here is really important. You don't want to be out, like, just for 
like a casual walk where you're kind of half distracted and so yeah, we've interviewed some people and um and and I think we're gonna we're gonna pick you. Like yeah. like that's not the tone. <laughs> that is not the tone you are. Yeah, what you, is what is the tone? Like give me an example. I think you genuinely need to be really excited and hopefully if you've done your due diligence and you, you are. kind of understand the power and impact of adding this individual, you're truly pumped to have them yeah. on the team if you've picked the right person and that needs to to come across. So in these phone calls I'm in a centered kind of space where I'm actually focused and present with them. Like I'm absolutely not driving. I'm not out like first walk down the beach. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm present to this individual and, um, and I'm very intentional with my tone and my energy and I want that excitement to come across to them. Super important. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It's good. Okay. What, what do you, what do you talk about after you've sort of uh, announced that they've been chosen? So I think some other really strong points on this call will be after they've, they've, you've, offered the role with excitement, like Igor's saying, they're like, yes, I'm excited about the role. I think a really good point is to um, actually tell them some of the, the reasons why you've hired them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really strong way to kind of continue the conversation. Maybe, you know, if you've done your due diligence, like Igor said, you've interviewed, maybe there's certain aspects of the, like things you were looking for in that role, like maybe attainment or tenacity or precision or their use of technology or whatever it is for the role. And so you should highlight, this is the reason why we made this decision. So like, here's an example, or this example, or this, this experience you've had, or this, ex- their, this aspect of your skill set to kind of really hammer that home so that the, they can understand this justification. It's complimentary it, as yeah. well. It's complimentary and it's intentional. Yeah. It's not random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I'll say for those of us who know James well, uh, a big part of a big thing that makes James really strong as a leader is like he has such a real care for people. Um, James, you you make people feel good about what they're doing. And clearly, like this starts for James, it starts this early. Uh, like as, as soon as he, this, this, this role is being offered. And I think that, that, that a lot can be, be learned from, from that. So that, that's a really cool thing to kind of go into this phone call prepped from your interview of why this person you think is such a strong fit. But tell you, them. You, yeah, and you need to put yourself in the shoes of this applicant as well. Right. They're in a very vulnerable position. They've, they've looked at your company. They've, they've laid it all out there, ta- talked about their past and their mm-hmm. jobs and their bosses and what went well and what didn't and the goals for the future. And they've um, just left their other and to leave their other job. <laughs> that that as well. They they may have also done this with a few other companies. So they're in sort of a vulnerable place going, man, I I really, really hope that this works out. And I think one of the, the easiest things that you can do to give them a sense of relief and really reassure them that they've made the right decision in you is what you said. It's like, hey, here's here's we, we you've got the job and here's why we actually picked you over the many other people mm-hmm. that we interviewed. It's a it's a really important piece. After you do that, what's what's the next thing you might unpack with them on the call? I think another strong thing to do is to let them know maybe some of the things that uh, some of the things that opportunities for them or things that that they you may have to work with them on potentially or maybe some gaps that they have to kind of get used to in the role. So kind of like you've, you've said, here's some things we really like about you. No one is perfect. Like no one is perfect. So there's going to be something that if they don't have experience in or they have to learn on the job or something. But you're kind of setting that stage for, hey, we're here for you, but there's an op- some opportunities for you to get better as well. Yeah, look out for this stuff. And if, and, um, if, if you remember from our last episode, 
James Alish said, an interview is about three things. It's, it's figuring out if they have the preferences and abilities you need. It's figuring out their gaps and it's to sell. So it's the gaps part that mm -hmm. you would be bringing up to say, hey, we interviewed you for these things. Um, you're going to excel in this role. But just so you know, you might actually kind of, you might be a little challenged in these areas and we're here to support you through that. So yeah. you're, you're giving a little bit of feedback on, on top of the complimentary tone. Um, I'm assuming from there you kind of, you'd be scheduling the expectations meeting. Is, is there anything else that, that kind of is important to get across on this call? No, I think that's good. I mean, that's, that's a good conversation with all those things. And there's probably obviously maybe some banter back and forth as you're talking to them. But I think then I think you would like the prep for this meeting, this sort of for this call, you'd want to have, when is the expectation meeting? Yeah. Which would probably be a, a technically probably a couple of days from then. And then also when is their start date? Okay. So those two things. And one important bit to mention is just this expectations meeting. So this next step is really important to have continuity. You, what you don't want is to have that meeting weeks out and to lose that person's excitement. So this is kind of, this should, should be pre-planned in your calendar as you're going into this job offer call where the expectations meeting is set within days not weeks because they'll, they'll go get another job or yeah or, just, or they'll lose excitement continuity through this whole hiring funnel is an important piece mm -hmm. there's like an emotional momentum that people have and what you don't want to do is get it get them on the phone really excited we're offering the job and i'll see you in two and a half weeks to go through an expectations meeting okay not good okay cool so that, that, that's the job offer call um and it's it's uh, a, a really important probably a fun call to make as as it, an employer as a leader it could be super enjoyable yeah. because you're again you are excited that they're coming the team and they should be excited as well you've done the work this is kind of a, a nice a nice moment for for both of you okay so the next um the next step is and, and the final step actually of this whole series is this uh, expectations meeting. We're going to go through a bit of a framework in a minute here, but just can you give me like very high level summary of what an expectations meeting is? Yeah, ultimately it's, it's to set really good expectations with the person and also talk about their onboarding. Like very briefly, like what is the next steps on the onboarding? Because that's the next thing that will happen with this person. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I will say, I'm sure that if you all, if you're listening to this and you reflect on people that you've hired previously, think about what it's like to set expectations with somebody early on when you hire them, as opposed to introducing new expectations like seven Ooh, months later. Yeah, It's very different. So this is a really um, kind of pivotal moment and it's a high leverage moment, I think is, is an even better word. It's this, you really want to think through the full set of expectations that you're going to have for this person in this role at this time, because this is by far the easiest time in the entire employment process to set good expectations with them. Why is that? Is it, is it, is it the, the power distance? Is it the, like you can't, I don't want to say you have them in the palm of your hand, but you have, there's some level of like authority that you absolutely have yeah there's a power dynamic there for sure and they're way more malleable at that time because of the excitement because of the excitement of the yeah. yeah and it's it's like anything right when you go into it if you think back to you know heading into your first day of high school or your first day of university and if someone's telling you all right benji this is what it's going to be like and this is what you need to be ready for mm -hmm. you are going into that experience with that context yeah Right. And all of our life experiences are like that. Everything is about like, what is it like as compared to your expectations? So if your expectations get set accordingly, you're going to roll with that. It's very normal. Like we all, we all do that. So just remember, this is a pretty high leverage time for you. You want to put thought into these expectations. This is the time to do it. 
I think, and just to add to this, is this is where your first kind of like leadership moment totally. with this person, right? Mm. This is your first time where you're a leader and you got to be, there's a, I mean, leadership is a big topic, but you want to be firm, mm -hmm. kind of friendly, but it, that, that kind of tones, or it's yeah. like you're excited in there, but you're also, this is the yeah. expectation moving exactly. forward. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So, so that's, um, it's, it's, it's a good overview of, of the expectations being. So James, tell us a bit about before you go into it. So let's just say you're, you're meeting this new hire, you've done the, you know, you've, you've done the job offer call on a Monday and it's now Thursday, it's Thursday, two o'clock and you're heading into this expectations meeting. What are some of the things that you've done prior to that? What have you done between the Monday and the Thursday to get ready to actually be in that meeting with that new hire? So one thing is you have to have an employment agreement built exactly. with job description, uh, as well as maybe not all the specific details, but you want to know what is the onboarding plan? How are you going to fast track this person, which basically means like how are you going to get them competent in the role and how are you going to make them feel part of the team? Like right tracking is what I call yeah. it as, you know, as quickly as possible. You don't have, to have all the details, but you want to be able to in that meeting, explain to them, like, here's our game plan to get you. Yeah into the role. So what James just said is super important. This is, if you've not got this set up, this could be a couple hours of work and it's good because it's, it's a really important couple hours of work, or maybe you have this pre-templated from different people you've hired in the same role, which then makes it easier, but you got to go in there with a wild dial job description employment agreement, because that's what you're going through with the person. Mm -hmm. You don't, you're not showing up in your first real instance as a leader with a messy job description and employment agreement with typos. That's not well yeah. formed added with different fonts and like it's just or just doing say. it off the top of your head <laughs> even worse. Yeah. Yeah. So I head. think you're gonna do this and I think you're gonna yeah. do that. It's as Benji be would say it's not a good look for you as a leader. <laughs> it's not a good look for you. So this is this is legitimately a couple hours of work. And I will say this too um we are going to offer in the, for this in this episode a really good template of what an employment agreement with a job description should look like. So head over right now to the link in the description in the show notes, there's an available free download. This employment agreement that James is talking about is available for you to download and use and stick right into your hiring process at this expectations meeting. So anyway, that's just, it's, it's a really important prep bit. It's both that and some semblance of an onboarding plan because a great candidate is going to be looking for you at that point of like, all right, James, tell me what are my next steps? And if you have your stuff together, you're going to be able to give them a bit of a lay of the land. So James kind of mentioned a point, but don't underestimate it. It is a couple hours of work that you've got to get ready. You don't just stroll into that meeting uh, without any of that stuff prepared. So it's, uh, it's, 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 it's really good. Um, JD, is there anything that you have that person prepare? Like, is there anything that you want them to bring in? Yeah, like, so it's a good point. It, it probably sh it should be in person, this meeting. Yes, should be in person. Yeah. And they should probably bring in any kind of, like, payroll information you might need or any kind mm -hmm. of, like, you know, if it's Canada, like, any kind of SIN number or anything yeah. you would need to kind of onboard that person from, like, an administrative perspective. Good. Yeah. Cool. So, so you, they're coming in with that. You're coming in with your stuff. And you meet. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so yeah. you're at um, you're at your office. You're at a coffee shop. You're at the destination that you guys have have decided to meet at on the day of the expectations meeting. Take us through how to execute one. Sure. So my style, and I think I, I would recommend this to anybody, is you always start with rapport, right? So again, this is a, this is an ongoing relationship. Uh, they are on the team now, and and so 
rapport is huge to start with. So I would always start with rapport. Mm -hmm. Rapport is basically how are they doing? There's probably a, a ton of stuff that you've learned about this person over the course of the last, you know, however many interviews you've done. So it's going to be maybe follow up on maybe family or hobbies or whatever it may be. And so I would always start with that. And so, you know, you know, for me, if I, well, if I get into stuff, how is your fantasy football team doing? How is oh. the sport doing? Whatever they're into. <laughs> what right? if they don't play fantasy football, James? If they, so if they've not played fantasy football, I'll probably tell them they made a terrible mistake and I've, I should not have hired them. <laughs> or I'll smack talk their team or whatever it is. But yeah, it's so fun. And you tell them you've made a terrible hiring I, mistake. I made a terrible and, mistake. Uh, and yeah. you need, I, to, I, you like need to, to recount your offer. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so stuff like that is, is really, really good, I think. Okay. We're, yeah. we're joking. You, yeah. you should not fire someone for not playing fantasy football. Yeah. Um, okay, so after you build some rapport, you just hang out. How are you doing? How's your family? How's your week been? Uh, then, then you're kind of moving to the structured part of this expectations meeting. Um, you're, you're tell us about how you walk through an employment agreement properly. So here's a best practice. I would, I would have the employment agreement printed out and I would have two copies. And the reason why is it can be uncomfortable or weird if like you're both like sitting shoulder, next to shoulder, each other. Yeah, shoulder to shoulder yeah. looking at it. So maybe you're at a table. You don't read well upside down, James? Yeah, oh yeah, you have to read upside down too. So like you, they have a copy, you have a copy. And and also if they they need to to take it with them, for example, as well. So to have two versions printed out is is an important piece. Um, then what I would do is I would walk through the employment agreement. Mm -hmm. And depending on how long it is, you might not want to read every single part, but I think there's some very important parts that you do want to go through. Um, at the top, usually on all of my employment agreements, it always has the values of the company. So I would actually start with like, again, the values, specifically the role yep. scope. And then I would get into things like the deliverables and the accountabilities of that role. And this is a place where I would spend some time on. Like I would walk through the deliverables of the role, like the high level, maybe three or four things they'll be measured on, make sure they understand that and then all the accountabilities that would be part of the role as well. And I think that deserves some attention to like really spend some time on that. Because again, to Igor's point before, like this is where you can really set the stage. You're firm, you're fair, you're friendly, but you're making sure people understand. Because this is the, the, this, mm -hmm. the time where this is the easiest to go through this versus you know, two months later. Yeah. yeah, it's really like when we talk about setting clear expectations, it's that list of accountabilities that sets those. So it's about how you go through it, like being firm, fair, all that stuff. But it's, you got to have it well prepped. Like you have to really thought through this because that's the stuff you're really going through. Yeah. It's that list of accountabilities and all those expectations that you have on them. That's when you're going to lay it out, but you've thought through this before. And I'll just add this one small piece this, but I think it is valuable is on some of the accountabilities, like some of those, like people, you can just tell people things, but like the why behind certain things. Mm. Like, like why right. is this an important accountability? Like your role is really important here and this is one of your accountabilities and this is why this yeah. is important. Yeah, so if, if you're like onboarding a project manager here, um, not even onboarding, but you're going through this expectations meeting and you're saying, one of the things you're going to do at the closeout of every job is you're going to go back to that customer's house and you're going to go with a bottle of wine and the gift pack that we have and you're going to have a 10-minute chat with them as you drop that off to talk to them a bit about their experience in the job. Here's a why that's so important both to our brand and the way and what we learn in terms of customer feedback 
and the kind of reviews that we ask for online and why that fuels marketing. So you can explain the why. So it's not just like, well, you have to take time out of your busy schedule to right. go get a freaking bottle of wine and take it to the door. No, but you have to explain the why behind that. It's a, it's a really good point. Yep. Um, other stuff you might go through would be like more uh, the deliverables and accountability is I think the most important. But you'd probably mention stuff about like like vacation time, benefits, who they report to. Um, would compensation you compensation structure? Okay, compensation structure. Is this the first time that they're hearing about comp, or is this stuff they know already? That's a really good point. And this, so, I think we brought this up earlier in this whole this whole podcast day. But there should be no new information giving here. Okay. So they should know mm-hmm. already. The compensation, like, you know, the base, if there's a bonus, whatever it is, there should be like this. You don't want to have as a, a big surprise, like, whoa, I didn't know that. Okay. Like that should have already been dealt with prior. In the interview. In the interview. The yeah, later stages yeah, of er, it, for the, sure. later stages of yeah. the interview, like it's, it's been brought up. So there's no, again, there's no new information here. Like everything you're showing this person is things you probably talked about. Maybe not this granular detail in the accountabilities, but there's, they, there's nothing brand new here they're hearing so yeah compensation vacation all that stuff okay you kind of like reiterate it Re- okay. sorry reiterate it do you have them sign off on anything yeah so typically what i would recommend is that they uh initial every page you initial every page and then there's usually a place where they would sign like maybe their signature one on one stage of the employment agreement yeah. as well can i say an important thing here though um it the there are different employment agreements for different roles are, are are different, right? So roles that are a lot more complex, like if you're hiring a general manager, there are going to be a number of other legal provisions, whether it's around like non-solicitation or non-competition clauses, all this kind of stuff. Um, whereas a simpler employment agreement for like a painter or a landscaper, this is going to be a lot simpler. Uh, a simpler role, maybe you have them sign right away, but a more complex role, what I would really recommend is that you tell them to go read it over one more time on their own. If they want to review it with an employment lawyer, they can. But with a more complex role, it's better if they go, you, you want them to go have a read through it on their own and make sure they don't have any other questions. It's a really good point. And, I, and just to Igor's point there, what I would say too is if you have an employment agreement, you know, you know, I think Igor said he's going to have one attached to this. There, there could be some sections of it that are very like maybe a little bit more legalese and a bit more complicated. What I would recommend as you're going through the employment agreement, on some of those ones, like to go through the, the layman's terms of what this section means mm-hmm. and what this section means. Like just, you don't need to like read out the entire thing to everybody, but like this is what this section means. Yeah. This is what this section means. And just kind of like talk about those sections so people are yeah. like, because it could be confusing. Totally. So if you're li- if you're watching this or you're listening to this and you're thinking, ah, man, I'd, uh, my expectations meaning either I don't do them or I don't do them very well, and you're gonna want to you want to sit down and kind of practice this, right? Like you you draft up a really good employment agreement with clear deliverables and accountabilities and the comp structure and all that stuff's laid out. You might just like sit down and practice going through it, whether it's with your wife or your husband or a friend or whatever. But the way that you go through it is quite important, right? And I, and like I, it's it's facing them, right? I've got my pen and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm having their eyes follow my pen. And what you want to distinguish is that there's certain sections of it, like, so like James said, that are really important that you're going to go through word, word for word, like their deliverables, their accountabilities, the comp structure, the reporting structure, all this kind of stuff. But there's going to be other terms like a standard severability clause or a force majeure clause, you don't need to read through that. Like you could just give them a high level of, okay, this is a section around like 
around the non-solicitation, why at the end of employment, you cannot go poach our customers or but you may just summarize it in a few words, but you need, again, coming back to your presence and persona as a leader, it needs to be clear that you know this agreement, that's a part of your job. And again, to this point, high performers are looking for someone who's organized. They're analyzing They're you. They're analyzing you too still. So like, again, for you to show competence, professionalism, yeah. that's it. And, you, and you're also, I think you're doing the right thing as well. You want to make sure people don't, it's not like, hey, read this, good luck with it. It's like, let me walk <laughs> you through this thing. Totally. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're looking at you. And, and if you're not dialed in on this, do yourself a favor and go practice it a couple times so that for the rest of your career, you come across as super strong doing this. It's, it's, it's definitely a, a, a good investment of a, of a bit of time. So that's good. Um, Anything else awesome. here in this expectations meeting? I think once you've gone through the employment agreement, I think again, again, if you've, you know, to prepare for this, maybe we talked about the onboarding. Mm -hmm. So you might have a general, like when is their start date? And like, what does that first week look like? first week, first two weeks look like for them? Give them an overview. Give them an overview, right? So you don't have to have all the specifics, but you want to be, so they know there's a plan here. So yeah, just even, even a rough plan. And hey, hey, listeners, we've mentioned a lot of times, like like you need to have an onboarding plan built. If, you know, we've we've not talked about that in this series and, and we're not going to, uh, because this is purely about hiring. But if you want a really good resource on onboarding, go listen to episode six of this contractor evolution show. Uh, it's with um, a really, really, really high performing entrepreneur named Kurt Jans, and he's got like one of the most dialed in onboarding processes we've ever seen, and he just unpacks how he built it. So if, if, you're, if you're like listening to this going, oh, I, I also don't have an onboarding plan, go check that out. Yeah. It will demystify it a lot for shout you. Shout right? out to Kurt Jansen. Big shout out to Kurt Jansen. Yeah. Awesome. And just to be clear, guys, this is not like in this meeting, the, the pressure isn't on you where you have to show this person like this beautifully built and color-coded calendar where you're like on the Wednesday of your first week at 1030, here's yeah. the meeting you're going to be at. No, just, you, all you got to do is give them a general overview of, of the kind of broad buckets of stuff they're going to be diving into over the course of their onboarding. Remember what they're looking for from you is like, is this leader going to be setting me up for success mm -hmm. in my first couple of weeks? That's kind of what they're thinking about. And that's, you got to make them feel reassured that, that you've got that. They don't need to know the exact time yet. So that's, that's, um, that that's all that's important there. And you, and you do confirm that start date and you need to contract with them on it in the sense that, you know, coming into this meeting, what makes sense for your organization and you need to make sure it makes sense for them too. Um, good. And what's the close like of this meeting, JD? I think I think giving a tight timeline. So so say, you mentioned, for example, if everything's good, they could potentially sign it, initial it right there. If to your point, like hey, you want to go take a look at it and read through it again, I would make that quite tight. Like yeah. within two days, please get this back to me. Cool. And so give them that, and then um, that would be the thing. I think you all obviously end the meeting. Uh, on a good note again, nice, like strong handshake. Yeah, strong good, handshake. Good I'm, energy, again, yeah. I'm super excited you're on the team. Yeah. So you want to kind of close it out, but uh, you want to make sure that you are tight with that uh, that yeah. employment agreement coming back to you. Awesome. Uh, thanks, James. That's awesome. That's such a good overview of the expectations meeting. So it's 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 you build a bunch of rapport, check off that they play fantasy football. <laughs> have a chit chat, uh, walk them through that employment agreement as, as we talked about, then go through their onboarding and training overview and, um, and, and set some next steps. Good. And guys, remember if, uh, if you don't have a strong employment agreement, check out the link in the description, just download it as an example. It'll get you to, uh, to a, a really good starting point. Um, JD, just, you mentioned this in a couple casual words, but overall, like, 
presence and persona as a leader, what are you trying to come across like in this expectations meeting? Yeah, like I think in, in this meeting, again, it's, the, it's, it's kind of the first time that you are setting expectations. Uh, and again, it's really, it, it's, this is the best time to do it. Yeah. So I think, again, if I was to say like how would I describe it, like you're firm, so like you, you're competent, you know what you're talking about. The fair is like the why, like this is mm -hmm. why we do this, this is why this is set up this way. And then you're friendly, which is the rapport. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're, it's a positive tone, you're excited, but you're kind of laying out, this is what makes our company successful, this is what makes your role successful, this is why your role is so important. Yeah. Very good. Awesome, guys. It's a really great overview. That's fantastic. James, one final question for you before you go. So this whole process obviously takes a bit of work. You've got to prepare some of these materials. You've got to be kind of mentally present with this with this, this person that you're about to hire and work with for a long period of time. Um, what's like, how does all this, putting in all this work, how does it make, in your eyes, in your experience, how does it make the whole performance management process and cycle that you're going to be doing with this person easier over the long term? Totally. Well, again, again, I'll, I'll say it again. It's hard to hold someone accountable unless you set expectations. So if you've set these expectations, you've walked through accountability deliverables, whether it be GSRs, team huddles, informal coaching, you've got them to fall back on if you've built this. So yeah. from a leadership and accountability perspective, if you have an employment agreement and you've gone through expectations, it makes that whole process mm. way, way easier. Love it. Such a simple but powerful note, I think, just to conceptualize that is like you cannot hold someone accountable to expectations that you haven't clearly set. Totally. Awesome. And on that bombshell, let's end there. JD, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been Thanks. fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. Thank you. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.